the Between the Sheets, episode number 436. I'm Mel Chris Zona, joined as always by my co-host David Bix and Spanning and Bix. Had a rough week last week, but I'm getting there. I'm uh, just about got all this crap out of my head, uh, but um, I'm doing better, so that's good. Yes, you got hit by a... Uh... I mean, I, I guess the correct term would not be smoke inhalation, but what, like some kind of reactive airway kind of syndrome thing? It went in my throat. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I get, I get uh, certain smells And to be clear, smoke. you were not it's, in a fire or anything. You drove by some kind of smoky thing. Smoldering fire, yes. Yeah. And, uh, I'm very sensitive to that. And, uh... It affected me pretty hard. Uh, for those of you that, uh, when you hear the Patreon show, you'll uh, understand more of that when you hear the first segment of that show. But because uh, I was recorded that when I was <laughs> really bad off. But uh, but yeah, so I'm doing better now and able to do business as usual on this show. So that is good because we got a lot to talk about this week. Yeah. Um. We have done a lot of shows from surrounding this time period. Um, as we're in 1997, we did uh, show 125 was December 6th through the 12th. Um, show 179 was December 19th through the 26th. And then, you know, if you want to go down the line, uh, show. 128 was December 27th through January the 2nd, 98. Yes, with the so, uh, Nassau Broad that I was at. Yes, so, I thought we covered that more recently than that. Jesus, that long ago? Okay. Yeah. So we've done a lot of shows years ago from around this time period. So if you want to listen to those to try to sandwich around this show, then do that. But yes, this is the one week where we hadn't done. And this maybe the week that has... The wildest shit going on, of all things. As we go December 13th to the 18th of 1997. Yes. And we start with the World Wrestling Federation. There's a lot going on here. Yes, and WCW's part of this too. Although it's going to weave its way around to the the stuff you teased last week. It's kind of an extension of what we're about to talk about, but we start with a different element of it. After getting past the turmoil regarding the ending of Bret Hart's tenure and the finish of the Survivor Series match, the World Wrestling Federation is now facing even more controversy coming from three different fronts, all of which in some ways are related to Shawn Michaels. The WS more risque edge set a new standard for being gross on December 8th's Raw from Portland, Maine. On the show, Michaels interview going on in description and descriptive detail about how big of a smelly turd Owen Hart was as part of being a small piece of the turd that keeps coming back up no matter how many times you flush the toilet. Later in the show, after doing an angle where he removed all of his clothes with the section of his underwear, he looked right at the camera and grabbed and shook whatever was in his pants. This has raised some issues about the direction of the company when talking about its past marketing and some of its current marketing towards young children. The recent characterizations of Goldust and Luna with the illusions of having an S&M bondage relationship have also come under the same criticism. There's talk within the industry that the Los Angeles Times will be running a major story in the entertainment section in approximately one week 
regarding the contradiction of the WF running adult-oriented programming and storylines while having his television shows viewed by a young audience, which includes a sizable amount of children under the age of 12. And the audience are even being spo- and the shows being sponsored by products aimed directly at very young audience. Phil Mushnick and New York Post is also spending on some sort of short item regarding the Michaels interview. Others suspect it'll be an equal opportunity critic, also bringing up WCW in regards to Raven's cult angle and ECW for using porn star Jenna Jameson. We report to the industry of the LA Times article being on its way and faced with some severe criticism of the December 8th show. WF fired its own preemptive strike on December 15th for all on a short taped interview by Vince McMahon that appeared to be done earlier in the day. McMahon stated that WF was changing because they wanted to entertain the wrestling fans, what he described as a more contemporary manner. He categorized the new direction as more broad-based entertainment and tried to compare it to programming the music videos, soap operas, Jerry Springer, Seinfeld, and King of the Hill. Oh, yes. Notably risque uh, primetime series King of the Hill. And Seinfeld. And Seinfeld was a little, was somewhat more, although not like, uh, all of the time. They had the contest. They had the mango. They had, they had a few yeah, episodes. Uh, yeah, like but still, it's Seinfeld. Yeah. They were not controversial. No. He attempted to get pro wrestling with the sports entertainment term used as position as more entertainment, which because it's accepted as not being real, has a wider latitude towards what is acceptable in a sporting event. Saying that it used the term sports entertainment, even though they are entertainment simply because they're great athletes and great athleticism involved. He said the public was tired of the same old good guys against bad guys, using those terms in a very condescending manner. And so today's the superheroes telling kids to say their prayers and their vitamins are passe. McMahon tried to come off as a nice guy, toning down some of the self-righteous arrogance that made him such a big heel in his televised comments on Bret Hart. Without exactly saying so, he gave the impression that they would tone down the first hour of Raw, and the second hour would be more risque, so it was geared towards a more mature audience. And then most of the adjustable material from this point forward would be edited for the morning shows. He then talked about the new direction causing a huge increase in their ratings, which is an overstatement to a few-week trend caused mainly from curiosity over a unique finish to a well-high match and every week attempting to keep that story alive. We might as well go ahead and play this promo now. The uh, Cure for the Common Show speech, as it's been yes. called? Yes. Okay, so the, I... Hold one up on YouTube that appears to be the full thing. The uh, nearly four-minute version. So. No, so it's not on the network? Because I sure enough got, I had it on the I network mean, before. I mean, it is, but I mean, it would, I would have to open up the December 8th Raw and queue it up and everything. It's on the 15th. I thought you said that was on the on the 8th. Mm-mm, 15th. Okay, how far in the show is it? Uh... Okay, um, it's later in the show. It's before the Steve Blackman match. Remember when WWE Network had this handy thing called Chapters? It's after that. Keep going, keep going, keep going, <laughs> going. No whammies, there. Oh, there it is. There it is, okay. Big bucks, no whammies, no whammies. All right, All right. here we go. Oh, and it says on the screen, there's a graphic that says the cure for the common show. Yes. Sling Federation, let's take you now to Vince McMahon. Okay, wait, I want to hear the full setup. But now let's take you, ladies and gentlemen, to some editorial comments from the owner of the World Wrestling Federation. Let's take you now to Vince McMahon. It has been said that anything can happen here in the World Wrestling Federation, but now... 
Ooh, it has been said. There's another good Vinceism. Vince come in all smiling too. <laughs> now more than ever, truer words have never. Now more than ever, never been spoken. This is a conscious effort on our part to open the creative envelope, so to speak, in order to entertain you. In our- this is a conscious effort. <laughs> this is like, this is like the pure, undistilled, Heyman version of Vinceism. I've been here in the yeah. World Wrestling Federation, but now more than ever, truer words have never been spoken. Now more than ever, truer words have never been spoken. <laughs> this is a conscious effort on our part to open the creative envelope, so to speak, in order to entertain you in a more contemporary manner. Even- <laughs> Have you ever heard more jargon, like, just packed together in your life? Oh, yes. And in sports, I have. Sports press conferences. Oh, yes. Clichés. Oh. Yeah. Well, it, it, yeah, the all-cliché team in uh, Matt Watch line of the week, yes. Sports entertainment because of the athleticism involved. The key word in that phrase is entertainment. The WWF extends far beyond the strict confines of sports presentation into the wide open environment of broad based entertainment. We borrow from such program niches like soap operas, like the days of our lives, or music videos such as those on MTV, daytime talk shows like Jerry Springer and others. Cartoons like the King of the Hill on Fox, sitcoms like Seinfeld, and other widely accepted forms of television entertainment. We in the WWF think that you, the audience, are quite frankly tired of having your intelligence insulted. We also think that you're tired of the same old simplistic theory of good guys versus bad guys. Surely the era of the superhero who urged you to say your prayers and take your vitamins is definitely passé. Therefore, we've embarked upon a far more innovative and contemporary creative campaign that is far more invigorating and extemporaneous than ever before. However, due to the live nature of Raw and the war zone, we encourage some degree of parental discretion as it relates to the younger audience allowed to stay up late. Other WWF programs on USA, such as Saturday Morning Livewire and Sunday Morning Superstars, where there's a 40% increase in the younger audience, Obviously, however, need no such discretion. (laughs) We are responsible television producers who work hard to bring you this outrageous, wacky, wonderful world known as the WWF. Through some 50 years, the World Wrestling Federation has been an entertainment mainstay here in North America and all over the world. One of the reasons for that longevity is as the times have changed. 50 years was Vince Sr. even promoting wrestling in 1947? Yes. When did he start? 1947. It's, I think, 40, 46, 47-ish, yeah. Okay, so 50 years was finally accurate at this point. Okay. So have we. I'm happy to say that this new vibrant creative direction has resulted in a huge increase in television huge. viewership, for which we thank USA Network and TSN for allowing us to have the creative freedom, but most especially, we would like to thank you for watching. Raw and the War Zone are definitely the cure for the common show. No, JR, do you know the meaning of the word extemporaneous? No answer. As we have those Boricuas. Make up for this, you're like, uh, Big Ali G. Yes. I have no memory of them rapping live. Uraka Castillo Jr. is not in rapping live. Hi! 
shows I mean the thing is is that this is 1997 uh, the internet is starting to become a thing but not a lot of people have the internet especially wrestling fans at this point in time so um, imagine your common wrestling fan watching this and like what the fuck is he talking about <sighs> We should know, too, that they also posted a uh, transcript of this on their AOL thing that night. Well, of course. Um, but, I mean, if people talk about, if people talking about wrestling producing television now for the internet, this is exactly what this kind of is in 1997. Yes. Wow. Yeah, I just watched this fairly recently for the first time in years. And I was like, oh my god, I totally forgot this happened. That Vince was doing this shit. Good guys and bad guys. Oh yeah, he's just, he's something else with his uh, facials in this segment. I mean, he's, he's trying to be Vince McMahon, but not Mr. McMahon, but not announcer Vince McMahon. Yeah. It's a weird amalgamation of all the Vince McMahon characters. But anyway. Kind of, yes. <laughs> Does the LA Times story ever happen? I'm trying to find it. Yes. But when? Yeah. Uh, the week after our week, if I'm not mistaken. We talked about it, I think, on uh, that show. Because I tried looking it up on newspapers.com just now, and I couldn't find anything. I'm pretty sure it did. Because uh, I was doing the notes, and I remember Dave talking about it. Um... After our week, let's see. Uh, right, let's see here. I right, more of uh, Dave talking about gonna, what we're about to get into in a minute. Uh, Maybe in the January, first of January '98 Observer, but there was definitely media coverage. Um, because Dave talks about it after our week. Yeah, I'm. I mean, I'm searching for World Wrestling Federation in the L.A. Times, and there's nothing in December '97. Right, I'm going. I'm in the January '98 Observer. Yeah, like I see Tyson stuff in January, but that's all I'm seeing. Well, maybe it didn't. <laughs> maybe they didn't run the story, which I thought I remember seeing him talking about it. And I, I tried Googling, and I tried Googling since it, you know, probably would also be on the LA Times website, and I couldn't find anything. So. Well, that makes it even funnier, then, doesn't it? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> the fact that they do all this and then you don't even get the story—amazing. 
but that wasn't the only uh, stuff going on in in the Raw. Uh, okay, this is all that Dave has on the LA Times thing from uh, the Observer after our week. Mm-hmm. He said on the Raw that was after our week, you know, where Triple H and Sean did their you know the, the Christmas deal. Yeah. They said they said they censored the Michaels Triple H deal where they took their boxers off before the show. Period. Before the show started, the story was that they had heard rumors ahead of time as to what they were planning to do, and the censors were ready. Basically, you could see WF is very leery about their product due to the expected Los Angeles Times article that is expected to come out within the next two weeks, and whatever backlash that might bring. So, I mean, also the from the way it's presented on the show, I thought always thought it was clear that they were always going to censor. Uh, Michaels and Triple H, because on commentary and in the promo, it's treated like they're actually naked and not wearing jock straps. Yeah. So I don't think that was a reaction to anything. Um, and now just going through all the January '98 observers, hmm. no Los Angeles Times article. Hmm. Wonder what happened there. Don't know. But anyway, let's continue. Also, on the December 15th Raw, which was taped before word of these articles surfaced, but the commentary was done live. Of course, it was uh, done as the show was going on. Kevin Kelly and Michael Cole referred to Billy Gunn as B.A. Billy Gunn without saying the words badass in the first hour. Well, let's listen to that, shall we? Yeah. Let's see how this comes off. Although, from... When they just showed the announcer's table, or as I was queuing it up, it looked like it was Cole and JR, not Kevin Kelly. Oh, you didn't know? Oh, wait, I have to hear this from the beginning, the, the incubatory yeah, this is the, you didn't know. Well, well, this is early, very early in that. Mm-hmm. And was that Billy and not Road Dog? That's Dog. Okay. Oh, you didn't know? You better recognize. No, that is Billy. <laughs> That's Billy. Gentlemen, for your viewing pleasure, the greatest tag team to ever step into the ring. Both wearing their Cartman shirts. Of course, it's December 1997. Yeah, you better recognize. Video I, I had I had not thought about. Oh, you didn't know. You better recognize in 25, 26 years. Yeah, here we go. And the bad one, Billy Gunn. So wait, that's what. So it was. So they must have known already when it was taped. If he's calling himself the bad one, did the Steve just write these things without paying attention to the show? But on commentary, no, on the commentary today, do say "ba Billy Gun." No, I know, but the World Wrestling Federation Tag Team. Well, in case you didn't know, last week the dog strapped a chair. That dog is gonna finish you once and for all. We'll see about that, Jude Love hoping to bat a thousand against the WWF Tag Team Champions as we showed you. He beat VA Billy Gunn last week, takes on the Road Dog this week on Raw. These guys have the attitude to match uh, those T-shirts that oh, they're wearing. There is good. There is Cartman. That's oh, a three of them from okay. uh, South Park. I know that's one of your favorite shows. Well, I wouldn't wouldn't know about that. Cocky and arrogant. 
So Road Dog Jesse James now set to go. Locked right. with Dude Love. Dude Love trying to make it two in a row uh, against the WWF Tag Team Champions. So actually, wait. I'm curious. Is Kevin Kelly there when... Last week on Raw. This week he gets a chance to take on the Road Dog Jesse James. And Billy Mr. gets Gunn to the table. Joining us for a commentary. Okay, fellas. I know this is what you've been waiting for your whole life. is for Billy Gunn to come yeah, yeah, and put on headsets so these ratings will go up. This is uh, a Billy, thanks for joining us now as the Road Dog sets to go to work. It is okay, so different. Dogs, we mentioned Stone Cold Steve yeah. Austin says he has a surprise in store. And as we said, sources say that Austin has something planned, but he has apparently left the building. Uh, is he going to come back? Go away yeah. from this now. B.A. Billy Gunn. The, the, the bad one. The bad one. Now, during the second hour, Owen Hart went on an obscenity lace tirade work shoot style interview with all the questionable language edited out. Plenty of questionable language interviews by Steve Austin on the bridge and tapes involving Austin and Vince McMahon in their incident the previous week was readily visible through even a cursory reading of lips. We'll get to the Owen thing as we get to the show. Okay. Oh, yeah, because we're not even at the Raw rundown yet, and we've got other news. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that stuff right there, what we just mentioned, is kind of, you know, we could do that now. The Owen stuff needs to wait until we get to the full rundown. The fact is that things are only going farther in that direction. It's on the December 11th uh, taping of the Raw and Lowell, fairing on the 22nd. There's a segment where Michaels and Hunter Hemsley both remove all their clothing with the exception of T-back Speedos, revealing the words Merry and Christmas written on their respective butt cheeks. And there remains weekly attempts to get Sable into little as clothing as possible. The end result making Sable on tour this weekend, at least in some of the studios, actually get a bigger pop than The Undertaker. There's no question that has been trying actually far more than one year, although it's gone further in that direction over the past several weeks, to change from being a kitty-oriented show to appeal to more early 20s males. The group most likely to buy tickets to arena events, and the group most likely to create a heated atmosphere in the buildings. It's an obvious reaction towards losing the Monday Night Ratings award to WCW, which actually popularized the bad attitude wrestlers when the NWS spray paint pointing to their crotch, saying, bite me. Due to fear of potential sponsor backlash, WCW's attempted of late to differentiate itself from WF, and Eric Bischoff has ordered some of that behavior when it comes to gestures, language, and phraseology to be toned down. The Raw show airs from 9 to 11 on USA Network, and there's nothing more sexual, or for that matter, more violent, on the Raw program than USA regularly runs during those hours and other nights of the week. There are arguments such as were expressed during the Brian Pillman, Steve Austin gun angle that pro wrestling is too real to get away with the same network. I mean, same things that occur with regularity on the violent drama or TNAT show as much of the USA Network's late night programming is a combination of. However, much of the Raw shows also repeated both Saturday and Sunday mornings and very little has been edited out. If WF is going to put most of the risque, more risque material in the second hour of Warzone show, that was a recent decision to face the heat bit bad. And as the Michaels Helmsley deal, excuse me, wearing nothing but their jaws was taped for the start of the first hour on the 22nd. It's believed that material, along with the Goldust Lunar interviews and angles, will largely be edited off the weekend morning television shows. In different countries where television broadcast centers are different, lots of things going on raw don't make it to the airwaves. This, of course, brings up the question of standards in pro wrestling. Please, pro wrestling has no standards. It will exploit deaths in a war to get its top bayfaces over. It will exploit deaths of his personnel to draw television ready the next night. It will regularly advertise matches and talent knowing full well it isn't going to appear. 
to say it'll exploit the physical health of its competitors and then chew them up and spit them out as an understatement. Although in that aspect, it's no no way any better or any worse than any other sport with any kind of injury rate. It will exploit almost any situation if there's a possibility of mean ratings or dollars. Every business, including this one, should have standards. It just so happens in this one, the standards are very low. The economic standards are that if it goes too far, the audience will constrict. In this wrestling past, this has happened numerous times with numerous promotions. Although the nature of the sensitized audience today makes it less likely than in the past. A niche group like ECW can go very far, since it's not drawing a general audience to begin with. A more mainstream group like WF has an audience that may turn off by going t- too far off the deep end. But at this point, there's no signs that it's happening, even though people express the fear this direction will end up with that result. Television ratings are up. They're probably credited in most part due to the curiosity of a survivor series finish and the aftermath for Garden Bret Hart. There's no evidence that any of these risque angles have resulted in any measurable number of people turning off their television sets and disgust either. Arena attendance hasn't shown any decline. In fact, overall, it is on the rise. And the decline and buy rate of the December 7th pay-per-view show from the one the month before is more attributable to the television, more being focused on burying a guy who wasn't there, and less on pushing the main event challenger, combined with the unusual circumstances leading to making the main event a hot ticket. And not due to a turnoff because of the controversial nature of the angles or television behavior of some of their top stars. Other than in the case of Michaels, having to spend more time getting over his past opponent and his future one in TV and reasoning to the pay-per-view. Dave's feeling on, on parents who have kids watching is simple. When they started down this path, their parents probably caught in the squeeze with them watching something with their kids they didn't realize was, was coming. That day's over. The direction is clear, although Dave thinks the Raw show in the second hour for sure would be best served having a TVM rating. <coughs> Excuse me, as opposed to TVPG. <coughs> Excuse me again. Since that's what those ratings are designed for in the first place. Dave personally had a lot of qualms regarding pro wrestling when it was aimed at young children in the 80s. Particularly the idea that Hulk Hogan's name was used as a vitamin pitchman for vitamins aimed at young children. When he himself attained his stardom in wrestling largely through using excessive amounts of steroids, <coughs> he was hardly alone in that contradiction. As the entire business was marketed to young children filled with performers where steroids had become a staple of their diet. Then again, there are plenty of NBA players with dolls sold at Christmas and people who are close to the NBA that could point out similar contradictions between public perception and reality. By the way, because somebody else does the same thing, it doesn't make any less of a contradiction. At this point, if parents don't have, don't have at this point parents have a problem with the content, they need to know, and after a week or two of viewing, should know what it is and where it's going, and they should act appropriately. Don't blame the producers of the movie Scream Two if you take your young children into the movie and they end up being scared during some of the scenes. At the same time, don't blame the media for investigation and criticizing when standards of practice reach new lows. The shows airs on weekend mornings and stuff a sizable children's young children's audience, and where media sponsors themselves aim their products towards children. The WF is not only opening itself up for criticism but asking for. They can either modify the product or decide to attempt to weather the storm. Although the latter approach does have its risk. There's been no audience backlash nor any sponsor backlash at this point. But for anyone to predict what the long term of this will or won't bring will be foolish. WF was hit hard on many fronts in the early nineties and the problems did not immediately affect the business side. But in the long term, the business, and for that matter, the entire industry, took a major major tumble, and the result was several years of multi-million dollar losses for both WCW, while WCW was going to lose money at that point in time, no matter what the economic climate was. The entire industry started rebounding in 1996, and this past year has been one of the most profitable in this country many years. 
if the lessons of what took it down in the past are ignored, the probability is that eventually in some form go down again for the same ignoring of warning signs. I think what Dave is not taking into fact here, and he probably didn't know this, is how culture itself was going to change with the with the boom of the internet. I mean, you look at you look at our culture at this point, nineteen ninety seven, at what was considered taboo, so to speak, or what was risque, risque and then look at what's now. It's a totally different world, you know, in just 26 years. I think the most obvious example is Sable's outfits. You know what I mean? As far as something that would be looked at differently now. Like, it would be looked at as skimpy outfits, but that's an area where I think we've moved closer to maybe, like, not all the way there, but, like, to how those kind of things are handled in Europe. It's not considered scandalous to see a woman in a very skimpy outfit in a way that it was 26 years ago. Well, it's not just that. It's other stuff, too. Um, but that's the most obvious example. La- language. I mean, language, yes. Um, Violence. I mean, the one thing that jumped out at me from what Dave said that I felt was a little off was the comparison to, like, oh, don't take your t- kids to scream, too, and then be upset if they get scared. The difference is is that if you had your kids watching you were okay with your kids watching wrestling and just weren't monitoring it every week because you had for a while and there was nothing to be concerned about. And then it changed. That's, that's the part that it feels like Dave isn't grasping that it's not just that they're doing it. It's that it's, it was such a change from what they were before. You know what I mean? Scream two wasn't a marketing itself to children. Well, I also that too. It was an R-rated movie promoted to teens and adults. Exactly. That's your difference. I mean, uh, Dave, Dave making that analogy is not a good analogy in that way. But I, I, what he's trying to say is the parents should be faulted at some point for letting their children watch something like this if, if they know what they're getting into. That's the other thing. Right. The better example, and even then it's not one-to-one, would be South Park. South Park, when it came out, South Park was not supposed to be a kid show in any way whatsoever. No, absolutely not. It ended not. up being somewhat popular with kids. <sighs> but when it launched in the summer, the idea was, oh, here is an animated show that is clearly not for kids, that is airing in an hour that is clearly not for kids. But... It became such a juggernaut so quickly that it ended up having a relatively sizable kids audience. And because it, I mean, mainly because it involved cartoon characters. Right. And even then, from the jump, though, that's the thing. It's still different because from the jump, it was like, this is a show for adults. There's a disclaimer at the beginning and everything. Like, it's still not the same thing. Well, Beavis and Butthead, I mean, that that was the first one. To really have that going on, because when MTV debuted that show, 
it aired at five in the afternoon. Yes. Yeah, I was about and to you say. Beavis and Butthead aired those, after school on weekdays. And you watched those early episodes of Beavis and Butthead. And they were something else. And, like, they wouldn't even re-air them. Like, Fraud Baseball? Oh, that yeah. was banned, banned forever. Um, I mean, the one where they're huffing paint and all this other stuff. And, of course, Fire, Fire, Fire. I mean, because people were actually, kids were actually setting stuff on fire. Because of that, so they could do the the Beavis fire, fire, fire thing. Wasn't there specifically also a kid lit a Barney plush on fire? And that was said to be linked to Beavis and Butthead because there was a... Wasn't there a thing where, like, Barney was doing a cooking segment and caught yes, fire? Yes, 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 And then Beavis yeah. did the whole fire, fire, fire. Yes, yes, yes. yeah. So that is, I mean, a little bit before this, but this is the era where that shit's going on, you know, and... Well, the movie was what, the year before? Movie was 96, but by that time they had... They had toned, toned it down, and it was clear that the joke was, make, was making light of what idiots they were, in a and, way that, even though it was always the joke, it was more overt for... A general audience, as the show was. Yeah, they made them. Yeah, they made them dumber. Yes. But yeah, watch those early ones if you can find them. I don't know if any, you know, if they're on YouTube or not. Uh, I would hope so. I know I have them on VH, uh, VHS, not DVD. Um, but yeah, I'm looking for Frog Baseball right now. Frog Baseball right, Frog is ba on YouTube, it appears. Yeah, it was or from the it? pilot. It's it's from the pilot. Yeah. That's what aired on um, Liquid Television. And there's a version of it with uh, the... Okay. I didn't realize that was on Liquid Television. Okay. See, so that was repurposed really later. Okay. Yeah, because they made it to an episode with um, videos. But, yeah, there's other ones, too, that was around that time that was... Uh, woof. I mean, yeah, they just... They oh, it's the early that. animation style and everything. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, and Liquid Television was a prime time show. That's the other thing. And Liquid Television yeah. was a more explicitly adult show. Yes. So. Also, so, yeah. so, so you know, some use it did to ban the episode when, like, when the frog baseball T-shirt was everywhere. I'm sure some of them were bootlegs, but still. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. So, I mean, it's just that it, the nineties was this wild time where shit was changing so much. And a lot of people just didn't know, didn't know how to handle it. And then, like I said, once the two thousands came, internet got like it was and everything came, became so accessible to young folks, I mean, it's basically like, we just give up. <laughs> yeah. No, we, just, no. we just give up. Also, I I don't keep track of the rate, the, the condom ratings as much now. But, like, at least back then, like, TVMA was pretty much just reserved for cable stuff like Oz. Like, TV14, and I, uh, premium cable, I should say. You know, TV14 was what was being used for NYPD Blue and stuff like that.
And, and that's another thing, too. I mean, we're just, we were just a few years from NYPD Blue where David Caruso's bare ass was just like this national phenomenon. And basically, I mean, NY, let's be realistic, too. NYPD Blue, in trying to figure out what censors on the broadcast networks would be okay with, basically, basically, I don't know if I would say introduce the concept of side boob, but certainly popularize it, I think would be fair to say. So, yeah, just uh... – a wild time in culture, the 90s. Absolutely. Whereas the 80s kind of stayed on a level, but the 90s just, oof, things changed so much. Uh, and, it, I mean, and, and they, you know, we can't overlook the fact that this is also a time period where WF is heavily involved with jacks, with the action figures. They're heavily involved with. Um, are they st- still doing the, the stuff with? Uh, oh fuck, uh, Parker Karate Brothers or whatever. Karate Fighters, yeah. So they're it's, still doing this stuff. It, it, if they're not still doing it, it's very recently in the rear view mirror. So they're in this crossroads here where they're trying to serve two masters. Well, so. also, I mean, with Jack's got to put into perspective that that's still a fairly new licensing deal because the first series came out in 90 was it was 96 right yes and that was after over two years without a major toy deal they had the bendems but that was it and then so you know a year later when they produce a jeff jarrett doll uh it's it's uh guitar don't says don't make me, me, me no don't make me mad oh that's right it wasn't don't tick me off it was don't make me mad don't make yeah. me mad yeah they wouldn't even go as far as don't tick me off instead of don't piss me off yeah. No, Jack's also just terrible quality control too. Like the, like you could tell that, uh, not in the same way exactly that AI Im- image generators do it, but like they were getting some of this stuff ju- done in foreign countries that didn't know how English lettering worked. So you had the Jim Ross figure in the Raw's War jacket that instead of Raw's War it said War Tony. <laughs> He's going through that now, isn't he? War. <laughs> All right. So that's yet hardly the only controversy related to the product. Over the past week, coming in the wake of the Bret Hart fiasco and Survivor Series finish, two of those three remaining top stars, Steve Austin and Shawn Michaels, dropping their respective singles championships. Michaels losing the European title and under F belt without either doing the job. In the case of Austin, the original plans for him to lose title at the pay-per-view to Rocky. When he bought, a compromise was worked out where instead he got over his defiant anti-establishment role. Rocky got the title, although the reasons clearly made no sense, and Austin didn't have to do a job. As best we can tell, there was no heat regarding what ended up happening as everyone involved in the decision-making process was culpable of the compromise. Although the end result storyline made no logical sense in regards to my view ended up with a title. The approach Austin took, basically since current plans for him to win the WF title WrestleMania for Michaels, that since he's headlining Mania, he didn't think it would be good for him to do a job, a high-profile job, to a heel who's just getting established as a top man like Maivia, even though no doubt the finish wouldn't involve tons of outside interference. Not to mention, unlike in his past, his physical limitations wouldn't allow him to put on a great match and lose an effort. Whether one agrees with the logic on his side of things, it is believed. And it is believed that he has creative control clause in his deal with Vince McMahon, like Brett did. There is a logical argument that can be made if you want to take that side. Austin shouldn't be the IC champion today. 
He's unable to work lengthy singles matches. That title belt won't make him any more of a star than not having him. The title belt would be a big help in elevating Maivia, although he would be helped that much more as a new superstar if he actually won the belt from Austin. At the same time, the argument can be made that Austin should be protected from doing a job. <coughs> Excuse me, since he's going to headline Mania, not to mention he's currently the hottest star in the industry. Should he wrestle my view of his limitations? Also, had the truck parked in the angle on the truck parked in the aisle again as a gimmick, and had D'Lo Brown going through the windshield. They'd be hard pressed to have a good match. But that line of logic hardly makes sense for the second scenario. All right, can you imagine if we had this type of shit going on today, where a, a wrestler that was the stature of Austin? Refuse to do a job to a guy the stature of Rock and have all this play out like it did, how the internet would handle that today. Mm, yeah, that, that's it. Austin was kind of right because they had booked themselves into a corner because he needed to come back and immediately beat Owen to get the title back once he came back to close that loop. But by that point, he's already on the trajectory for the title shot and get winning the title yeah. at Mania. So, well, it doesn't matter because, I mean, in this situation, he's injured. You could do smoke and mirrors like Dave's saying, with interference, blah, blah, blah. Rock, get the belt from him that way. And also doesn't come off, you know, being hurt. But here's a question I have, you know. So, okay. So, Gunther's Intercontinental Champion right now. Do you think that he should be in a world title hunt? Say that last part. Say that again. That who should be in a world title hunt? Gunther. Oh, right now? Do, 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 yeah, I mean, right now, would you say that in the, I mean, he's going to be a future in the world title hunt, right? He will be eventually, but I think it's better. Uh, I get what you're Maybe saying. He has, he has to lose, right? But it's a different because it's a law. It's this lengthy reign and stuff too. Doesn't matter. Record doesn't matter. I mean, it, we're talking about a guy that's going to be going and winning a world championship. You know, because it's also a much just, different WWE because starting around matter. like ninety nine two thousand, they did start to have guys do a lot of weird lame duck jobs to get secondary titles off of them. Before going for a bigger title, wrestling logic's wrestling logic, no matter what. I mean, you need if you if you are a champion of a certain stature belt, and you're going to get the higher stature belt, you need to lose your second your, your title. That's just the way it is. That way, you elevating somebody else on up. It's not going to yeah. hurt you. It's not going to hurt you. Magnum lost the U.S. title because he was going to get the world t the, N the NWA title. You know, I mean, that's that, that's the way thing those things go. I mean, honestly, if, you know what should have happened? Position. I mean, here's here's what got them in this situation, though. They shouldn't have even put the IC title on Owen in the first place. Once they knew what the plan was for Austin, that neck injury be damned, he was getting that title at Mania. They should have put the IC title on someone completely unrelated to the to Austin's programs. And then you just have him get revenge on Owen and 
the slate is cleared to where he doesn't he's not required to do this job going into Manning. Or the only other way you could do it is do Hogan Warrior. Have both men go in as champion and Austin vacates all, the title. Yeah. After Mania. I mean that that would have been better than what they did. I know you want to get the butler rock. But, and, well, and you I know what, too? Perfect. I mean, make it an even bigger deal. Have keep the keep the European title on Michaels the whole time. Have it be for three well, belts. Why, why not? Well, why not? If I mean, why not just strip Austin the title anyway? He's hurt. Well, they did. No, they did strip him. And then he nope. came back and won it again. But that's what I'm saying. He shouldn't. That's the problem. See, the the problem was Austin got hurt at the absolute worst time he he got, he got hurt. Yeah. And they had to keep him on television. And they had to, you know, bait and switch matches. But it didn't hurt. The one thing they got lucky with that Rot was not, you know, affected by any of this stuff. Yeah. So it worked out in the end for him. Well, also from a character perspective, the injury actually did help Austin. Yeah. Because they had to focus more on outside the ring. Yes. And it let them do all sorts of stuff where he's kind of getting screwed around out of, you know, he has the two titles that he's being forced to vacate and stuff. Yeah. It worked out for him. They lucked out. I mean, there's another thing. What if if you keep the European title on Michaels and have Austin go into Mania with the IC title, you have him make up for having two titles stripped of him by leaving Mania with three titles, and then vacating the lesser two. Yeah, and I mean that also lets you get rid of the European title now that Davy's not around. Well, they weren't they were going to do that, so... Yeah, it became a joke belt anyway, which we're about to get into. Let's get to that. <laughs> After the Simmer left tables in Lowell, Michaels dropped the European title to Helmsley. Started out with the aforementioned uh, interview where they ended up with their jocks. Slaughter then came out and said that since Michaels hadn't defended the European title in more than 60 days, he was ordering a title match to be held later in the show, and that Michaels' opponent would be Helmsley. At one point, which luckily be during the first segment of the second hour, the match begins. However, Owen Hart did a run-in before it ever got off the ground. Matches then teased to the end of the show, and the two did a mock slow-motion match. Imagine this, a overtly fake pro wrestling match. Anyway, Michael's literally laying down for Helmsley and getting up and crying mockingly about how sad he was for losing the title. And Slaughter vowing nothing to be made a fool of, ordering Helmsley to defend the title against Owen on the ensuing Raw, which aired live on December 29th for the Nassau Coliseum. Since the scenario has completely unfolded, we'll just look at the topic, the logic defying in it. When Michaels won the European title, which the original was given since he won the job for Davy Boy Smith in England, those then given it presumably to stop doing a later job in April for Davy on the second England preview show, which obviously is never going to happen. It created the perfect opportunity for WWF to create a new world title contender, someone who could be put in position vacated by Bret Hart, whether it be Do Love, Owen Hart, Ken Shamrock, Vader, or someone else. That wrestler could pin Michaels cleanly and win a title, albeit a secondary title, which would largely spin off in the wrestler holding the clean win in the title match of the WF champion, but with the WF title not at stake. Getting a WF title run either on pay-per-view at the house shows in the early part of 1998. 
Instead, Michael's to avoid doing a logical job in a time when the job would have helped business and done nothing to hurt him since he's maintained the theoretical top spot in the company as WF champion. Instead, got the belt moved over to Helmsley, who's dropping it to any of the aforementioned wrestlers or anyone else wouldn't carry anywhere near close to boost to them to the next level. We aren't clear whether it's Michael's suggestion to get the belt to Helmsley so he could avoid doing the job when asked to drop it or the promotion simply recognizing all the problems inherent and asking Michael's to do a job when the real job they need without any compromise is the one to Austin. And come up with the scenario as a way to get the belt on somebody else without ruffling Michael's feathers at this point, coming in the wake of Austin not doing a job when he was originally asked isn't clear. For those scheme of score, that makes Michael's ninth championship reigns in WF tenure, three WF titles, three IC titles, two tag team, and one year pin. And he's done exactly two jobs to drop him. Both the situations were a short, known turnaround. WF title Sid, IC title Gennetti, until he got respective belts back. In the excuse category, there was one career-ending knee injury. There was one walking out after a fight and claiming, claiming unsafe working conditions. Breakup of a tag team rather than dropping a tag title. There was one uh, quitting the promotion. One stemming from a concussion out of ring skirmish. And there was this most creative one of all. That makes him either the most clever or the least professional champion of our era. Not to mention arguably the most talented to keep getting titles with his track record. You know, the end results are saying there's obvious huge distinction in where the problems lie in the process, solidity, and result of this specific instance. Not to mention the environment of all these things are leading up to. And the four DQ Indians on the last preview for a promotion that most of the year has attempted to run mainly clean finishes. But in recent months, it's become nothing but running DQs and top matches. Seems like the problem is getting more, even more out of hand. All right, where do we start with this? Well, we brought this up on the... Um, oh, God. We brought this up on a, a, a show. Uh, I want to say it's a Patreon show. Oh, the Tyson Patreon show. Michaels, I firmly believe, if Shawn Michaels had not injured his back... He would have done some shit to get out of trying to do that job to Austin WrestleMania. I mean, he was acting like he still might not do it the night of. Yeah. He he, would have been using all of his political, you know, cachet with Vince. He would have done whatever it took to try to get out of doing that job. Yes. Oh, absolutely. With I mean, even like you said, even with a back injury, he was still trying. So, so there's I mean, there's that. I mean, now as far as the not dropping titles in the ring, I always felt like it's a little overstated because, like Dave does allude to, a bunch of those were things that were clearly out of his hands and just booking decisions. You know. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, so I guess the ones you can say are really on him are this one, of course. Um, do any of the tag title ones count? I don't think so. Rockers obviously doesn't count. First Diesel, the storyline was them splitting up. And the third one was a weird pay-per-view selling gimmick that I don't think was Sean trying not to drop a title because he only held it for a day. So I don't think you can say that about the tag titles. I mean, I don't think you can really say it about either IC title reign because the first I mean, where he, he vacated because the first one, uh, he was he was right to be pissed off that he was being suspended for failing his test for steroids when if he was on steroids at that point he wasn't doing them the right way. 
you know? Yeah, yes. So, it's, I mean, you want to say this, if you want to, I mean, and even then, you know what, the losing his smile, that guy should not, like, whatever you want to say about, you know, whether or not he had a knee injury or a diagnosis that he should, that is a guy who should not have been on tour and working matches at that time. The guy basically cut a promo about how depressed he was, you know? So, like, it really is overstated. That said, this whole European title thing was bullshit. Yes. He does this to drop it to Triple H, and then Triple H won't even do a job to Owen, so they have Dustin with a prosthetic nose do a job for Owen. Yeah, people forget that. Although, actually, wait, was Triple H hurt when they did that match? Is that what happened? I don't remember if that was injured or not. But still, this is some bullshit. Like, it is. Especially since Owen was supposed to get a clean European title win over Sean, right? Wasn't that the original plan? Yeah. So, this right here, this is bullshit. The others, not so much. It's still still indicative of a problem, though. But (laughs) right now, there's a bigger problem involving Shawn Michaels. Yeah. Yeah, there is. But oh, I mean, now I, I see. By the way, from the way Dave wrote it, why you saved the uh, the near riots for so deep in the uh, first section here. Go ahead. Well, yeah, because it all was building up. And yet a third problem, which may at least for the time being be the most serious of all, occurred at both the house shows on December fourteenth in Memphis and December fifteenth in Little Rock. When due to actions and decisions that appeared to at least to people at the show be by Shawn Michaels, the main event didn't take place at either show, resulting in a near riot in Memphis and a full-blown riot in Little Rock. In Memphis, the scheduled main event of Jerry Lawler, Jeff Jarrett versus Shawn and uh, Hunter match never took place. Before a crowd of 5,078 fans at the Pyramid, Michaels came out for his once-per-week scheduled arena match and was met with so much garbage thrown his way that he simply refused to wrestle and the show ended without the match ever taking place. As I described thus, the show itself was poor, and the crowd, many of whom had been drinking heavily, were getting unruly even before the main event. Michaels did a few cokes, a large wad of tobacco juice, nailed Hemsley in the face, at which point Michaels grabbed the house mic and said, Well, that just cost you your main event, and walked out of the ring with Hemsley in China. When the crowd realized what happened, they got even more unruly. There was an attempt by Dude Love, who was at the event but couldn't wrestle due to a fractured rib, to get the crowd to chant HBK to get Michaels to change his mind and wrestle, but he refused to come back out. Finally, Lawler apologized to the crowd, but the crowd pelted the hometown hero with debris after chanting for Lawler and Jarrett to wrestle each other, and Lawler responded by saying that since he didn't have a contract to wrestle Jarrett, that match couldn't take place. That, combined with no refunds being offered when some fans began demanding them at the boss office, made the mood of the fans even worse. With General Field leaving the building among many fans, according to reports that WF had killed the city for themselves and fans swearing that they would stick with WCW. Of course, with the big promotions running so infrequently in specific markets, usually the fans forget a bad show by the time the next one comes to town. However, WBII, the Memphis uh, area TV station that broadcasts syndicated show in the market, received more than 130 complaining phone calls from fans that attended the house show by early next morning due to the main event fiasco 
In addition, that morning, another group of fans who attended the show were picketing the TV station from the start of business until noon, claiming to be in protest against the tactics of WF. Based on reports, we had the incident. The fans' actions could not be blamed strictly on, or even large on Michaels inciting them, as much as a few fans being drunk and out of control. However, the situation came close to happening in other cities where Michael's gimmick is to incite the audience and throwing things at him, including at least one recent case by saying things like he had heard the fans in such city had terrible aim, thereby making himself the target for every object every idiot had nearby. It was Michaels who decided to walk out when the fans were so unruly. The day back, Michaels up in Memphis claiming their officials were the ones who decided to end the show early for the safety of all concerned. Oh, that decision actually made the, the arena <coughs> even more unsafe because it made, only made the fans' behavior worse. They blamed the problem on local security that didn't search fans in the arena. <coughs> Excuse me, as they routinely had done for the rest of the events in the city. And that allowed fans to bring bottles of alcohol into the building with them, resulting in several drunk and unruly fans who had empty bottles in their possession. That ain't good. <coughs> the reports that they received from their agents in the road were that the fans were throwing empty bottles. And there were internet reports saying Michaels was hit with a bottle of, or fl- with flying ice. Although several live sources have denied Michaels was hit with either a bottle of, or ice. The throwing of things again to get out of hand the previous match between Shamrock and Phoenix Godwin. When Henry Godwin's antics to ringside started fans in the mood to pull up the ring. And when Michaels and Helmsley came off their main event, they might as well have painted bullseyes on their faces. Now the torch has more. <clears throat> Excuse me just a second here as I take a little drink. All right, Undertaker wrestled his last match for intermission in Memphis. When he returned from the back, his ring outfit was soaked with spit. Fans were not just throwing debris at the wrestlers, but they took the spinning at them as they walked to and from the ring. Security didn't do anything about it, thinking it was part of the show. That upset the wrestlers even more. Fans started throwing garbage at Henry Goblin, who stood ringside for the semi. When he got backstage afterwards, he was so upset he began kicking in chairs of frustration with the lack of order in the arena. When Michaels, Hunter, and China came to the ring for their match, Hunter did some heel might work. Michaels followed with heel comments of his own. As fans uh, began tossing bottles and cups at the ring, Michaels said, we're leaving. They left at the first period of the apartment angle. Dulo eventually came out and introduced Dollar and Jerry. They hadn't come out yet. He also said DX would not come back out. The fans didn't stop throwing things at the ring. As they tossed and the breed continued to be thrown into the ring, Dude said, maybe if we all close our eyes and make a wish, DX will be back in the ring. The road agents were running back and forth from the ring to the locker room, making it appear as if what was happening wasn't a planned angle at all. In reality, as Dude was trying to calm the fans, Michael and Hunter had already changed into street clothes. The manager was behind Michaels and Hunter totally and agreed the situation was unsafe. <coughs> Referee came back out eventually and said that due to the sportsmanlike conduct by the crowd, DS was refusing to return, and therefore declared Lawler and Jerton the winners by forfeit. A full cup of beer was then thrown to the ring and hit Lawler in the head. Some fights in the crowd broke out as some fans were upset with those fans who threw things. Costing everyone the main event they paid to see. Security had to separate some, some of the fans. Fans were separate with and other fans as they left. So, not only do we have the fans upset the wrestlers, but we got the fans upset at the fans who were upset at the wrestlers for costing their main event. Yes. Now, Ross, on the 900 line, said the decision by DS not to return to the ring was a decision made by management backstage. And not a refusal to return to the ring by Michaels and Hunter. He said the breed thought the wrestlers reached dangerous levels, although eyewitness reports said it didn't quite seem that excessive. Ross said the WF made the right decision. The safety of the performers and the fans comes first. It's sad a certain small segment of ignorant drunks ruined the show for everyone else. 
The next day, local TV affiliates in Memphis were bombarded with calls complaining about the situation. When a boss officer refused off refunds, a group of several dozen fans protested outside the, outside the television station. So, I mean, in this situation here, I totally agree with Sean and Hunter. Yes, that's it. Totally agree with him. I, I agree with them that once it got to the point it did, it was not wrong to not want to wrestle. Because, but... I mean, look what they were doing before they even got out there, though. I mean, Undertaker's covered in spit. He's a baby face. Henry yes. Godwin. And Henry Godwin, you know, was not a baby face, but a heel. Henry Godwin, was, you know, all that stuff was getting thrown at him. I mean, I was at those, some of those Nitros in, with the NWO and the tra- and the trash, and if you were a ringside, man, it could it, it was dangerous. Because fans are throwing all kinds of shit. Yes. I mean, it was dangerous, and I totally get it. If I'm the wrestler, and I'm in the ring, and I'm a target, hell yeah, get me the hell out of here. Now, that said, Mike, uh, Michael's bears some <laughs> responsibility here, though. We Not in Memphis? I don't think so. Not in Memphis. I mean, I do. Well, well, we'll get to Little Rock, but I, I don't get what I, I want to know why things got so bad earlier to the point that baby faces are getting spit on, though. I like, mean, there's something missing here. I don't know if it would change much, but there's something because missing. they were drunk. I mean, Dave laid it out. They were bringing bottles. Of, they were able to bring in bottles of booze into the building. Yes. I mean, think about that. They were bringing bottles of booze into the building. You know, I mean. Now, here's another thing, too, that I didn't put in here because I, I, I didn't know if Dave had this in his report. But this is nothing that Wade had. Um, everyone was on edge leading up to the main event for a variety of reasons. Michael's fuse was especially short because before the match, Lawler put up a fuss about having to do a job to him in the match. You know, after the match, Lawler, Jerry, and Brian Christopher were put to clear the ring on DX and end the show up on an up note. Ironically, Lawler used to always tell wrestling in the Memphis circuit when he was a champion, if you can't lose to the champion, who can you lose to? <laughs> Lawler pulled a Bret Hart or Jean-Pierre Lafitte by not wanting to do a job in front of his hometown fans. <laughs> so, that's going on, too. Yeah? Oh, and, and the run it back real quick, Bix? Yeah. Uh, Wade said it was that the LA Times article was going to be in the December twenty second issue at LA Times. Okay, but I mean, something happened that we don't have the report, the full report of the Memphis show. Something happened that really set that crowd off against the and on presumably against the WWF. Okay, now I'm looking at it in Wade's on the LA Times thing. Did come out yet? It's expected to be published within the next week. Oh, so obviously that never didn't happen. But yeah, I mean <coughs> something, something else happened there, but nobody knows. Now, Little Rock, different story. Yes, as we'll get to, if you've seen a photo from one of these shows, it's from Little Rock. Little Rock was even worse. According to several reports, the undercar for the show at the Barton Coliseum was terrible, and even the densest Mars were getting restless about the poor quality of the matches. In particular, a terrible match with Kane against Chains, 
an Undertaker against Rocky Maivia, a casket match that only lasted two minutes, due to Undertaker being injured and having high blood pressure. In addition, the fans are upset because the card that was taking place was completely different than the lineup that was advertised with no explanations given. Uh-oh. The scheduled main event was for Ken Shamrock with Danny Hodge. One of the greatest real wrestlers who ever lived and was on, also, top, also top pro wrestler in the area through the 60s and 70s as a brilliant NWA World Junior Heavyweight Champion as his manager for one night only against Helmsley and Michaels in his corner, which drew 6,449 fans. We're not clear if that was going to happen as we received a report that Helmsley was going to face Do Love in the main event, although that may not have been correct since Do had fractured ribs and was supposed to make an appearance but not wrestle. Since fans had no idea what was going to take place because everything had been changed, Dave's impression that this show was stopped when Michaels and the rest of the X walked out, and then neither Shamrock nor Hodge actually came out for the main event match before the show ended. Uh-oh. Michaels and Hemsley came to the ring and began riling the crowd up that was already mad about the uh, poor on the car. Naturally, they became tar practice again. And when a piece of paper hit Michaels, he told the crowd they had just lost their main event and walked out with Hemsley in China. Fans think it was just part of the act and didn't react right away. After several minutes, the X failed to come back in the ring. No pun for Helmsley appeared. And the ring announcer said they refused to come out, and the show was over. At this point, a real riot started. With chairs and whiskey bottles, again, whiskey bottles, being thrown everywhere, including the police trying to get the crowd out of the building. The situation got so bad that police had to spray the building with tear gas to get the fans outside. Several fans tried to get refunds and were unsuccessful. At that point, a second riot took place in the parking lot before the police broke it up. At least one fan was rushed to the hospital, but there didn't appear to be any serious injuries to fans either night. This incident was so out of hand, it was reported on the news later that night when at least one report given the impression that WF wouldn't be allowed back in the city. Although with this all happening at deadline, it's really too soon to figure out how this is going to unfold locally. The reports in the event live pointed the finger directly at Michaels for the problem starting. Although the behavior of the fans was the actual real problem. But like in Memphis, the real problems didn't occur until the fans realized they weren't going to see the main event, and that DS walking out was simply part of the show to get heat. Let's go to the torch. When it came time for the main event, Michaels and China accompanied Hunter to the ring for his match against Shamrock. The ex did might work, and fans continued to throw garbage. Michaels warned the fans that they didn't stop. He would leave. When the garbage continued to fly, the ex left. Then the unruliness escalated to virtual riot proportions. Fans began throwing chairs and objects and lit firecrackers, not just plastic cups and food. They had firecrackers, too. So they had whiskey bottles, firecrackers. Good God. Fights broke out in the crowd. Police had to separate scuffles and arrest several fans for disorderly drunken conduct. As DS returned to the back, Hunter got nailed in the face with a glass bottle. According to WF publicist Jay Andronico, again, not Jay Electronica, Hunter's eye was badly swollen the next day. Fans began chanting, WCW, WCW. Adam Duvall, not the baseball player, a fan who attended the show, said the fighting continued for the 30 minutes. I went to Maryland Manson a few weeks back, and there was all this talk going to show that he was going to eat children on stage and hand out drugs, he says. But compared to the WF show, the Manson concert was totally organized and safe. Duvall said part of the problem was security didn't check fans they entered the arena for objects. At Manson, they lifted everyone's shirt and checked their bags, he said. Duvall said he asked, was asked to leave the arena by security before leaving. Before leaving, he asked if it was safe for him and his younger brother outside or if there was a rioting going on outside. Security officer told him everything was safe outside, and security was posting out there also. When he left, there was fighting going on in the parking lot, but no security. As he left the arena, he saw paramedics tending to a woman where a child sitting next to her getting her head bandaged. Blood was gushing from her head, he said. 
One family was taken to the hospital. Police who were at the event said the chaos was just short of being classified as a full-fledged riot, but did say several arrests were made. The incident received press coverage in the Arkansas Democrat Gazette newspaper. That article quoted a man who took a 12-year-old son to the matches. I didn't get my money's worth, he said. The Little Riot reached received front-page coverage in the Arkansas Democrat Gazette, including a photo of a huge smoke bomb set up by a fan filling the arena. Police said they arrested about 12 people misdemeanor alcohol charges, including four out of five juveniles, plus one disorderly conduct arrest. An athletic commission inspector said WF was not to blame. Without question, WF did everything they could to, to do the match. They didn't provoke anybody that I saw. The big insult was when Danny Hodge, a wrestler from the old days, 50s and 60s, was being presented a living legend plaque. People were throwing things at him. Fans didn't show police or security people any respect. One guy was clinging to the rails. He wouldn't leave. Both WF and WCW had talked about cutting off beer sales intermission if drunkenness continues to cause disruption in events. The fans both nights were more boisterous than usual. Some were writing off as just Southern fans getting drunk. Others in the industry believe poor decisions in the past few months have encouraged such behavior. Doing angles with fans running to the ring, and one fan, Steve Blackman, getting the job out of it. Along the more adult-oriented, edgy nature of WF product has brought some of the same problems that have played ECW live events for the past few years to WWF. A huge F-word chant was chanted at uh, Goldust. You know what word that would be. And Little Rock. Kids also took part in the chanting. Sable took her share of chants that she should have nearly naked for Mark Merrow's match. WCW isn't immune either. The same night as the Little Rock incident, WCW had to deal with half a dozen separate incidents of fans turning in the ring during a live night show in Charlotte. We'll have more on that later. Crowds pelting Michaels with garbage have become commonplace since he made his latest heel turn, but these were the first situations where showing abruptly the main event never took place. Although situations before him and Michaels and some WCW house shows on the West Coast a few months ago threatened to get to this level, <coughs> and ECW was having fan problems on almost a regular basis of late. It came close on a few occasions from nearly having the show stopped on them before the main event. The actions of the wrestlers have encouraged fans to throw an object, so even though it's a minority of fans, some if not most drunk and engaged in mob mentality that are ruining things, and main conditions dangerous for the rest of the fans and the wrestlers. The fact is Michael's acts encourages it, and Little Rob basically calls the ride by walking out. So opposed to the difference between professional top heels that they can rile the crowd up to a certain point, but calm them down before things get out of control. That fine line is easier to write about than totally control. But if hasn't gotten the message that DX acted at least at two road shows need to be toned down, then whatever happens is being asked for at this point, because Memphis was a warning. After there are many warnings for Memphis, they've clearly been ignored by WF. Little Rock was no longer a warning. Little Rock was caused by ignoring warnings. Over December 15th could be a wake-up call for both WF and WCW. Because on a live night show that night in Charlotte, about half a dozen fans at different points in the show hopped the guardrail, and security was having a field day trying to stop them before hitting the ring. At least three maintenance in the ring. One stomped on by Randy Savage, another pulled out by security, another snatched up by referee Randy Anderson. It was described as single, the single most unruly crowd in the history of Charlotte wrestling. Blamed in some part by being a three-hour show with fans drinking for the entire three hours and lots of incidents of fans throwing things at the wrestlers. As mentioned before, someday the drunk fan or fan looking to impress his friends on television is going to be smaller than Randy Anderson, and the situation is going to get worse than it already has. In Charlotte, the main angle in the show was totally botched up because so many fans were hitting the ring, ruining the built-up climax of the show. WCW only has itself to blame. After the idiotic angle they ran to glorify fans in the ring of Halloween Havoc in Las Vegas, it was inevitable what would happen, and the fiasco's in Charlotte and Little Rock on December 15th for not isolated incidents. 
but the result of fans reacting to promotions on television have educated them to act. If they don't get educated differently, this industry is going to blow its current level of success. Not due to the risque programming or gutless booking of talent that thinks it is above the business, but due to unforeseen tragedy that's take, taking place in one of its live events. And WCW officials after the Charlotte event said they were going to institute a policy similar to the NFL, NHL, and many concert acts, and that drinking will be banned after the midpoint of the show at all the arena events. In addition, they're going to beef up security at the shows. So, here's where my, I know you, well, you said Michaels wasn't to blame for Memphis. You know, well, here's the thing. Here's the difference in that. Michaels just went through what happened in Memphis the previous night. He knew, he knew what he could do to, you know, that, that what he what he was doing could get this to happen again, maybe even worse. And then he went and did it anyway. Yes, that's the difference. And I think there's also, I think there's also the issue that. And both promotions bear responsibility for in different ways glorifying throwing things and all that over the past few months. Yes, I mean that started with the NWO. It started yes. with the NWO angle the year earlier, but then then you start doing fans in in the you know the work fan, fan in the fan ring run in, yeah which was and was not a storyline it was not part of a larger storyline they just had a plan to run in as a fake fan to make it look like things had gotten out of control but then you have you know the Steve Blackman thing right around the same time were you were you hired I mean you you hire the fan. And because it's someone who had not been a known wrestler in so long, and even then was never a big name, he really does come off like he's just a fan who ran in and got hired. Even if you know it's a work, it's still... Alright, more thoughts on uh, all this. I mean, how about the picture that was on the front page of the Little Rock paper? Yeah, for those that are are hearing that, this will probably be a show image. Yeah, on Twitter at least, maybe even I may even put it up with the actual show, but got the ring I mean, filled, we've got a cop looking off into the distance. That's another problem. Smoke. The lack of security at these events is insane. Yeah. You know? I know it's nineteen ninety seven, it's a different time. But still I remember there were metal detectors in buildings and stuff like that even back then. The fact that they're letting they're letting people in the fucking they're, they're even the film with firecrackers and you know? bottled hard liquor. I know, but firecrackers, smoke bomb, or whatever the hell it was, too. Yeah, like, uh. those people went in there with m- mouse on their mind. Those if you're bringing fire- people, yes. <laughs> if you're bringing firecrackers to a building like that, you you got something on your mind. Mm-hmm. I mean, you would expect to hear more about this shit happening these days. But here's the thing. Wrestling these days doesn't play off of that stuff. Doesn't play to that type of heat anymore. You know? I mean, good or bad. However you feel about it, they just don't do that. Yes. But again, we need to we need to stress though, Michaels was had and had been for weeks and weeks trying to get people to throw stuff at him. I mean, yeah. But yeah, I think even in his his mind, he never would have thought it would have got like this. Well, no, he probably didn't expect people to bring firecrackers to the building and stuff, but or bo- or, or actual bottles. Yeah, 
So, I mean, there's a few things going on. Like, it seems like in both cases, it got very excessive regardless. Especially Memphis. Again, there's got to be something we don't know here. That it got well, so bad and targeting the baby faces and stuff. Well, Little Rock, you heard part of the excuse was the fans were pissed off at the undercard. That it was just a bad show. Which it had to be the same because we don't have the results. I mean, let me let me get the results, and let's see. Yeah, I'm looking. You know, well, I, I'm pulling it up. All right, so, all right, so December 14th at the Pyramid, Memphis. This is what they ran: eight ball over D'Lo Brown in your opener. Um, Brian Christopher over Scott Taylor. Mark Henry over the Spellbinder. Outlaws over the Headbangers. Undertaker over Rock in the casket match, which probably was the same as Little Rock. Well, also, two Mark, people who are not remotely feuding in a casket match. Mark Merrill over Flash Funk. Kane over Chains. And Ken Shamrock over Phoenix Goblin. And that's pretty much the same exact lineup they ran in Little Rock the next night. So, obviously, fans had the same, you know, vibe at both shows. And you mix in, mix in the... Uh, the alcohol and whatever else is going on. Just this vibe of what is this shit? That was- yeah, exactly. Exactly. I mean, that's what I, I think that's, I mean, cause there's nothing that we've read in any of these reports that signify a problem that would have got everybody geeked up like this. Yeah. And also you look at, other house shows around them and they were not nearly as like lame duck cards. But then you got WCW going through the same thing as we'll get into, you know, we got into part of the hearing later on on Nitro the same night. Yeah. So it's not just a WF thing. No. And it's, it's a, it's a, you know, an alcohol and security problem. Yeah. And I did check. None of the newspaper sites have that paper, so we can't get a better copy of that photo than the one that's been online for the past 26 years. But, um, I was about to say, there's still times where there's inadequate security at surprisingly large venues. Like, um, like I've seen it, like, at, like, at, especially, like, for wrestling shows that, like, rent out, like, these small minor league ballparks. A lot of the time, like the staff will just be the wrestling promotion. Well, in indie wrestling's indie wrestling. I mean, no, but I'm possibly. talking about even if they rent. Out. No, but I'm talking about even if they rent out like a six thousand seat ballpark. When I've been to Ring of Honor shows, when I've been to WWE shows, they always had shit detectors. You know, there was always shit going on. You know, always. So, yeah, but. Yeah, I mean, is it, and it just happened this week. I mean, it, for some reason, it was all this stuff was going on in the same time period. That's the crazy thing, too. Yes, um, I found out one of the allies exposed about it on an Angel Fire site. Doesn't seem like there's anything substantive here, though. Um, trying to see if there are any other fan uh, anecdotes that are worth uh, I think I had a Google Groups post okay yeah so here we go this is this is first hand from Shane Dixon on RSPW about Little Rock tonight I went to the WDF house show in my hometown of Little Rock Arkansas the card sucked 
the lineup was not anything near what was advertised. I'd be curious to see what was actually advertised. And the matches lasted about three minutes each. Okay. That's something that was not in either newsletter, right? Just how short everything was. Yeah. Which makes me think the same thing might have happened in Memphis, right? Yeah. At the end of the night, Hunter Shelmsley was set to, supposed to fight. I'm assuming there's a typo. Do do love. However, uh, HBK was hit by a piece of paper and told the crowd we had lost the main event. Everyone waited a couple minutes. See if takes would return. Blah, 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 blah. At this, okay. So once the announcer said the card was over, at this time the chaos began. Chairs were hurled towards the ring, and police were pelted with whiskey bottles. The cops had to use tear gas to stop the riot. I had never heard so much complaining from fans in my life, and I must agree the card sucked. I'm not excusing the actions of the crowd, but HBK was not hit with a bottle or even a cup of Coke. It was just a piece of paper. It's the fans' money that pays his outrageous salary, so he should get off his throne and earn his pay. Maybe you should ask his buddies down south how to act professional and still do their jobs. I heard the same thing happen last night in Memphis. The WWF needs to hold on to what few fans they have left, and shows like this are not helping. So it's... Yeah, shitty, shitty house shows. I mean, that's what pissed them off the, i mean bad lineup with very short matches and that also did not resemble what was advertised so that falls on the agents i mean i wondered in the past when we've had these like occasional stories of like weirdly abbreviated house shows what the what the reason even was that anything like that happened you know yeah yeah so that at least explains things better that the matches were so short that the crowd is the crowd is feeling ripped off going into the main event. That's the thing. They are at a fever pitch because they are drunk and feeling ripped off by a show that was not just shitty but also full of no shows and unexplained changes and matches so sh- short that it felt like everyone was being ripped off and not getting their money's worth. Yeah. Anyway, I mean, just major problems here. And I don't know if this really happens much after this. No. I think that I think this is just a isolated thing. So maybe you can chalk it up to Southern fans being too worked up. And also Michaels is gone. I mean, he's he's not yeah. working houses, you know, anymore starting a few weeks after this. So there's also that. Um you know, like when he worked the crowd up, it didn't it didn't come close to this. But like a few weeks earlier at MSG, like I saw him work the crowd up to the point a lot, a lot more people were throwing things than I've ever seen before or since. And it definitely felt like a situation that could get out of hand. So like he had turned this into a stick. I mean, they, you know, they glorified fans throwing things at him at one night only when he, you know, screwed Davy out of the European title. So I think a lot of it, not even in a blame way, I think has to do with Michaels and the way he was presented on top of how he had been goading the crowds, too. So it all I think that's part of it. Well, WWF had never had that type of heel. No. They never played that type of heel. No. You know? I mean, this is southern, old school Southern Territories type heel shit. Yeah. So... They've never done that before, so this is a new thing for their fan base. Yes. How to react. But, uh... Yes. Well... A lot of, a lot of uh, 
controversy going on during our week here. Yes, but now let's get to uh, Monday Night Raw proper. Yes, yeah, taped in Durham, New Hampshire, on the ninth. Uh, our announcers for the Raw Hour, Raw's War Hour, Ross Cole Kelly. Michael Cole interviewed the Undertaker in ring talked about facing Shawn Michaels for the title of the Rumble. Undertaker said he only lost one casket match in his stand in WF and took 10 men to get him in the casket. He said he counts all the members of DX and that doesn't equal 10. Lights came, went out, and out came Kane and Paul Bear. Bear said, What a pretty picture. It was when Undertaker and Kane stood nose to nose. He said, The only thing missing from the family picture was his parents, who the Undertaker murdered. Bear gave Undertaker one more chance to fight his brother. Kane slapped Undertaker. Kane was slamming him. Undertaker blocked it. They locked in a nose to nose stare, and Undertaker then walked away. By the way, keep in mind that in storyline, Paul Bearer turns out right. Yes. The last word was Undertaker admitting that he purposely set the fire and killed their parents. <laughs> yes. They showed highlights of Lawler and Brunkers for attacking Taka Michinoku in the previous Raw, which led to Taka beating Lawler by DQ in 550. Before the match, Lawler talked about his huge weight advantage over Taka. A minute to the match, Ross broke in with a voiceover plug for the UFC. Mentioning Ken Shamrock's younger brother Frank will be competing for the UFC middleweight title. At two minute mark, Taka hit the Taka plunge springboard off top rope on the Lawler on the floor. When Lawler went for a drop kick, Ross called it Lawler's first drop kicks of the 90s. Ross pointed out a Lawler began pro wrestling before Taka was born. At 520, Lawler gave Taka his pile driver rather than go for the cover. He climbed the second rope and came off with a fist drop. Taka moved, then gave Lawler a Michinoku driver. Taka sent into the ring for a two count. Brian Christopher stopped in the ring for a two count to stop the pin. They double teamed Taka after the match, but Brian ended up accidentally hitting Lawler. And of course, Ross is getting off a lot of uh, daddy sud stuff there. Yes, and yes, Lawler. Lawler started wrestling in 1970. Taka wasn't born until October 73. Yes. Air D talked about facing DX in the main event. Hawk called DX Michael Bolton before the haircut. Fabio and RuPaul. <laughs> okay. They replayed Vincent Mann ordering Steve Austin to forfeit as he talked the Rocky Mavi on last week's show, and Austin gladly complied. Nation came to the ring. Rocky referred to himself as the best damn Intercontinental champion there ever was. Farouk tried to interject. But Rocky said, with all due respect, the champ is talking. Farouk did not look pleased. Yeah, this is the beginning of that. Uh, Rocky referred to himself as the people's champion. And said, last week, Austin stole my, no, he stole our, going to the crowd, Intercontinental title. He ordered Austin returned to belt. Austin then walked out and told Rocky he doesn't want him to do anything. He told Rocky he is in way over his head and then left. Rocky told Austin he has one hour to return to his property or else the Rock and the Nation will search the arena, find him, and beat him. And this is the beginning of the People's Champion because he just got the belt the week before. Mm-hmm. Do love of a road dog at 423. Ross said Austin had left the arena. When badass, excuse me, B.A. Billy Gunn and Road Dog came to the ring, B.A. did the mic work doing his best Stan Lane imitation. He sure did. He was very Stan Lane there. Yes. They wore Cartman shirts from South Park. Ross wouldn't uh, own up to liking South Park, almost if he didn't know what the show was. He probably didn't. Answers for, uh, announced referred to Gunn as B.A. instead of Badass. Ross suggested they call themselves the New Age Outlaws. Gunn said he liked that nickname. Their previous nickname was Southern Justice, but it wasn't played up much. I forgot well, about a lot that. that. There's a lot in that sentence there. 
God damn, that's a good name. Write that down, Bruce. But so we had them being the first sons of injustice, and then Ross giving them the New Age Outlaws names right here on commentary. I forgot that they weren't the New Age Outlaws yet when they won the titles. No. So there you go. Uh, they should have been the James gang from the beginning. At three minutes, d- dude went from Adam McClellan and ripped out some of his hair. Then Elsa said he was flashing back or morphing into mankind. Dude went with a double arm DDT. Gun tried to do dude with a chair after the match. Dude blocked it and brawled with gun up on the rampway. They suplexed dude on the steel stage. Fans chant for LOD. Gun and dog eventually threw dude off the stage into a table on the floor, although he barely grazed the table, which was supposed to break his fall. Oops. The ref called for help, and Gunn road dog checked on him and stomped away at him some more. After commercial, they showed dude being helped up while grasping his left shoulder and ribs. That's how he got hurt. He overshot yeah. the tape. No, he undershot it, I think. Undershot, excuse me. And actually, yeah, I forgot I forgot this happened on this show. It's a pretty nasty bump. Let me see if I can find it. I mean, we can keep going for now, but... um. <sighs> Okay, I forgot that he got hurt here, too, though. That explains why, like, he... Uh, Mick does slow down a bit in the ring over the next few months. Yeah. All right, I found the thing. Oh, yeah, All they right. replayed this month a lot, didn't they? Yeah. All right, let's see. Even more so than normal! What? Wait, oh, no! Oh, he did overshoot it, okay. He overshot well, it, yeah. Well, he didn't just overshoot it, he hit the... He hit the end instead of the center. Wait, yes. oh no. Yeah, okay, so he didn't, he only overshot it a little. It's that he ended up to one side instead of in the middle, more so than overshooting it. Yeah. More so than normal. And also, how about Kyoto being part of the bump? They actually shoved Kyoto into the mix. Yeah. Wait, oh no. Oh, <laughs> uh, he, I mean, he pre- appears to have hit his head hard on the concrete, too. And that was on a wood table. Yeah, that's a that's a plastic uh, like uh, what you call a table banquet table, like not banquet table, whatever you call it, like a catering table or whatever. So that table would never broke anyway. Nope. And notice that outlaws when they threw Kyoto into to dude, they 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 held his hand so they could pull him back. Yes. Oh, they protected him fine. But <coughs> yeah. And this is pro- this is probably one of Mick's many uh, hundred, excuse me, many of his undiagnosed concussions that he believes he probably number in the dozens to a hundred. yeah, he, probably so. He looks like his, he he hits his head too. So. Yeah. All right. Uh, Mark Henry beat the Brooklyn Brawl at 152. They pointed that Henry broke his ankle last year, which so does progress in the wrestling. Ross did not look for finesse. Henry won a body slam, elbow drop, and bear hug. Nothing special. This was Mark's debut match, by the well, return match, by the way. His debut was in, as a full-time wrestler. Yes. So there's that on this show as well. They recap Owen Hart coming back. Ross is then joined by Jim Cornette on color, as Warzone's introduced. No fireworks this week, introduced second hour. Vince walked to the ring and interviewed Owen Hart. When Ross said this could be a PJ Carlissimo situation right here, Cornette said, who? It's time for Cornette to watch ESPN and CNN for that matter. No, not old tapes of CNN from the 80s. That is referring to PJ Carlissimo, who was the head coach of the Knicks at that time that was uh, choked out by one of his own players, Latrell Sprewell, during practice, which was a major story. 
at the time. And if that would have happened in the social media era, holy oh, shit. Holy shit. Wasn't there some Ooh. kind of photo or video? Some, yeah, some came out later on, yeah. That would have been insanity. Uh, Ross said very few people thought Owens is a return, but those who have talked to him say he's a changed man. At the end of the segment, McMahon called for uniform security in the ring. He said it was for his own safety, but for the safety of the fans. He said, next week right here, you're going to come to the ring, like, down, ring down the ramp like every other WWE superstar, and you're going to compete in the ring just like any other WWE superstar. You're not going to run over any more ringside fans, all right? Rossi didn't like to look in Owen's eyes because he's been under a lot of stress. Owen walked up the vents and grabbed him by the lapels and pushed him away. Owen left the security company. Then fans chanted Owen, Owen. McMahon said for Owen to leave the building. Ross asked, has Owen Hart ever been more popular? Really good segment. Owen delivered a good serious style interview and was believable in expressing his anger and edgy emotion. Edgy. All right, let's watch this, shall we? Let's watch this uh, Owen moment. Who do I think I am? Who the hell do you think you are? You won't think I owe you a an apology. Whoa. I don't owe you a thing. I'm sick and tired eyes. of trying to please everybody else around here. But, and by the way, we should note. Me um, saying goddamn. Yes. But we should, since the, we were, you were reading uh, Wade's uh, recap here. Uh, it became somewhat clear in the uh, when we did the Montreal Patreon shows that Wade is talking extensively to either Owen or Bruce at this time. And yes. and getting the purported Owen side of things from <laughs> one of the two or both. So just keep that in mind. But anyway. And the b- stops right here. Wow. Well, I'm showing McMahon plenty of respect. This could get very, very ugly in a hurry. Now, my brother, Brett, and Neidhart, and Bulldog, they did what they had to do. And now it's time for me to do what I have to do. And that is remain right here in the World Wrestling Federation. I spent nine years breaking my back day after day to earn a reputation in this company. And nobody, and I mean nobody, is going to run me out of this company. And you know exactly who I'm talking about. Oh, yeah. I have a real good idea who you're talking about. You're talking about self-professed showstopper, right? You're talking about the icon. You're talking about the WWF champion, Shawn Michaels. And isn't that really what it's all about, Owen? Huh? Isn't that what this whole thing's all about? You attempting to gain the only title that's eluded you in your career here? It's all about the WWF title, isn't it? Like we've said before, there's something about the early Mr. McMahon that still sounds like announcer Vince that's so effective. He's not over the top. And not just that, but the cognitive dissonance that all of a sudden we have announcer Vince acting this way. Yeah. You know, it, it may, it, 
it made for something that felt more like disruptive, I guess is the right way to put it. How stupid are you? Is that what you think this is about? Well, hold on, boss. give a damn about- What? What he is, is he's Mike Tanay in 2000 WCW on Thunder. <laughs> where he's like talking to Medasia. I was a married man. If I wasn't a married man and I didn't have some morals, maybe I would have taken a shot. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's I not mean, that's a, Vince, but still. I mean, that's the type of, of character he's portraying in a way here. But yes, I. It's all about the WWF title, isn't it? How stupid are you? Is that what you think this is about? You think I give a damn about a worthless title? A piece of leather with tin on it? This is real life, Vince. This is real life. My life. My reputation. My respect. My dignity. And McMahon, don't you get me wrong. I'm not asking you. I am telling you exactly what I am going to do. And that is... And that is make Shawn Michaels' life a living hell. A lot of that going around these days. I, I know what Let you mean. Let me tell you. You listen to me for a second. You can call me the sole survivor. You can call me the black sheep. I really don't give a Uh-oh. Shit. Not good. Obviously, Sean Michaels, this is not a game. This is real life. And you started it. And now it's time for this little nugget to end it. John Michaels is a marked man, and so is Hart. All right. Now let me tell you what I'm going to do, Mr. Hart. I believe we have some uniform security. I'd like to ask to come to the ring. Where were they at? I'd like to ask for uniform security, Mr. Hart. Is to make sure, and he's real cops. We do not endanger the safety of any of our ringside fans because next week, next week, right here, you're going to come in to the ring down the ramp like every other WWF superstar, and you're going to come in, in this are. ring next week just like every other WWF superstar yeah, no you're not going to run over any more no ringside fans alright well also they're in such a small arena that the hard cam's on the opposite side of the yep. uh, standard yep because Vince was pointing to the opposite side when he was pointing to the ramp and like I said these are real cops right here buddy uh yes no any scum here look that's every cop in New Hampshire out here. I don't like the look in Owen Hart's eyes. He's been under a tremendous amount of stress. Look at what a barn of the Looks building like a this dog is. Eye a steak. Orange just like Jesse Jamis here. Uh, Orange. Owen. <laughs> he is. Owen. Oh. Maybe that's how he ends up in the nation. He, uh, he swagger jacks someone that within WWF was sometimes referred to as the greatest black wrestler of all time. <laughs> He's going to start singing with my baby tonight in a minute. Well, that's how I ended up friends with Jeff.
Maybe. Snap at oh, oh, hey. oh, oh. Yeah, just by the lapels. Cops not doing anything. Just to prove he could do it. Why are the cops are wearing gloves? Well, whatever Shawn Michaels has to say, I'll tell you what. In my opinion, Owen Hart's got some big nuggets. And listen to this crowd chanting for Owen Hart. Has Owen Hart ever been more popular? I don't think he cares about that. I think the question is, has Owen Hart ever had a bigger purpose, ever been more intent? And I say no. I've known him a long time. I managed him. I see the difference in Owen Hart. He's got a purpose, and he's going to carry that purpose out. These uh, police officers ex- escorting Owen Hart out of the facility here. Facility. But that doesn't guarantee that we will not see Owen Hart again tonight. And the reason I bring that up, ladies and gentlemen, is because Shawn Michaels and Hunter Hearst Helmsley, D-Generation X, will be in tag team action, and they will collide with the Legion of Doom tonight. And also, the clock is running on Steve Austin producing that belt. That was a weirdly cut off piece of audio there. Yeah, I don't know what that would have been. Um, here's the thing. Was Owen great there? Yeah, he was great there. Very believable and stuff. Problem is, you're, he's basically doing the same character as Steve Austin. Well, here's also what I noticed that I found interesting. This I didn't remember at all. So here we are a week after the initial Nugget promo. And you already have Owen and the announcers kind of treating it as something that Owen has kind of rebutted successfully and taken away from them. So I'm trying to remember, does that line and that nickname get brought up again until after both sides turn? And Yes, yes. But I'm saying, is it is it brought up again before then? I mean, it's used on television numerous times. It is still used on TV when it's Owen feuding with Triple H and Michael. I think so, yeah. Okay. But, but... then it becomes a much bigger thing after both sides turn and it's nation <laughs> Owen feuding with... And then you look at, I mean, yeah, and then they squander this whole Owen, Owen deal here. But again, they, they they already have Austin. It's hard to do both these characters. But you kind of had to do this character with Owen too, which makes it trickier. Yeah. Well, next up, that jobber Tom Brandy beat the Sultan in three forty seven. Sullivan yelled, Sullivan, Sultan yelled that Brandy is just a jabroni. As Sultan consulted with the Sheik, Iron Sheik, and Brandy rolled up Sultan from behind for the win. As Brandy celebrated his win, Merrill low blowed him from behind while the fans chatted for Sable. Ross called Mellow, inse- Mer- Mellow. Mero insecure. Mero's gimmick was written off by many early on, but it's working out well as a heat generator. I mean, you got to give that to him. Yes. He did very well in this in this character. Also, I don't know what's, what it is. <laughs> his gear and everything is the same. But this is the most obvious that I ever remember it being that Sultan was Fatu. Well, it's the fat ass. Oh, you th- that he's been putting on weight, you think? Yes. But even, I feel like well, it's even ass- more noticeable in his face, too. Well, maybe, but it's ass. They recapped the Austin Rocky feud, including what happened after Robin off the air last week, and Austin not made man off the ring apron, and man responded with rage. He went after Austin with a chair. 
Cornet said, my man later apologized for overreacting Austin's inadvertent bump into him. Do we want to see that Next real get, quick? Since it, that's from the previous week. But they didn't air it the previous week. Well, I mean, I guess. Yeah, we can. You know, I think we did it when we did that week. I don't think we did. I think we only played what aired live when we did that week. Right? Unless did they was this did they do the deal where they added it on to the end of the show on the network like they did with Summer Oz in that era? I mean, may I may have because I remember we played it. All right, let's see. I, I I remember us playing the bump and stuff. I definitely remember that. I don't remember us playing the aftermath of the show went off the air. So I'll I'll pick it up with that's the, the same thing. Oh, well, this happened on the air. Look at hell of a bump, dude. Well, Vince McMahon came off that ring apron like he'd been shot from a slingshot. Now, did Vince McMahon overreact to an action that Steve Austin claimed was inadvertent? Austin hits the ropes all the time when he gets in the ring. Well, Vince thought that he had overreacted as later on he apologized for his actions in reacting to Stone Cold Steve Austin. We had never seen that side of Vince McMahon. But then Steve Austin does that to folks. Okay, it's a different side yeah. in almost everybody. Okay, so there uh, we go. Yeah, I don't remember all right. that part. NOD returned to the ring. Rock said, according to his Rolex, his time is up. He said, Austin, just piss the rock off. So, all right, so we got to play the whole thing. Okay. So, Yeah, the rock promo before Austin shows up on the screen is short. So, Yeah. So the Titantron then showed Austin selling the bridge of the IC title belt. You know what's coming now, so let's go to the clip. Okay. According to the Rock's Rolex, Stone Cold Steve Austin, your time is up. And judging by the simple fact that your sorry carcass isn't out here delivering what's rightfully the Rock's, and that's the Intercontinental belt, it just goes to show... That you're as gutless as can be. Rock, killing that fanny pack. Stone Cold Steve Austin, you've managed to do something that you shouldn't have done. And that's pissed The Rock off. So now The Rock and the nation are coming to get my intercontinental belt. Rock in blue jeans and a shirt. Everybody's in nation attire. As you can see, it's a beautiful night. you got the moon shining bright up there. you got the cars going back and forth over there. But you ain't got no one on this bridge but Stone Cold Steve Austin with the Intercontinental Championship belt. Rock, when I gave this belt to you, I did just that. You didn't have to earn a damn thing. Well, tonight, son, if you want to find it, I got a few things that I'm going to give you first. If you're going to find it, you're going to need a few objects. You're going to need, you're going to need your little mask so that you can see under the water. You're going to need your little snorkel. Hell, son, you might even need a regulator because you're going to have to go deep. So I got you asked a little oxygen tank, and I really doubt there's any oxygen in the damn thing. But nonetheless, there, there the damn thing is. And I tell you what, Rock, take your little flippers because you probably can't swim worth a damn either. Here's a cell phone. When you find the damn thing, dial my number. And here's a pager. When you dial me, tell me you found your little belt. I'll page you back, put the 316, and give you the big thumbs up. Rock, awesome it's the biggest piece of trash I ever saw. It hurts me to do this, but I really don't give a damn about you or the WWF, so I'll see you a little bit later. Oh, my. No! There goes the belt! And that's the bottom line, because the 316 said so. You piece of trash. 
By the way, great sleight of hand from Austin in making it look like he was throwing the belt in the actual belt into the river when he was not. Yeah. Watch. And give you the big thumbs up. Pager. Rock, you're the biggest piece of trash I ever saw. the belt. It hurts me to do this, but belt goes I really don't camera. give a damn about you or the WWF, so I'll see you a little bit later. Oh, my. No! Well, also, I mean, it no, may no, have no, been no. a belt, but it wasn't. And that's. It wasn't shown clearly enough to where you can be sure it's like the real title belt or anything. Yeah, it's probably some fake belt. Yeah. Or a very uh, distressed belt or whatever. Yeah. Bottom line, because the 316 cents so. You piece of trash. But it's not like he's maybe holding it up to the camera the before. If he's lucky he'll find it. If he don't, maybe he'll drown. I really don't give a damn what he does. Well, Austin has done it again. He's defied authority. The Intercontinental title is sweeping with the fishes tonight. And Rocky's got a good swim in front of him if he ever expects to get it back. It's that special time of year. A time to put aside petty differences and show our love for one another. A time to foster goodwill toward man and spread holiday cheer. The World Wrestling Federation extends season's beatings, uh, greetings, on a special Christmas edition of Raw, next Monday on USA. 57, 757 Central. All right, so then we get the Vince thing after that. Um, oh, we've got a Jack's action figure ad. Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah, you know what? With what we're, yeah, with what we're talking about with the kids stuff and everything. Let's see this. Yeah. Headbangers. Well, let's rock two bells. The official WWF action figure. I had those. Bone crunching yes. action. So these girls want to slam dance. Well, what a rush! Championship series featuring. T- I love that the action figures fought back against them. I had that one too. By the, I had the championship title series. Yes, the Toys R Us exclusive. That. Yes. Title bells yep. only at Toys. <laughs> Well, folks, let's take you back to what happened just a moment. Oh, I, I love that sign. WF fans don't have Nielsen boxes. Take that, Brandon Thurston. <laughs> that is fantastic. That's an interesting sign. And Nielsen's misspelled, of course. Well, of uh, course. That's an interesting sign, though, to show up on camera, because especially in, in New England, because wasn't there... Well, am I completely making this up in my head? But wasn't there a point where Vince was convinced that Turner was gaming the Nielsen somehow for WCW? He believed that there was some chicanery going on, yes. Yes. So, interesting that that's showing up here on TV. It's a great sign, though. Yes. All right. Um, then we got the McMahon thing from earlier. Steve Blackman beat Jose of the Bariquas in 96 seconds. Those for equals live wrapping on the way to the rings, a nice addition. Ross again played the USC event coming up Sunday on pay-per-view. He said Blackman might be at home in the USC environment. Bizarre seeing Blackman get the spotlight on him on Raw while Nitro fans are charging the ring one segment after another, following his lead. Ross following Nitro's early format of matches in less than two minutes used to help establish guys like Blackman and Mark Henry without having them wrestle so long that viewers get bored and turn the channel. Next, we get uh, DX reacting to Owens' interview. Michaels and Hunter did rock, paper, scissors to decide which one of them would rid the F of Owens since they already got rid of Brett Bulldog and Nightheart. Hunter won, so it's his job to get rid of Owen, apparently. 
And then the main event, Legion of Doom beat Sean and Hunter by DQ in 10-04. Michael took some some bumps early. Cornette did a very good job on color commentary talking about tag team strategy. At 9-10, Animal got the hot tag. That's Animal Power Sam Michaels and shoulder tackle Hunter. Road Dog and Bill Gunn came to the ringside. So it says Bill. Uh, Road Dog not talk out when they eat the rag. What is Joe Sposto writing this uh, recap here? <laughs> China gave Animal a low blow from behind the ring, the prompt DQ. And then we get the, uh, something that you never thought you would have seen him to the Road Warriors. So let's go to the clip. Where should I start? With the right here. Outlaws? Yeah. yeah, it's fine. You went back too far. Well, you want me to skip ahead then? Fine. All right, that's good. Okay. So the interference has started. China's yes. in there. She's she's low-blowed Animal. Yes. Oh, we've got Ether. Subconscious. An animal nailed from behind. Hawkins, he's helpless. Hawkins, not, he's not moving now. The new age all lost. Bill Gunn has a good person. I was about to say, now he's wearing a Kyle shirt. Yes. Wait a minute, what's Billy Gunn got in his hand? Oh, my. He's going after Hawk. Hawk is helpless. And he, he's shaving. The new age outlaws are shaving. Hawks Mohawk. This is absolutely unheard of. Well, and look at look at Michaels and Helmsley. They're, they're all for embarrassing somebody, humiliating somebody. And that's exactly Sean's what Road Dogg and Billy Gunn are doing. The- Say that again. Sean was pointing at Billy and was, was doing the big balls uh, gesture because hmm. he's shaving Hawks' head. Oh, I cannot believe what we are witnessing. Hawk is unconscious. Hawk is being insulted, humiliated. JR, in 15 years, nobody, nobody has ever treated the road warriors like this. Man, this is history. It is a sad chapter of history, but it is big time history. Animal is still stunned over here on the near side of the ring. Hawk is, he's out. One half of his mohawk has been shaved. Look at this. And wait a minute, now they're coming up. China's got animal hooked up. They're all cut. This is a log jam. They're too close. They're too close for me. Wait a minute here. Wait a minute. Look out. Power bomb through the announcer my god how tragic animals back to be snapped here hawk has his mohawk has been saved yeah the one with the permanently disabling back injury is the one going through the table Well, it did hurt well, I guess him, not permanent. I mean, no. In fairness to to the late uh, Joe Laurinaitis, he was insistent that he was not permanently disabled. That his Lloyd's of London plan was to cover him while he couldn't wrestle, and then, despite the claim, you know, or the conjecture that he ca- that he kayfabed them and was like, "Oh, I can go back if I'm in tag matches," um, that that was Lloyd's insisting that he could only go back in tag matches. So. Still, though, I mean, you know, that's that's not that's a mistake on commentary that they're not putting over that this is a guy who missed, you know, four years in the ring with a back injury. 
Yeah. Animal is hurt right at our feet. And it's two guys who should know to put it up. We need help out here. The New Age Outlaws and D-Generation X. This is... Oh Triple H appears to be taking advantage of some changes in policy. Hulk is helpless. He's getting bigger here. Hawk is foaming for the mouth. Fairly injured. From a leg drop. Mohawk has been saved. Now Sean's going up. Michael's going up top. They're just like vultures circling them. Sean, though, as it goes to the end, has excuse him out. Watch Sean. Not bad. Not bad, huh? Not bad. There's gonna be hell to pay before this one's all said and done. He's now he's thinking. Okay. So, that, okay. so they're teasing right there. They're, that's the tease. But I mean, they don't join DX until after he's gone. So, okay, that's what I was going to mention anyway before you brought it up. Has anyone ever explained what the original plan was here? No. I but that's the, the one te- that's watched all the shoot interviews and stuff. So that's I'm yeah. asking, why I'm asking you. It's just, I, I don't know why they didn't pull the trigger at this point in time. I can't tell you. I don't know. Well, also, they... They put it on the back burner between No Way Out and Mania. Yep. It's kind of a consistent thing. It's not every week, but the idea that there's an alliance between DX and the Outlaws is a consistent part of the programming through No Way Out when they team. Yeah, they're just not, yeah, there's just not DX members. Although when they do the dumpster angle, where there's like this strong suggestion that it's almost the Outlaws test again to DX, when they do the dumpster angle, they almost kind of act like they had not been aligned at, up to that point. They kind of treat yeah. it as a new thing when that angle happens. So if it's handled kind of weird, and then eventually, you know, the, Michaels is gone, and when they're rebooting DX with Waltman, they also had the Outlaws the same night. Yeah. So... Yeah, I'd love to know what the original plan was. Like, what were they kind of slow-footing here? Was it always going to be right after Mania, regardless? Uh, How did Michaels getting her change plans in the first place? Like, clearly there's something they were going for. It just was... How different from what we got was it supposed to be? Yeah. I Mike, uh, I, I almost said Michaels. Waltman probably ends up in a similar role, even if Sean's there. 
Yes. So it's possible that what we saw is not that different from what would have happened if yeah. Michaels hadn't gotten hurt. Yeah. Especially since Triple like Triple H is the new leader. It's not Waltman. So mm-hmm. like everything else can still happen and it doesn't really change much. No. The situation involving the Sass Dead Boy Smith in the wake of the Bret Hart fiasco remains in, up in the air at press time. While the other members of the Hart family that were employed by Titan Sports have all filtered out, with Bret and Anvil on WCW, Owen staying with WF, situation Bulldogs uncertain. The official situation with Nine Hearts after WF buried him in TV angles, they did offer him a contract. He'd been working without a contract since he got the job with WF originally largest favor of the Bret. But also give him the ultimatum to sign immediately. When he didn't do so, his, the contract was pulled. He instead accepted an offer from WCW. This believe that WF would offer Bulldog a contract release, although at press time that hasn't happened yet. Bulldog's attorney, John Houston, Houghton, whatever you want to call him, has claimed WF that yeah, they Houghton, have reached... H-O-U-G-H-T-O-N. Yeah. I also have heard it pronounced Houghton, Houghton or Houghton, I would say. Yeah. <clears throat> claiming they breached his contract due to providing a good old unsafe working environment and claiming they weren't merchandising him to the level he deserved. Their position appears to be that they expect they would eventually give Bulldog a 30-day window where he can negotiate with WCW, but they haven't done so since press time. But in the situation with Brett, they want Bulldog to buy his way out of the reign of his contract for 150 grand if he were to choose to leave. Judging from the commentary on TV and other reports, there seems to be going the impression he isn't going to return. But WCW doesn't seem to be counting on him coming either. Currently, he's out of action for about two months after having an arthroscopic knee surgery done on December 4th in Calgary. And well, we all know I, what happens. If I remember right from the Montreal Patreon shows, they end up... I forget if this is what exactly happens or they propose it and it's negotiated there. They try to get it to the point where he has to do the buyout to even get the right to negotiate with WCW. Yeah. That it's not just a window where they're letting him negotiate so he knows he has a job in the case, you know, of the buyout. They're saying he has to buy it out regardless, which... Do we know what his guarantee was? I don't. You know, on this contract that he had two years, eight months left on? Like, how many cents on the dollar this is supposed to be a buyout for? But... Uh, it's it's they... just a weird way. That, the way they handled all this was weird, in that every single person was treated differently from each other. Yes. Uh, Dave has a clarification on uh, something from earlier in the show. Despite rumors to the contrary, there was no dispute about the finish of the December 14th main event in Memphis. It didn't take place. Lawler and Jarrett were to beat Sean and Triple H by DQ on that show all along, so it was never a problem with anyone doing a job. So there you go. Take that way. Hmm. Speaking, speaking of way, Terry Funk is talking with WWF about a three-month program early next year. Chainsaw Charlie. And which turns out longer than three months. Yes, but the initial program basically lasts three months. Yeah. Crush is given permission by WF to have talks with WCW. Crush is upset that he was used as fodder for Kane a few weeks back on Raw, and then Kane dropped him pretty hard on his head during the angle, which upset him even more. He went home and told the front office he was disgruntled. He has four years left on a contract with $200,000 downside guarantee. Even though WF had plans to push DOA, McMahon and Ross jumped at the chance to unload his downside. Crush was signed to a $200,000 downside when WF was panicking a bit over roster depletion and wanted everyone to sign long-term deals. That is one of the frenzies that caused Bruce Pritchard his power and led to Jim Ross getting power behind the scenes. 
As it stands right now, Crusher said he has to deal with WC on the table, and that's slightly better than his WF deal, and probably will take it. So DOA will be down to three members. Okay. Um, from looking at the WCW contract data, because he ended up being cut in November 99 and then brought back two months later, which I almost completely forgot about until I was looking at this. Um, going by what he made in payroll, it he so he made a little over 213000 in payroll in 98. And then 99, he made just under two forty one. He got cut in November, so yeah, probably like a slightly escalating contract that was making him a little bit more than his WWF guarantee, but with presumably less dates and all that. Like when he gets the new contract in two thousand, he he has a hundred days max on uh, his deal then. So this is an interesting one though, and it goes to what we were just talking about. Like this is someone who's not family or part of the Hart Foundation, but because they felt, oh, we we overvalued this guy, they were willing to just give him a release. Yeah. Which, how do I put this? When I say something like this, I always want to make it clear that wrestlers are underpaid, if we refer to someone being overpaid, generally, it's in the context of the salary structure well, of the company they were in. Here's my thing on that. I made. I think I've made this clear before. What? In my opinion, nobody's overpaid. You're paid what they thought, what what they're willing to pay you. They obviously, who's willing to pay you that money, thinks you're worth that money. So you're not overpaid. You know what I mean. Regardless, I know what you mean. But what I was going to say is. Relative to the structure of WWF at the time, yes, him coming in in 96 and getting 200000 a year downside was more than you would expect for someone of his stature, I would say. Well, I mean, they desperate. When you're desperate, sometimes you, you do things with money that you would normally do. But yeah, like, and when you think about it, too, like, he wasn't brought back as Demolition Crush. He wasn't brought back as Kona Crush, either heel or babyface Kona Crush. He was brought back as Crush, but with this new persona, with the, you know, the ex-con gimmick and everything. So, like, he... It's not like they were even capitalizing on his existing value that much, either. So, like, relative to... And, like, and was WCW really, you know putting money out there in his face. Right. I mean, so you're basically, you're basically negotiating against yourself. Also, in the grand scheme of things, I just realized we're forgetting something. This is probably also someone getting a good contract because he's one of Brett's friends and he came in as Brett was in the middle of the Bret Hart sweepstakes. Yeah. Right? Because when yep. in 96 yeah. did Crush come back? Fall. Let's see. Crush returns at the I'm trying at, at the July 22nd Seattle tapings, the night after International Incident. That's his in-ring return. I think they'd be doing the skits a few weeks before, or maybe they did the skits starting with that taping. So yeah, so he comes in while Brett's not under contract, and they're trying to woo Brett back full time. So. That, I would think, explain. Well, also, 
I just realized something else. They signed him during the NWO third man teasing, too. Wasn't Crush a rumored third man at one point? Anybody that was WWE talent. Yeah, that was on the market. Was was rumored to be the third man. Yeah. So. Yeah, it wasn't just uh, him alone for that way. All right. Um, as we continue here, there's now spent Dan Severn be signed a contract. The size apparently agreed to both money terms storylines, and Severn's given a contract, but he hasn't returned it yet. The contract will allow him to continue doing no holds barred, provided Titan and Grace to the matches as well. And that happens, though not right away. <sighs> yeah. But they get him in there, so there's that. They're going to have a new Intercontinental title belt May. Oh, I'm shocked. Yes, that's also from the Observer. And Well, they don't do it right away, though. It's not till after Mania that they refresh the belts. Yeah. Which makes me wonder when the new belt was actually ready. But this is the uh, first word, I guess, of the introduction of the belts that uh, Joe Marshall, Jamar, had made for them. Which, if I remember right, the big reason they wanted to change the belts was that they wanted to have designs that they owned. Yes. Because Reggie Parks owned the copyright on the base artwork for all of the legacy belts. So they had to, you know, especially as they're ramping up toys and stuff again. I mean, look, they just put out the first Jack's figures with belts. So as they're ramping up toy licensing and stuff and... The video games are moving into 3D and whatnot. And see, the Jax belts were the same as the belts in 97. They're the Reggie Parks belts, yes. Yes. So then they end up redoing the. Although the, the tag belts stayed fairly close to the Reggie Parks design even when they changed them, though. Yeah. They didn't change as much. I'm trying to remember, did they also go back to the Reggie Parks belts with the tag? No. Okay. They stuck with the newer belts. It's just they were the most similar. And I, what did you think of the newer belts? I, I especially the IC belt. I did not like. Uh, they were okay. like when yeah, when when, when, Co- when Cody brought back the Reggie Parks IC belt. There was a reason that people were happy. Well, yeah, well that was nostalgia too. So I mean, they kept they kept that Jamar design way too long too. It was not an attractive belt. Uh, and I say JMR design. He made it. I believe they designed it. But like I said, because they wanted to own it. But it was just, it was not good. Now the 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 new world title I think was fine for what it was. But I mean, it was also interesting that they got three new designs, and the IC title was the only one that had like a completely different design. The others were similar to the existing designs. So. Johnny Ace had a meeting. He expressed no interest in leaving all Japan, but expressed interest in working days between tours. Uh, yeah, I know. I know you do that thing all the time. So. <laughs> yeah. LOD's oh, speaking hi- of Laura Nighteye, LOD's hiatus only be for a few weeks since they be back on the road the first week in '98, not '97, which is not as long as originally was planned on being. And they don't end up coming back till Mania, do they? Yeah. Among the items to the TV was eventually a feud between Rocky and Farouk over the leadership in the nation and the apparent adding of the New Age Outlaws to DX. And Rocky and Farouk don't ever really actually feud after the split. 
No, they don't. Which is weird. Yeah, which... I'm trying to figure out how you use Farouk as a babyface, because... Yeah, he just kind of gets pushed out of the nation, and then he just flounders as this prelim babyface for a while. Until him and Brashaw were united. Which, honestly, you can say saved his career. Oh, most definitely. He was going nowhere. Like, yeah. honestly, given given Russo and everything, it's actually kind of amazing that they that they didn't do any, like, I renounce Farouk, I am Ron Simmons thing, too. He just stayed Farouk for years. Well, it wasn't years. It was a year. A year. In the 2000s, he was still Farouk. Oh, no, no, no. I thought you meant during that period. Yes. No, he was always, he was Farouk the rest of the time he was an active wrestler. <laughs> Sean, back to the torch. Shawn Michaels on reports of occasional friction between himself and fellow clip members. Kevin Nash, Scott Hall, and Sean Waltman. This to the Charleston Post Courier, Mike Mooneyham. We all get along wonderfully and probably talk every week or every other week. What bothers people about us is that we're true friends, and true friends are very rare in this business. Well, he is right there. That's not what bothers people about them. That said, I, I, I mean, I even wrote something about this. I think it was after Scott Hall died. Like, I think their legacy should be more the closeness of their friendships than it had been. Yeah. Business could have very easily, the wrestling business could have very easily tore apart their friendships. And it did. And, and they've been all friends for 30 years now, basically. Yes. And, you know, sticking by each other through addictions and all sorts of shit. I mean, look, I mean, and this is, you know, both considering the substance issues they were going through, and even if you didn't, like, a lot of friendships probably would have ended with something like Waltman getting together with China. Oh, yes. Yeah. And it didn't. And it didn't, it didn't, nope. hurt, it didn't hurt his Hunter's friendship one bit. No. There is some heat on Sonny for a march she made publicly, basically saying they have made a mistake and get rid of Bret Hart. And also saying her suggestion to prove the WF would be to get rid of every wrestler who weighs more than 300 pounds. <laughs> oh, sunny, 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 sunny. Yeah. I mean, we haven't talked on, even on halftime about the plea deal and her sentencing or anything. Um, I mean, what is there to talk about? I don't know to say at this point. Right. She, I mean, she was fucking guilty. I mean, you know? I mean, and regardless, I mean, even if she hadn't killed someone, regardless of how you feel about, like, the criminal justice system and stuff, like, it really did get to a point where it's like, what the fuck do you do with this person? She kept driving and getting all these DUIs without a license. Some people deserve to be in jail. Yeah, like, and then she... I mean, they just do. And, and even then, like, and kind of, te you know, pulling it back to 1997... How about her pretending that she didn't have drug issues until Candido died? Yeah. That was... Like, I'm sure they got worse then. Don't get me wrong. And it seems like her issues clearly got worse then after having gotten a little better for a while. But... Obviously there was an issue already by this point. I mean, it was... What the... What was it that... Like, didn't, like, she, like, lock herself... She and Candido lock her themselves... 
in Pettingill's bathroom when they were filming the Elmo skit. Like, yeah. shit had been going on for a while by this point. This was... So, you know, and then as far as her in the media, like... She and Chris are sort I mean, Chris isn't there anymore, but they're both certainly right to be frustrated. You know, like, she's completely aced out by the Sable push and how they decided to de-emphasize her along with that on top, you know, her issues. And that also, you know, a year, you know, about a year before this, they had decided to just turn her into a personality and not use her as a manager anymore. And... So I get it, and she's upset that Chris got misused and all that. So, you know, get rid of every wrestler who weighs more than 300 pounds. I almost completely forgot that she had ever said that. Um, but she is acting out in a way that is... It would get her fined by Brian Danielson if she said it today. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of them getting fined by Brian Danielson for shit they say. Yeah. Yeah, but you know what though? I wonder if since this is the week of the LOD angle, I wonder if they come up with the idea of her managing LOD two thousand around this time to placate her. Yeah. So, well, there's the first half of our notes. <clears throat> yeah, that is the first half of the show. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, it is halftime. So uh, after we play some great 1997 commercials, we'll come back and we'll talk about the Patreon show, streaming friends, hit some plugs. And then we'll come back and go uh, to Japan where we'll have news on uh, Ultimate Japan and what was supposed to happen on the Ultimate Japan show. With, well, so and we should say specifically, you know, people who don't necessarily normally listen to the Japan section. Uh, there's a bunch of WWF-related stuff on there because it was supposed to be Ken Shamrock versus Nobuhiko Takada, and that got canceled. So you might want to stay tuned even if you normally skip that section. Then you got Tokyo Sports with their uh, 1997 awards, Masahiro Chono's shooting angles in Japan, Takamichinoku returns to Japan from from WWF, and uh, lots more. We'll have that after the break. never played a doctor. He's never played a lawyer. He's never played a cop. He's Juwan Howard. He's a leading man on TV's biggest primetime drama. This light is all wrong for me. 348 leading <laughs> men. And not one script. The NBA on TNT and PBS. Primetime. Nationwide. Three nights a week. Don't miss a game. In the spirit of the season, we remind you that as of Friday, there will be six shopping days till Christmas. It's AIM's last chance 18-hour sale. Friday from 6 a.m. to midnight. 25% off all board games and Barbies. 30% off all denim. 50% off all trimetry. 50% off all open stock Revere, T-Pal, and Barberware. 30% off all furniture. 40% off all outerwear. 75% off all fine jewelry. Friday only at AIM's. Okay, there we go. Who's on the line? My voice is my life. A sore throat? 
death because I talk for a living. I do talk radio, caller after caller after caller. So when I get a sore throat, I count on chloroceptic. Five sprays and its powerful ingredient delivers pain relief on contact. Pain relief that penetrates. Pain relief that's long-lasting. It's a free country, but oh, please. We got a live one. Vicks Chloroceptic. Five sprays for instant relief that stays. You sold her home and are holding the note, and now you wait every month for the mortgage check. Why spend your time worrying about a check when you can have your cash now? J.G. Wentworth will pay you cash now and purchase the note, and you'd be free to enjoy a better life. Representatives are standing by to answer all your questions. So if you're holding the note on a home you sold, J.G. Wentworth will give you cash now. For a better tomorrow, call 1-800-672-0215. Weapons hot. The year is 2245, and humans are the bad guys. Fire it, will fire! Watch In the Beginning, the first ever Babylon 5 movie, Sunday, January 4th at 8 on TNT. Tonight, Clark learns about how he arrived on Earth. I want to hear about how you found me. Watch Lois and Clark, tonight at 7 on TNT. Cups of rice checks. Three cups of corn checks. Three cups of wheat checks. Here's what, what you, you add next. Four pretzel snitchers. Three peanut lovers. Five hungry kids. No matter who drops in. The perfect snack is what you've got. For your party mix, check marks on spot. You plan on brushing your teeth. Is this a trick question? We can't just clean the front of things. Why not? That's all you see. The dentist told mommy problems can start where we can't see. Introducing the Crest Multi-Clean Toothbrush. It not only cleans deep between teeth, its cup-shaped design surrounds and helps clean all around every tooth, even some places you can't see. Mom, you don't miss a thing. New Crest Multi-Clean. Fits between to get teeth clean. Gotta keep pushing. <laughs> Hell can't slow me down. Colds can't either. In the day-to-day -day race, you don't have time for a bad cold. You need Alka-Seltzer Plus, the only cold medicine that combines ingredients to relieve your worst symptoms with a burst of effervescence that's ready to speed relief the instant you take it. No cold pill can do all that, so get back in the race with Alka-Seltzer Plus. People ask me why I don't do a triathlon. I tell them I'm not ready for a vacation. Alka-Seltzer Plus, the strength and speed you need. Come celebrate at the Olive Garden with Tuscan Holiday Feast. There's Mediterranean garlic shrimp, stuffed chicken and spinach manicotti, and a sirloin steak grilled Tuscan style. Enjoy the festival and the unlimited salad and breadsticks, all just $11.95 at the Olive Garden. Let me get this straight. It's not enough that I'm a pop culture phenomenon, superhero, tights-wearing type of guy in touch with my yin and my yang. No. What do you people want from me? Ratings, viewers, and a small black purse that goes with everything. Oh, Space Ghost Coast to Coast, a Cartoon Network kind of talk show. The hunt is on for a band of escaped outlaws. But will a case of mistaken identity send Robin to an early grave? Kill him with pleasure. Take aim and let fly for the new adventures of Robin Hood. Saturday at 11 a.m. only on TNT. All right, we're back. I've been Charles Great 1997 commercials as a fifth and a half times seven. We're going to talk about our Patreon, patreon.com slash between the sheets. And we've already started recording our newest show. And we'll record more to record this segment. But yes, our show for the month of December will be looking at the Von Erics and uh, the, some some interesting coverage of the Von Erics in the latter years. Uh, different magazine articles and stuff like that, stuff that wasn't really talked about a whole lot in the, new, in the newsletters. But uh, you'll get a lot of uh, interesting details. 
into the family life of the Von Erics in the latter years. And uh, from what we've done so far, I mean, you get a very interesting look at what they were like, like right after Mike's death in the D magazine article that we talk about yeah. at the beginning of the show. And, uh, yeah, this, this, this will be quite the show. Um, you know, the reviews from the movie that have already come out, talked about how, uh, depressing the movie is. Uh, this shows not going to be a whole lot more, uh, bright. I tell you that either. Um, but I mean, when you're dealing with this situation and all the stuff that was going on, I mean, that's, that's the story. And I, I'm, I'm interested to get your thoughts on this. I mean, the, they really only play one trailer right now on television. Yes. But when you watch that trailer, it does not prepare it, anyone it, yes. for what's coming in that movie. No. Exactly. That's what that, I'm definitely curious to see how that's going to go over. Cause I mean, the movie's pretty heavy, but if you watch the trailer, you would not think it was gonna be like that at all. You know? No. I mean, it's, it's, that, and that happens sometimes with movies, but uh, yeah, this one, it's going to be interesting to see what kind of reaction people will have from that that don't really know what the deal is. But um, but yeah, our Patreon show is coming out uh, in the month yes. to coincide with the movie. So $5 a month gets you access to that and all the other shows that we've done in our seven plus years of the Patreon. So patreon.com slash twin sheets, go there. And uh, yeah, let's... Uh, Let's get uh, let's get some subscriptions up here for the holiday season. Um, yes, there's gonna be and, a lot of uh, great shows coming out in the next year too. Believe me, that we'll be talking about as time goes on. Go ahead, Bex. And don't forget, it's not just magazine articles that we're gonna be talking about. We're gonna have Carrie's only ever like shoot insider whatever interview too for Wrestling Flyer. <laughs> you know, in these notes we on this show we've got uh, that we haven't recorded yet that part yet. You know, Kevin Von Erich in PWI after Carrie's death. Yeah, you know, there's Penthouse a lot of magazine. Yeah, or or, or much things. Penthouse article. You know the article from I think it was '05 in Texas Monthly. Gary Hart's thoughts from his book. You know the some stuff from Carrie's friends after his death in Wrestling Flyer. So th- there's a lot there, and it's mainly from the the family and people who knew them. Yeah, so uh, a lot. A lot, and this, uh, if, you know, like I said, the reason we're doing this is because of the movie. So everything is very timely, and uh, yeah, so everybody check that out. Five um, dollars a month, one dollar a month gets you access to the Discord and thanks to this. I'm at twenty five dollars. I you pick a show for the week. Now, if you want to do that, have two shows in mind, just in case the show that you want to do, maybe something that uh, we've done already, or it could be something that's already reserved on the calendar from somebody else. Uh, get with me and Bix on about that, uh, why you want to do the show, and uh, we'll see if we can make that work. Follow the protocol on the Patreon website, too, as far as uh, the 30-day rules in effect, 10-year rules in effect, Wednesday to Tuesday on the timeline, all that stuff is there at patreon.com slash twin sheets. $50 allows you a second for the show if you choose, and 100 for the whole show if you choose. All that more, patreon.com slash between the sheets. All right, big so I think this week is our new and or returning patrons. 
Alright, we've got several here we would like to thank. Okay, so there's one there's one here that date-wise, based on what was in my email, should have been last week, even with us recording earlier than usual, but the email was unread, and I always click these to go grab the subject line for my little list. So I don't think we read this name last week, but I mentioned in case we did. Uh, so Scott Bernard. Thank you, Scott. And then we've got uh, Prez Ricard. Was that Prez? P-R-E-Z, yes. All right, thanks, Prez. Then we have Miles. Thanks, Miles. Then we've got uh, the returning Rich Moulton. Thanks, Rich. Then we have Matt. Thanks, Matt. Don't know which one. No, there's a lot of Matts. Yes. And finally, uh, Brandon Frazier. Not to be confused with Brendan Fraser. Thank you, Brandon Fraser. Yeah. So we thank all you new patrons, old patrons, patrons that have been there from the beginning, came back, left, whatever. We thank all of you for your support at patreon.com slash between the sheets. All right, because we have some big news in our streaming uh, section here, as one of our streaming friends has rebranded. So, what's going on in the world of IWTV and Triller TV this week? Yeah, yeah, Fight TV is now Triller TV, taking on the name of parent company Triller, because Triller bought them, was it last year? Maybe two years ago, I can't remember. It was within the last two years. So yes, now they are Triller TV, which... I mean, it is the bigger brand, and maybe that signals them going in... <sighs> more directions with the non-combat sports content. It seems like they're heading that way anyway, so... With the music and the soccer and whatever, so... <clears throat> Which, this, I mean, it could be a bad sign for some of these rest promotion. I hope not, because we have a lot of friends that do business with them, but uh, if this is going to be one of those things where they rebrand and then, you know, go to with some of these cable networks that used to be niche networks for certain subjects and now become this all-encompassing deal, then yeah, we'll see. Yeah. Like, I mean, I mean, think about it. Alright, so CMT, Country Music Television. Mm -hmm. I mean, all they show now is fucking movies and TV shows. Uh, you know, it's like um, MTV is its own, I mean, that's MTV. We all know about that. But, um, Logo. Logo. Logos is one of the ones, you know, Logo was a, you know, gay-centric channel, and now it shows, like, Bewitched and Married with Children and stuff like that. Although, I mean, <laughs> Bewitched, you had some <laughs> Dick Sargent on there, so I guess I can, I can you know, but, uh, I mean, still, I mean, you just, these, these... I let you bring up Bewitched, it's gay, wait, <laughs> It had what's his face? It had Paul Lind on it, and you're bringing up Dick. Well, Sargent. Paul Lind, yes, but Dick Sargent was gay too, okay. <laughs> and plus he had a great name for a gay man, Dick Sargent. I didn't know Dick Sargent was gay. He came out later. Okay. Yeah, he came out I think in the nineties. Huh. Yeah. But it also has Paul Lind doing the Paul Lind character. Well, of course. <laughs> but, but yeah, but yeah, we just, we, you, you're losing these like niche channels now and, um, hopefully Triller TV doesn't do that to the combat sports community here. 
so anyway, um, you know, with, I guess, Christmas weekend being part of all this week, uh, which, boy, this month went by quickly. Um, just a couple shows coming up this week. Thursday at 7.30 Eastern, uh, GCW has Holiday Special 2023 live from the quote-unquote Mecca, the uh, beautiful Phil Sheridan building slash Knights of Columbus in Ridgefield Park, New Jersey. And first match announced, at least already, is uh, Joey Janela versus Marcus Mathers. I realized, I didn't, you know what? I didn't think we were going to go straight to fight slash trailer, so I didn't pull up the GCW Twitter to see if there was more yet. But uh, what was I going to say? So yeah, this is uh, their first ever holiday spectacular, I guess, doing a Thursday night show in uh, Ridgefield Park, and it's the, I guess, it's the first like quote unquote proper GCW show in Ridgefield Park because um, the only other ones pre, the only other one previously, or maybe there was more than one, were uh, you know settlement series with a JCW show mixed in and all that, so. Let's see. What is, do we have the latest on here? Has anything else been announced yet? Uh, no. Doesn't look like it. They're busy announcing stuff for next year. I see more of that than anything for this year. Oh, yeah, I'm seeing if I type in Chris. I typed in Mecca searching their teeth. I typed in Christmas. Uh, okay, yeah. I, I, I'm assuming there is a something about this show somewhere on the GCW Twitter, and that maybe more has been announced already. Which, oh! Well, I was gonna say, I t- click the media tab, although I should probably do that on my phone, because did you see Twitter changed the media tab on the web version? No. It's not showing all a timeline of your tweets with media anymore, it's a bunch of thumbnails of the media that you've tweeted. So, if you're on desktop... The the way to browse an indie promotions account is by going to the media tab shortcut to see just the match announcements and not the retweets and stuff. It still kind of works, but it's not what it was. Um. Okay, so, okay, they have announced some other matches. Blake Christian defends the GCW title against Santa Claus. Mm-hmm. Who that will be, I don't know. Uh, Speedball... Mike Bailey against uh, Jimmy Lloyd is now Broski Jimmy after losing to uh, Matt Cardona in Brooklyn. Uh, Charles Mason and Richard Holiday in action. Oh, Mike Santana making his return to GCW. I said Joey Janela versus Marcus Mathers. And okay, that appears to be all that's announced for now. The uh, holiday special in uh, beautiful Bergen County. And then on, I'm sure I'm talking about which day, right? So I I don't know if this is live or what. I guess it is. Uh, Maybe, actually, wait, no, I don't think they have a good enough internet connection there. So I don't think it's live. But I'm not sure when this is or was taped or whatever. They're returning to the junkyard for another GCW versus Zona uh, Bienti Trace show. All right. Wait, did I give the time on that, or did I just bulldoze past that? So that's a Saturday. That's Saturday at six p.m. Eastern. Is at least the stream on that. So I'm checking to see if there's anything on the Twitter. 
Okay, yes, there is. And the when, wait, when is the show actually happening? Uh, I'm not sure if it says when the show is actually happening. Oh, it happened already. It happened on uh, Sunday, this past Sunday as we're recording this. So it happened already. It just isn't debuting until later, and it's got the. Oh yeah, so it's, it's most not all of the names are recognizable as far on but on the Mexican side, but there's a uh, Pagano against John Wayne Murdoch. I guess is the big uh, main event. So if you are a fan of that? Check that out then. So that's uh that's it really for fight or trailer TV this week. If you want to subscribe to, uh, is it still fight plus? Is it trailer TV plus? Yeah, it's trailer TV plus now. So tinyurl.com slash BTS fight. It's still BTS FITE. I guess I'll make another redirect URL. But, uh, yes. And for that, or if you're buying any of the, uh, iPay-per-views or whatever. So that's that now with the, I WTV, couple notable uh, live streams this week. Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern is the latest of H2O Uncharted Territory, with heck of a main event on paper. Uh, Alec Price defending the IWTV title against uh, Weapon X Matt Mikowski. So that's well worth looking forward to. Plus uh, Austin Luke versus Mark and Marcus Mathers and more. And then uh, other big show of the week, H2O is running on Saturday, the 23rd, 8 p.m. Eastern with Torn <coughs> 2 Shreds. Torn number 2 Shreds for a show uh, headlined by Austin Luke defending the uh, H2O title against Homicide. So that sounds pretty cool. Cause, but for people who haven't seen Homicide as much lately, and uh, like I... I don't pay attention to NWA, so I don't know if he's been wrestling lately or just agenting. So, with that out of the way, like, Homicide is still Homicide. He can still go. Like, there there was a period a few years ago where it seemed like he was slowing down. But I mean, lately, you know, especially live, when I've gotten to see him, he's, he's still got it. You know, almost, geez, almost 30 years since he started wrestling. You know, he had that 25th anniversary show in uh, 2019, and now he's almost five years since then. So that's out on IWTV this week. If you're not already a subscriber, use code BTSPOD at checkout when you sign up, and we will get a referral fee for each month. You stay a paid subscriber, so that's independentwrestling.tv, code BTSPOD. All right, today's episode of Between the Sheets is sponsored by Private Internet Access, America's number one virtual private network. If you're using Cognito Mode, your internet provider storing your browsing data, many times even selling it. But Private Internet Access can help. Private Internet Access encrypts and reroutes your internet traffic through one of its own servers, hiding your data from your internet service provider or network administrator. And with servers in over 75 different countries, you get unrestricted access to geoblock content from around the world. Private Internet Access is going to be used to use apps and browser extensions for all devices, a rock slide privacy policy, open source security, advanced customization settings, and it's just running the fastest VPN in the world by PC Mac. And if you sign up Private Internet Access right now, you take advantage of a special deal only for Between the Sheets listeners. We have three different options we offer you guys. We've got a monthly option at $11.95 a month. You can go yearly at $3.33 a month or $39.95 a year. Or you can go for the best deal of all. Three years plus four free months. $1.98 a month. 
$79 for first two years. Yearly thereafter, 83% off. The best damn deal in the business. Why is that? Because it's so much more, every, so much more inexpensive than virtually every other VPN on the market. If you get it right now, you can take advantage of the private international 30-day risk-free challenge. Try it for 30 days. See if you like it. If not, just turn it for a full refund. So you get that, you ask for you go to privateinternetaccess.com and slash between the sheets and try out the best damn VP on the planet completely risk-free. All right, next week on Between the Sheets, we go back to 1985. Where we'll be talking about the Christmas shows as we uh, have uh, a big sh- big shows everywhere. Um, World Class has a big show uh, during our week where... Uh, we get basically the end of the Von Erich's dynamic duo feud as the Von Erich's and Freebirds feuds heating up again. So we'll talk about that. Plus uh, all kinds of other stuff going on that show as we have uh, New Japan representation on that show and, uh, you know, all sorts of other stuff. We got um, Crockett has their big week. We'll talk about that and we'll have a lot of clips from them as uh, we got two episodes of World Championship Wrestling to talk about and, uh, a lot of Ric Flair stuff. Ric Flair and Ronnie Garvin's on that on one of the World Championship Wrestling, one of the, the best matches to ever air on that show. So we'll talk well, about that. I didn't realize we had two Saturdays. Oh, two Saturdays, yes. Yeah. Uh, Memphis, we got uh, the build-up to Lawler Dundee's uh, big Lose Leave Town match at the end of the year. In fact, one of them takes place during our week. So we'll talk about that. And uh, Bill Dundee's uh, run as a heel, which Dave Meltzer raves about. We got uh, clips from Continental from their year-end show, featuring stuff from the Stud Stable and the Armstrongs. We have stuff from all the other territories. We got a uh, little bit international, not a lot. Jaguar Yakota announced her retirement. Big Show Puerto Rico featuring Crockett Talent, so we'll talk about that. <clears throat> and WWF will have... Uh, Ted Arcidi making his debut on television. We'll talk about that and their Christmas week shows, among other things. And since it is a Christmas show, yes, it is. You know what that means. For the third straight year, we'll be joined by both the King and King Sport, Bo James, and the infamous Robert O'Connor. So it should be really fun next week on Between the Sheets. So, uh, yeah, don't miss that one, folks. Right, you can follow me on Twitter at Chris Zellner, K-R-I-S-Z-E-L-N-E-R, show proper BT, she's pod, Bix at David Bix. And Bix, uh, anything going on with you this week? I am, um, no. Uh, all right, well, we haven't really, like I said, we haven't talked about it a lot on this uh, section since it's happened, but CM Punk is definitely back in a big way in WWE. He's on all over television. And uh, he's hanging around NXT um, with the talent down there. And uh, I haven't talked to you about this yet, but there was a photo today on Instagram of one CM Punk with Terry Taylor, where Punk said, I asked way too many Mid-South questions. So, Vix, uh, how does that feel to know that uh, two people that are near and dear to your heart, CM Punk and Terry Taylor, are... Uh, uh, together in Orlando for uh, NXT. It makes me wish that I saved all of my old instant messages. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, Punk is, uh, 
he's definitely getting gung ho with NXT crew and uh, that thing down there. And <clears throat> I mean, this this stuff is out there that he that his main goal is to possibly you know replace Shawn Michaels when the time is right as the you know head guy in NXT. And he wants wants to you know have his own thing going on. Whether I mean whether or not that happens or not, it's obvious that Punk wants to be involved in wrestling. You know, as long as he can, um, if he keeps his act straight, and he wants to be involved creatively, we saw that in AW with Collision. Um, so it's obvious that he wants to be involved in that way. So I mean, we'll see. Um, we got all the stuff with the TV deals. You know, the rumors are going around this, that, and the other. We get various reporting by people or speculations, however you want to call it. Um, but it's obvious that him coming back has definitely hit a spark, even more than what they already had in, in certain forms of the business. So um, what are your thoughts on how everything's playing out so far? I... I... I don't even know anymore. Like, with especially with this stuff that, like, who knows how dated any of the talk about all this Warner WWE stuff or Raw would even be by the time the show comes out Monday. But I don't know what I think. Because there are things that feel like they don't make sense about this. But it's obvious, though, no matter what, I mean, no matter who, you know, who's involved or whatever, like I said, he his return has added a spark to them. Yes. Oh, absolutely. And then the quarter hour with the Rollins segment was, like, drastically above the rest of the show on this page. And, and, and it was a hell of a piece of business. I mean, a hell of a piece of business out there to set up, you know, the future. And... I mean, that's the thing with Pump, man. He's in a spot right now where all he's got to do is just walk the line, and he's going to be gravy. That's all he's got to do is walk the line. And, you know, it seems like he's trying to do that, and we'll see if it works out. But this, I mean, Seth, Seth was saying in the promo, and in it's truth, this is his last chance. There's no other way around it. This is his last chance. So, I mean, we'll see. But, and WBD, of course, is mentioned because all the stuff that's, you know, with him and Zazlaff and all this other stuff. But let's not forget that Fox has an affinity for that man, too. Yes. Fox had offered, it wasn't, remember, it was not just that they had him do the backstage show and pay him for that. Before that, Fox had gone to WWE saying, hey, we are willing to pay for his contract if you bring CM Punk back. And Vince was like, no. I mean, this WBD stuff could all be a red herring anyway for something that really that really is going on, you know? Yeah. And, and the Punk media is out there, you know, propagating this stuff on purpose you know, to drive a different way, you know, to, to get people looking another direction. I don't know. I mean, I could be wrong on that, but 
And to be clear, by the way, that's not just like conjecture based on who's reporting it. Sean Ross Sapp outright went on one of his podcasts and was like, I'm only seeing this stuff come out of the pump camp so far, basically. That's not exact words, but it was it's relatively accurate to the substance of what he said. I would have to pull up exactly what he said. And it could you know, and stuff like that can help, you know, tarnish AEW in a way to the punk so Punk's able to get his you know, pound of flesh in that way since he can't talk about him. So that's his way of, of getting some revenge, even though there could be nothing going on with the TV thing, but have, but throwing that out there and getting people talking about it, you know, I mean, it, it, that definitely can hurt yeah. AEW's image here for the short term. So I don't know, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's definitely going to be something to see. What happens when he gets back in the ring, which is going to be getting back in the ring uh, at the end of the year on the, the big house shows in Masquerade Garden and uh, at the Forum in Los Angeles. Coincidentally enough, the two big you know, markets in this country and home of uh, all the television executives in for, some form or fashion. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it's going to be interesting how all this plays out. And again, you know, one thing that, that on the WBD side of things – I mean, the NBA deal is still hanging in the, in the in the wind, and there's still a exclusive negotiating window that they have that's with the NBA. Yet. That's through April. Yeah. Yeah. So unless they decide to just abandon it altogether and say we just give up, we don't want to be involved with, it, which I mean, Zaslav has said could happen. Um, I don't know, but. It's definitely added a lot of intrigue than we we already had before uh, him uh, him being back. Right, that is for sure. And also, we should mention too, real quick before we finish this up. There's also just the fact that WBD right now is just the most unpredictable major media company. Yes, because they they very easily could come out and express their support for AEW in the public or something like that or you know try to throw you know throw people off of this and they're not doing that and well, you just don't know, I, you just don't know what they're going to do I didn't even mean that I mean just like who knows business wise like this is the company that's trying to pull all these weird tax tricks of like removing shows that have been released and not releasing finished projects to take weird write downs on stuff like they're doing all this stuff that's just unprecedented and also, you know, making them seen as very hostile to creators right now. I mean, the, the, uh, you know, I didn't even think about it this that way until now, but it, you know what? <sighs> Who's to say they're not going to have a bunch of extra spending money from people not wanting to go to them for their projects in terms of scripted projects? And here's another thing, too, is that I mean, we're seeing reports out there that there's people in WWE that's not, you know, averse to being on the same network as AEW. There's not a push for exclusivity. Which is, I mean, probably for a few reasons. One is that UFC already did not push for exclusivity. Like, case in point, in the U.S., PFL is also on ESPN. Yeah. You know, um... And Vince isn't running things. Right, right. That's a Vince and, move. 
And, you know, look, who knows what happened with the MLW lawsuit in Discovery that they settled that this week, too. Which, certainly interesting timing for that to coincide with this WBD story, isn't it? Yes. Whatever happened, there's something. It feels like there's something there. Um, But then also with the UFC antitrust lawsuit ongoing and going to trial... You know, what I think it's is it March or April? It's in the early spring. Uh, there's also the question of how much do you want to push your luck with aggressive stuff like that? You know, because it's like as much as they're they've been trying to downplay it publicly, like that lawsuit could easily cause major damage to TKO. Yes, the way things are going. You know, there have been claim there have been some things about oh they have insurance, but then like when you talk to experts in the field, it seems questionable whether or not they'd have insurance that would actually cover the damages from the antitrust lawsuit. So you know, it, it's unless they get a very favorable jury or settle in a way and even then I don't know what a settlement would be that isn't massive. Like, we need to remember now, like, even though they're being operated mostly separately still, like, everything UFC does affects WWE and vice versa now. Yeah. Like, you know what, too? If I'm Paul Levesque, I'm Nick Khan, I'm pissed off that Dana White is going out and saying all this shit that's counterproductive to the antitrust lawsuit. Yeah, but there's nothing to do about it. Nope. But, I mean, you've seen some of that stuff, right? That Dana White is going out and saying shit that's, like, just not helping. Because it's Dana White. Well, I mean, yeah. that's what he does. And it's like Vince. You know? I mean, it's, I mean, that's that's what they do. They're not Paul Levesque and Nick Khan, you know, and how they handle things. Nope. But, anyway, let's, let's go record some Von Eric stuff. Well, we're not quite done with WWF yet as we go to Japan as we begin with uh, UFC Japan the proposed Ken Shamron will be the Takata UFC match on the December 21st pay-per-view show from Yokohama fell apart during the week with Shamrock's appearance on the show being cancelled in addition over the weekend Vitor Belfort's fighting on the show was in question although now it appears to be back on but again what almost appears to be a hand-picked opponent Shamrock and the World Wrestling Federation agreed to terms with Shamrock signed on December 4 for payoff which would have been the range of double UFC's previous record single event payoff of $150,000 for the Takata match. However, as noted last week on December the 8th, Takata, when asked about the match at the Kingdom House, show, said he had no intention of fighting on the UFC show and was suffering from severe, several injuries that would make it impossible for him to even begin training until early next year. Semaphore Entertainment Group, which uh, signed Samrock after being given the word that Takata whose drawing power is considered a must-given slow ticket sales for the live event at 17,100-seat 17, Yokohama Arena, would only do the show if Shamrock was his opponent, must have fallen victim to a communication breakdown somewhere along the chain regarding his Japanese partners doing the house show promotion in Takata himself. Those close situations claim Takata never agreed to do the show in the first place, although SCG had spoken of his participation as a possibility ever since the press conference in Japan, and how things got the situation they did are perplexing to say the least. Kingdom had their first televised card on December 14th with Takata doing the color commentary. And during the show, Takata was asked about when he returned to the ring, and Takata didn't give a definitive answer, saying only he would begin training early next year. 
we'll have more on that Keenan show later. To make things even more muddy, Shamrock's contract reportedly guaranteed him the money once it was signed, even if the fight was canceled, which it ended up being. WF was also to get a sizable booking fee as they were in the deal. However, the group on the hook, so to speak, for the, providing the big payoff of the contract was not SEG, but their Japanese co-promoters who are attempting to get out of the pay and claiming a contract loophole. The contract revived in the case of the opponent backing out for Shamrock to have veto power in a substitute match was suggested. <clears throat> Since the deal was used, Shamrock and paid the big money was not primarily due to whatever drawing power he brings to the U.S. pay-per-view, although that was considered a helpful part of the deal, just more because it was the only way they believed to get to caught on the show. The decision was made that rather than offer Shamrock a new opponent, that his price tag was such they decided his appearance would be scrapped to save themselves a big payoff. Shamrock and WF officially got word on, from NCG on December the 10th, and Shamrock left what was probably a brutal, high-intensity training camp in Dallas, where he was ba- trying to basically cram one month of worth of training conditioning into one week, and return for the WF's TV tape in Lowell on December 11th, and work on the weekend house shows in Tennessee and Arkansas. WF never mentioned Shamrock's name on December 8th Raw, even though the contract was signed, and they were at the time completely unaware of the problems regarding the match that service in Japan. However, they did put an EOC pay-per-view in the 30-second plug, hyping the specific that's coming from Japan, and the appearance of Frank Shamrock, challenged for the middleweight title on both weekend USA Network shows, and twice on Raw on the 15th. Supposedly, WF was going to give the USC show, in particular the Ken Shamrock match with Takata, a huge promotional push on weekend, and in particular on Raw. There have been hints thrown in the USC will try and reach compromise in the, the book Shamrock on the May pay-per-view, when they're telling me to go to the return to Japan, in which case he'll get more advanced notice, and you'll see WF will both have more time to use his name and promotion of the event, and a congestion of WF storylines as well. The fact the March show will be in the U.S. in this proximity time-wise to WrestleMania would make it highly unlikely that if we even consider allowing him on the show, nor that USC would want to pay that kind of money without a Japanese partner footing the bill for what it would cost him to get on the show. But doing the second proposed May show in Japan is largely dependent upon the first show doing well, and that has many questions of its own. But that wasn't the only problem facing the show in the final days. SEG received word over the weekend that Peter Belfort was ill and won the cancel's appearance on the show. While SEG officially received word over the weekend, there had been rumors going back two weeks more along the lines of Belfort being unhappy. Belfort's camp attended to pull out just a day or two after their opponent for the show was announced. A five foot nine, two hundred twenty pound wrestler named Brad Kohler, who has compiled a seven and record in HB working a small promotion in the US, including Hook and Shoot in Indiana, Extreme Challenge in Iowa, and IFC although he has no world rank in any NHB publication. Kohler is known for Miller for stamina, as one of his victories lasted 50 minutes, and stamina is what Peter Belfort appeared to be lacking in his recent loss to Randy Couture. After more negotiations, a press time period Belfort would fight in UFC, however, due to his claimed illness, wanted a different, i.e. easier opponent. And the most likely foe appeared to be former UFC competitor, 38-year-old Joe Charles who has a losing one-loss record, having fought basically all over the world. It's kind of an undercard-level fighter. Even with a win, this scenario is only going to do wonders for Belfort's credibility within the martial arts world and his attempt to bounce back from his first defeat. The two title matches remain. Maurice Smith will defending his, will face Randy Couture, and Frank Shamrock will face... Um, oh, shit, I'm blanking on his name, Biggs. Jackson, first name. Kevin Jackson. Olympic Kevin Jackson. Kevin Jackson. Just the uh, the departing IFC and not the IFC EFC light heavyweight champ Kevin Jackson. That's right, Kevin Jackson. This is blanked on Kevin. Yeah, uh, and, and three- Rory Smith is is the champion here. That's right, sure. he is. Yeah, yes, that's right. Along with a three match heavyweight tournament with the first round of Tank Abbott versus pro wrestler Yoji Anjo and Carlson Gracie Jiu Jitsu disciple Marcus Conan Severa against Alex Hunter. Hunter is the last week to play for a Japanese sumo wrestler who pulled out over the weekend. 
There's also an alternate match with Trey Tellerman against Brad Kohler, which I should be higher level fighting in those in the tournament main draw. And real quick, because I don't want to lose the thread on this because we still haven't really even talked about the main stuff. But um, so that's interesting. When the tournament was first booked, it was very clearly booked as a Conan Silvera showcase. Yeah. Because you look at that field and you should have run through that field. But then as a concession to Kingdom, Sakuraba replaces Alex Hunter and the rest is history. Yeah. Yes. Which And real quick, because I don't want to forget. I forget. Was Takata Kingdom office or was it more that Kingdom was separate and they used Takata Dojo for talent? Oh, he was involved. So how is he so disconnected from the negotiations? Oh, he was involved. I mean, he wasn't, I mean, it wasn't like him and U- UWFI or any stretch of imagination. But, I mean, he was involved in Kingdom. But he's not a key office person, I guess you would say, then? Um, He's involved, it's his dojo, but it's not, it's not like he's the one making the decisions. Yeah. Okay. Now, do we want to talk about that stuff yet, or should we finish the... Let, let, read the last paragraph from Dave, and then we'll talk about everything. The local promotion event in Japan is barely existent. The first magazine ads appeared this past week, featuring a large, nearly fully-paged photo of Tank Abbott and, and tiny snapshot-like photos of Abbott, Belfort, Smith, Shamrock, Incident Away, and Anjo, with no matches listed, maybe two or three of them who aren't even on the show. This listing is strange enough because in a way, who Dave guessed they were expecting to beat Frank Shamrock in the elimination match, was off the show since November 29th, and Ken Shamrock wasn't even approached to do the show in the first place until December the 2nd. He didn't agree to terms until two days later, so there was never a period where the ad could have been done where one could have reasonably figured out figured on both doing the show. Weird. It's weird that Nippon TV was to have an extensive last week promotional campaign for the event since they're carrying on television. There's a thought that process USC's damned by the way in Japan. If the USC goes through the roof like it started doing the fourth, third show in the U.S. in 1994, it'll attract all the same political opponents that it did in the United States face problems from that end. If it doesn't, then it won't make it anyway. The main political difference between Japan and U.S. in regards to USC is that the marriage of sleazy state athletic commissions and the corrupt boxing world that sees USC as a threat for slicing a small piece out of its pie and exposing the illusion as the boxers being the toughest true fighters in the world doesn't exist in Japan. And you can trace a lot of USC's political problems with ties that somehow all wind up either with the boxing industry or state athletic commissions that are largely funded through pro-boxing and pro-wrestling. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, what do you want to talk about here, Bix? I mean, it's since we just talked about it real quick, I don't think there was ever a concrete link that anyone in boxing was trying to kill MMA, though, was there? In these early years to the Dark Ages. Like, wasn't it more just supposition, like... McCain's the loudest voice, and he has his Anheuser-Busch connections, and Anheuser-Busch <laughs> is a big part of boxing, like that whole thing. And, yeah, and like, I mean... a boxing fan. Like, there was never... There are boxing promoters that were not happy with it. But, I, know, I, I, I know that Bob Arum was definitely not a fan of it. Well, and especially later, he would be open about that, although he changed his tune somewhat as time went on. But... How do I put this? It, but based on the information we actually have, this is largely a conspiracy theory, isn't it? <sighs> uh, 
it was more to commissions than boxing. But boxing, there was boxing pressure. Let's put it that way. They saw them as a threat, big threat. Absolutely. Anyway, um, okay. Pay per view money, pay per view more than anything else. Yes. Yes. Okay. So. So yeah, as far as Frank Shamrock, yeah, like it's a thing that's often forgotten by history. There was this title eliminator match. It was him and Ensign in a way on a. I think it was a. I mean, it's the same promotion, Shudo Japan or uh, Japan Valley Shudo Show, where Inoue was kind of expected to win, and Frank beat him, and that's how he ended up in the fight against Jackson. Um, you know, one of the rare, like, I mean, stuff like this happened more in the Dark Ages, but still, like, one of those, like, where you have, like, what's effectively a UFC fight outside of the UFC. So that was part of it, and so at least they had a shamrock in the end, but fairly late and too late for them to get all the print media done. But as far as this whole Shamrock Takata thing, it's so weird. Like, because doesn't Dave eventually write at some point that the idea was for it to be a work anyway? Well, Takata. Well, yeah, that it was, but it was a way for Takata to get a win and a work, but in the UFC setting to give it credibility. I, I just don't understand what's happening here. Like, did Shamrock Walk at doing the job. Because, like, if it's a work, wh- why would Takata not do it? Yeah. Now, you're with me on that, right? Like, this doesn't make sense. If it was going to be a work, I don't see why Takata would pull out. <sighs> Although, it's not clear. Like, did Takata ever sign a contract, or was it just that UFC and Kingdom and Shamrock signed a contract, but Takata never did? I guess he never signed. And then when is when is the fight with Kyle Sturgeon and Pratt? Because that's his next thing. I'm looking now. It's on Pride three. And that is when. That is that's that's not till June. So he it takes a while before he's back doing anything. I mean, is he hiding an injury? Maybe. Well, he said he was hurt. We just read it. But is he hiding something more serious? Like, again, why was he even... But why was he negotiating to do the match in the first place? If he's hurt. Who knows? I mean, it's Japan. It's Takata. I mean, something else, too. I mean, we are talking about... We are talking about a UWF lineage promotion. So, even more so than other... Japanese promotions, I think we can assume there's Yakuza involvement, right? I mean, you gotta remember how the Gracie fight tarnishes reputation. Yes. Not that his reputation was that good anymore, but yes, because... I mean, basically, in so many words, like, some of the magazines basically call him a war criminal. I didn't know that one. Yeah. Okay, I'm curious. Why did they call him a war criminal or something equivalent? I mean, just the way his performance was was so was so egregious. Oh, okay. So it's like it's the excuse me. It's called. I mean, it, it very. I mean, it was very. Neg- I mean, Carl Gotch even buried him. So it was an extreme way of saying it was a promo- It was a performance so bad it was criminal. Yeah, I mean, Carl Gotch even buried him to the press. He said, "That's not the kind of I know." 
I mean, the whole thing about Takada not being able to fight is just so weird anyway. Yeah. It, it, it just, it seems like, even by, even relative to everyone else around him, it seems like he was bad at it, you know? <sighs> but there was something just going on here that caused this fight not to happen. something else beneath the surface that's just not getting talked about. Which happens a lot here, yes. Yeah, and it's Japan, so it's all kayfabe, so... You know, so he gets, you know, he has his worked fight against the very anonymous Kyle Sturgeon that he wins in June. And then he comes back with the Hickson rematch in October on the anniversary of the first fight where Hickson carries him for a few minutes, but it's still a domination. And then after that is April 99 and the quote unquote fight with Mark Coleman. And... Even with there being, pro- you know, potentially a work or two in there, he never actually gets a win again after the after the Coleman thing. So he has no he has no legitimate wins. You know, of course not. His, his biggest actual shoot achievements are double crossing Koji Katao and Trevor Burbick, basically. Yes. So, but but anyway, yeah. But we I talked about. Go ahead. I was gonna say we talked about Ultimate Japan though on the, uh, the show we did. Coming. Yeah, we covered it. Yeah, I mean, as far as anything else here, you know, Joe the Ghetto Man Charles was a former Belfort training partner. That was a big reason he was the choice. So, and then you know, Vitor just kind of wrestles him for the whole fight. Um, if the Sakuraba thing doesn't happen and Sakuraba doesn't subsequently become a big name. This would be considered probably a historical disaster of, of a show. Yeah. Because they were in, like, what, like a two-thirds empty Yokohama arena? Like, it just did, you know, the Takata thing had fallen through. Yeah. You know, kind of low talent level on, on the, you know, outside of the title fights. You know, also, like, yeah, Randy Couture ends up being this major legend of the sport. But at the time, he he was just this kind of boring middle-aged wrestler guy who who beat the exciting new kickboxer champion who was changing MMA. So it 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 didn't feel like a good sign of anything. Yeah. Also, the debut of Mike Goldberg. Yeah. Yeah. Back when he was doing a Bruce Beck impression instead of uh, his eventual signature style. So. Mm-hmm. All right, let's go to Tokyo Sports as they released their 97 Japanese Wrestling Awards, where Masahiro Chono was named the MVP. As mentioned in past years, these awards voted on by 22 reporters are largely political and traditional in nature. The idea is to spread the awards around among the top wrestlers. It's virtually impossible for a foreign wrestler to win an award unless it is for a match of the year. In that case, it almost always is being against a Japanese wrestler. Although in the case of this year, that really wouldn't have been an issue. And the junior heavyweights are never considered for major awards. They also vote with the idea that wrestling is a shoot. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> Excuse me. Why, which is why Kensuke Saki, who got that huge push during the latter part of the year, was nominated so many categories. They usually nominate two or three candidates for every award and then vote rather than blind voting. For MVP, the nominees were Chono, Kensuke, and Mitsuru Masawa, with Chono getting 16 votes, Masawa getting six. 
The general belief is that even though Masao was a better wrestler the two, the Chono deserved the MVP for introducing the NWO concept to Japan. And along with it, some more American ideas, spicing them each band throughout the year, including doing the more insider-style interviews, such as his heavily knocking a promotion and praising all Japan for the tag tournament, which is certainly out of the ordinary for a pro wrestler anywhere. For match of the year, the two matches nominated were both Masao and Kenakabashi. Their January 20th match in Osaka and October 21st match at Budokan Hall, where the latter match won 16-6. For tag team of the year, Toshikawa and Kiritawe won over Chono and Mudo by a 13-8 margin. Best wrestler of the year, Mitsuru Masao won over Kensuke by 15-7 vote. For the Spirit Award, Hayabusa beat Kensuke by 17-5 vote. For best technical wrestler, Yuki Kondo, the current king of Pancrase, won over Junakayama for a 14-8 vote. For rookie of the year, Kazuki Fujita won over Neo Ogawa by a 19-3 vote. That's actually a big deal since he's a Wall Street Wrestling as if it was a shoot. And Ogawa received 20 times the push that Fujita did. Although Fujita showed so much promise in comparison, that must have been hardly almost for everyone to ignore. For a ladies wrestler of the year, they ended up giving the uh, Heisei Psycho Madoku Gurutai group of Linus Asuka, Sharsha Shulia, and Eagle Sawai, who are regular promotional trio. They also given awards to Riki Choshu, who retires on January the 4th, along with Megumi Kudo and long-time All-Japan referee Joe Higuchi, the latter two of whom retired earlier this year. Both All-Japan New Japan promotions were given awards for finishing their 25th year of operations, as both started in 1972. They also given an award to former wrestler Anima Hamaguchi, largely due to the success of his daughter Kyoko and winning her weight in the World Freestyle Championships. And the popularity award for Nerogawa. They also gave Kyoko Hamaguchi and two other women wrestlers won their weight class. And Daybly Japan won the overall team championship at the World Freestyle Championships. It's really interesting to blend the shoot and work since the women's wrestlers were awarded uh, for non-pro wrestling activities that were a shoot. And Kondo won his technical wrestler award for being the champion of the largest shoot promotion. And yet he was being compared to a worker who himself was actually a great amateur wrestler before going pro as an Olympic team alternate in the balloting. I mean... <laughs> These awards were so political. I mean, if we had something like this today in in American wrestling media and stuff, oh my god! <laughs> you th- you think the discourse is bad now? But also the political nature and the awards being spread around—it's so obvious. Some years, like it always kind of is. But some years more obvious than others, like especially once you start having more of like the mid-level promotions kind of in the mix and all that, it becomes very obvious. It's like, okay, here's one going to this. Here's one going to this. Oh, we're out of awards. Let's pick something from a large indie for match of the year. Like that kind of thing. Like, well, oh, I forget who was in it, but like, and I'm not saying this is an anti-deathmatch thing even, but like. Several years back, when a Big Japan Deathmatch won Match of the Year, it was very obviously for that reason. And the thing here about, you know, Chono and MVP, I mean, he pretty much was. I mean, did he have the matches that a Masawa had? No. But that NWO Japan thing was such a huge deal at that time, man. Major deal for New Japan. I I wouldn't say he's... Super obvious, overwhelming, because you could also say, especially in 97, you could easily say Hashimoto. He didn't even even on the list. Yeah. He wasn't even a candidate. They didn't even nominate him. It's Kensuke, Masawa, and, and uh, Kensuke, Masawa, and Chona. 
it's the year of the domes, and they didn't even nominate the guy who was the headliner of the domes and the key to the year of the domes. So that tells you it wasn't about the work or even the business. Well, that's what I'm saying, yeah. But, yeah, I mean, these awards, yeah, it definitely would have been something to see that's still going in the social media era. Yeah. Also, well, how about this as far as if this was something like this was in American wrestling now? Could you imagine if we had, like, the awards banquets with the photos of everyone from the different promotions just openly hanging out with each other? Which, yeah, we see more of stuff like that now on people's social media, but at, like, an official industry event? Yeah. Like, you know, because, like, we, you and I have fun looking at, like, those Japanese photo licensing sites that include the Tokyo sports <laughs> stuff that they license. And it is wild sometimes to look up some of that stuff where, like, Baba and Anoki are just chilling out and, like, you know, 21-year-old Kenta Kabashi is introducing himself to Anoki and all that. I don't even know what the, like, 2023 U.S. equivalent would be. Like, Nick Wayne introducing himself to Triple H at the Observer Awards ceremony. Yeah. Well, now it's time for actual <sighs> wrestling wrestling news, although... Bunch of tours are over, so no All Japan and no active New Japan. So we still have some New Japan news. Yeah, we start with New Japan. As Masahiro Chono did an angle before leaving for the U.S. and Germany tour, saying he wanted to sign contracts next year for both New Japan and NWO, so he made double the money. Well, of course. And he's contradicting uh, WCW storylines, which is that there's no one signed to the NWO. It's that it's Bischoff playing with Ted Turner's money. Yeah. There was some internal heat regarding Yuji Nagata losing clean to Disco Inferno at Nitro on the 15th. Since Nitro was also covered in Japan, Nagata, who's making his return to the Tokyo Dome for his match with Hiroshi Tenzan, lost to a guy who was most famous for losing to a woman on a pay-per-view. Oh, heaven forbid. Well, Bix, this is 1997, and it's Japan. Uh, yes, but I mean, I would, I would say the more concerning thing is losing to Disco Inferno, period. <laughs> I did you get away champion go, go ahead but he is on excursion though I mean come on yeah but they're pushing him for a big match yeah on, on the dome show his return match I know IWGFW champion Kensuke Saki and junior champion Shinjiro Otani are currently at Thailand supposedly training in a Muay Thai dojo supposedly are they to unveil some Muay Thai moves and tactics added to their arsenal for the dome show What's they trying to further supposedly there for for that? What what else would they be in Thailand for? I Dave? don't think that's what he's saying. I think he's just saying <laughs> it's a storyline. Yeah. I don't think he's saying they're engaging in a particular kind of unsavory tourism. <laughs> Although, like I, I mean, how do I put this? It was so weird. I'll, I'll put it this way: it was so weird several years back when. There was the whole, like, Elon Musk cave diver lawsuit over Elon Musk calling the guy pedo guy. And it was, like, it was so weird watching and reading all the coverage of this, where it was very obvious that no one wanted to say the obvious, which was that, and it was bullshit, and it's ridiculous that Musk won the lawsuit, but still... Like, it's very obvious the inference was supposed to be, you're an old white guy living in Thailand, that makes it that you're obviously a pedophile. Or into, uh, 
other forms of uh, things. I mean, I'll put it this way. If if you're a Westerner going on a trip to Thailand, you are not a surfer, you are not a martial artist, you know, something like that, someone where there would be, like, a clear interest in you to go to Thailand, or someone maybe even who, like, does a lot of vacations and found out that Thailand is, like, a better price than some places for getting a certain kind of, like, beach and whatever. I mean, but even that's a little of a stretch. <sighs> most pe- most Westerners, if they're traveling to Thailand, are going to get side-eyed because of reasons. Unless they are part, unless they are involved in something else that Thailand exports or is well-known as a destination for. Um... Yes, the quote-unquote lady boys, I guess. I wouldn't even say it's that. I mean, yes, it's... I mean, Thailand was certainly ahead in... I mean, I guess it's not strictly trans acceptance because there's also a different classification, and it's... The way it's all handled there is a little different, but, I mean, these days, that's not exactly something you would need to travel for. No, but that, but but again, though, I mean, that was something that was talked about many years ago. I remember, was it um fucking real sex on HBO? Did a feature about you know people going to Thailand for that, and that was in the early two thousands. And by the way, just for those who don't know, because of the kind of different ways they look at it, there where they don't necessarily look at it the same way that, like, Westerners were would in terms of gender dysphoria and that kind of thing. Like, ladyboy is an accepted term among, you know, what we would consider here in American terms the trans female population there. Well, it was like, um... I mean, I think it is even now, it's still kind of an accepted term there. It's kind of like, uh... What they were doing was, I mean, it's basically their act... In ways, because there was like, um, if I remember correctly, when the real sex feature focused on was the guys going over there, you know, to go to the shows that the lady boys did as their act, where they were, you know, in their garb and whatever and stuff like that. Right. That type of deal. Kind of like a, um, how, you know, we had the Exoticos and Lucha, but on a different level. Sure. I mean, not exactly, but I get what you're saying. No, I'm saying as far as the, the way, like, if you if you searched out, if you if you put Lady Boys into Wikipedia, mm-hmm. that's the first picture you're going to see. Is like dudes in the like garb or whatever. I mean, guys, whatever, Lady Boys in their garb, you know, in the the flashy. Garb, you know, but um, <laughs> oh Thailand. But yeah, my understanding is that you that, and maybe something's changed. Obviously, someone can correct me if I'm wrong. My understanding is that like it's not considered a misgendering or anything like that, though. To say lady boy, that the way it's looked at there, it is seen as more of its own thing. Yeah. And again, going back to where we were before we got off on this tangent, no, I don't think Dave is implying sex tourism or anything like that. No, but I just think it's funny. 
because it's Thailand. Well, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now, if he was saying he was <laughs> saying they went with the co-host of a San Francisco-based morning show, <laughs> then I think we would be right to be skeptical. And think that's just, maybe what he's talking about. I just, you know, this is 1997, so it's not the same, but you kind of train now. To hear, if, some, if you hear somebody's going to Thailand, you're like, uh-oh. Well, that's what I was saying, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you think John and Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> All right, CMLO Japan finished their second tour this week. Don't have much in the way of details on their Drew Poorly. They were in the final show on December 17th at Corken Hall, which drew about 1,500 fans. On the tour was Tony of Rivera, Rigo Mendoza, Carlos Gardner Jr., Violencia, Shinobi, Ocanjal de Nomete, Scorpio Jr., Paolo Dante, Slapiera, El Tigre, Realisco Jr., Cien Caras, Atlantis, Mr. Niebla, Mr. Aguila, on loan from Promo Seconds, he did so well in the previous tour. Dave, he's part of, of CML. Uh, Emilio Tardes Jr., Rebecca Nero, and Black Warrior. We have results. At Corken Hall, on the 17th for the 1,500 fans, we have Nosawa, Kikuzawa and Takagi. Sky Base Central Takagi. Over Tudor, um, Sasaki, which would be Takashi Sasaki, and Asian Cougar. So it's like a DDT offer match right there. Then you got Tony Rivera and Enrico Mendoza of Lagarde Jr. Violencia, Shinobi of Arcanat, Arcanat de la Scorpio Jr. of Palonates of La Fiera and El Tigre, Realisco Jr. of Cien Caras. And Elantis, Mr. Niebla, Mr. Aguila, over Mila Salas Jr., Arriba Cañero, and the Black Wire. And these were not CMLL office shows in any way, right? These were always just Macho Pump paying for the name and the town, right? <laughs> um, it definitely turned into that, for sure. Um, but there I'm was guessing, more of a CMLL involvement at first? I think so, yes, at the beginning, because he's nowhere to be seen here. But I think he, I think he may have been involved. When did he start actually like wrestling as a wrestler, though? Uh, late nineties, um, two thousand. Okay, so he's not a wrestler yet. Macho no. Pump, Mister Cacao. Yes. So that explains part of that because he is all over the later CML oh, shows. Yes. Yes. Um. Yeah, his, his earliest matches that are listed are all CML Japan tours. Yeah. So at this point, he's just a guy who makes merch? Yes, pretty much. I mean, not merch, makes gear, I guess. G- yeah. Merch and gear, yeah. Because at this point in time, he's um, he's 35 years old. I didn't realize he started that late. Wait a minute, no. He's 57 now. Yeah, so he was born. Yeah, he was born at sixty six, so he'd have been thirty one. He's still starting late. So still, I mean, he still doesn't start for another two years. Yeah. So he's thirty three when he started. Yeah. Talk to Michinoku returning to Japan for three shows for Michinoku Pro from the sixteenth to the eighteenth. We're doing an angle with Taka. We talked about WF buying the financially played Michinoku Group. Gray Sasuke then said the current tour has been so successful they're able to pay the bills and don't need to sell the promotion. Did you have an American group buying a Japanese group is to get Taka over as a heel? On December 18th for Corcoran Hall, which was sell at 2150, Taka won the independent junior heavyweight title, the original FMW title from former tap partner Shuichi Fanaki in 1953. 
After the match, Tyler gave back the title in the promotion. Saying WF title he holds is a far more large promotion. He'll move. All Japan, All Japan women had a six-woman match on the card as well. On the 16th in Niigata, before sell of 670, Taka team with Dick Togo and Teo to be Sasuke, Yamada, and Tiger Mask. On the 17th in Nagashi Fuji, before 600, Taka and Funaki reformed their team, losing to Sasuke and Delphin. WF would do well to bring Funaki to work as Taka's partner because they had the Ray Stevens, Pat Patterson, or Dennis Conjure, Bobby Eaton-like cohesiveness together. Oh, don't worry, Dave. They're going to bring them all in. The entirety of Kaitai DX other than Kazayashi's coming to WF. Results for Corkin. Full results. We have Wellington Wilkins Jr. over Masaru Seno. Jinsei Shizaki over Yoni Genjin. Tiger Mask and Granamata over Nohiro Shikawa and Masato Kasushi. Yumiko Hota, Kara Ito, and Kumiko Makawa over Manami Toyota, Momonakanishi, and Miyuki Fuji. Nitaka over Funaki. And then Togo and Minstei over Sasuke and Dolphin in your main event. Any thoughts? That's pretty solid promotion at this time. You know, no one's left yet. It's coming. It's coming, but it, they, they've got more international eyeballs on them at this point, and things seem kind of rosy. It's just that they're about to have problems because all of, you know, all of the heels end up moving to North America. <laughs> Yes. All right, let's continue on with Kingdom. Kingdom ran their biggest show today on December 14th. So now, Tokyo Yoyogi Gym number two with 3,800 fans for a show televised in a 2 a.m. time slot. Where? The main event, what? On network TV or? It didn't say. The main event was supposed to be here. Misa Kanahara against Valetudo fighter Wally Dishmail in Brazil. However, Ishmael no shows as he had a big Valetudo match in Sao Paulo four days later. Earlier, excuse me. So add him to the list of fighters who have attempted and failed to do a double, win two major fights in less than one week apart. The show's mainly kingdom fighters against members of Tank Abbott's contingent. Abbott was there as a second and was interviewed on television running down Yoji Anjo. Anjo beat Matsuda Kakihara, while Abbott's crew went 0-3, as Larry Parker lost to Billy Scott in 218. Eddie Ruiz, best known for being killed in a street fight about two months back by, by Abbott in the Huntington B. Parker's slot, on the beach parking lot, lost to Kanahara in 349, and Paul Herrera lost to Kazuchi Sakuraba in a minute 48. The rest of the show saw Nicholas Starks over Minoru Toyonaga, Yoshihiro Takayama over Yui Sano, Anjo over Kakihara, then we had the uh, Bill Scott over Larry Parker, Kenichi Yamamoto over Mark Hall, Kanahara over Ruiz, and Sakuraba over Paul Herrera. And these are all work pro wrestling matches. Of course, yes, it's Kingdom. Which, I mean, it's interesting that no one got a win from the American, you know, hey, well, future look at team the, punishment group. Yeah, but, but still, yes. Well, yes. Come on. All right. Let's I go don't even to... remember the name Larry Parker, do you? I mean, Eddie, no. Eddie Ruiz rings a bell. I mean, Paul Herrera, uh, you know, as Tito's wrestling coach. But... Mm-hmm. Arcean, Aja Kong's Arcea promotion announced the signing of Ayaka Hamada, 16. The daughter of Michinoku Pro Wrestler Grand Hamada and sister of women's wrestler Metsuko Yoshi Hamada. Kong went to the Michinoku Pro Show in the 16th in Nagata and made the joint announcement with Hamada. And Arcean hasn't even run a show yet. They just. They're just announced. But yep, there's Ayaka making her way in. Yeah, and. 
uh, you know, just probably in various ways. I mean, and I don't even think it's one way or the other. It came along at a wrong time. Well, that's what I was going to say. But it's just wrong time period. I don't think you can say too early or too late. I think... She came in in a middle time period that was just the wrong period to become a star in. Yeah. Because, like, she had the talent and then, you know, maybe she still would have had the addiction issues and stuff regardless. Who knows? But... She would have had a uh, she would have had a better shot at being a, a name in American promotion. Believe me, if she was sixteen in two thousand and seven and signed with a Jewish promotion, and that way she'd have been twenty one in twenty twelve. Oh, she would have been WWE in a second. I mean, if she came along more so though in like the last eight years, like modern WWE women's division, like. It would be like there would be zero doubt that this would that was her eventual. Oh, she destiny. was a natural. Yes, I mean her look, her work, oh, and yeah. also like even with the you know Joshi and Lucha style she worked, she didn't really work the same style as anyone else, and she had a style that really would have been more. I mean, and it was later on would have been conducive to working in the U.S. Like, she did not have as much of, like, an idiosyncratic Lucha or Joshi-type style as a lot of the other women who were coming up at the same time. Yeah. You know, she worked more of an, you know, quote-unquote, like, versatile international style. So, yeah, just, it's it's too bad. I hope she's doing okay now. I don't remember what the last update was after the the last set of drug charges, but... Yeah, it's just it's just a shame, and you know, also like it didn't help the way that she was marketed and portrayed in the media, including before she was even a wrestler or anything. But that's how that thing was though back then. Yes, but it's it, it, it's different when she's a teenager, and well, I mean, Japan has different. They have different ways of, I don't know, you know, they just, it's just different over there. Yeah. Different culture. All right. Um, since we're going to make this international, because Lucha's not a, a big enough for its own section, let's go to Mexico. Triple I scheduled what was built as the biggest card on December 13th at the 15th seat outdoor stadium in Ciudad Madero. Headlined by a cage match where the last man in lost his hair. With Fabian Metal and Paraguay Jr. against Pacuto and Sangre Chicana. Vampiro Canadiense, who expected to officially quit the promotion for Azteca over the weekend. Paraguayo Sr. and Mascaro Sagrado Triple A against Cibernetico Cobarde and Killer. Latin Lover Mascaro Sagrado Jr. against and La Parker Jr. and Cuervo against Los Vipers, Psicosis, Hysteria, Moscow, and Maniaco. Plus a match of Fuzzle and Pentagon and Ibizo Negro against Aldegon and two TV stars who are on a very controversial program that shows legitimate brutal street fight type violence on television. Which got so much heat that the president of Mexico ordered their show to be banned from television, which of course makes them cult heroes to some. The Brennan Brothers. Duro y Directo. Alright, the results of no, the Well, no, the TV show Duro y Directo. That's what I'm saying. Well, I'm making the distinction because AAA le- later has Duro y Directo, a tag team who are not the Brennans. I know, but I'm saying, but that's, that's their show. And they are on this, and they are in the results here. 
Yes. Yeah, Guerrero de Titanes at the Centro de Edificaciones, Ciudad Madero. We have Lady Discovery, Lady Luxor, Lady Venom, and Sociamara over La Fugitiva, La Megala, La Praticante, and Mafia de Lobos. The Vipers, B. Cuervo, La Pacrigia, Mascaros, Gordon Jr., and Venom 2. The Brennans, Antonio and Jorge, and Altagon over Bisonego, Fuzzgarden, and Pentagon 2. Latin Lover, Mascaro Sagrado, Triple A. Of course, that would be uh, Cranio Alabrije. Empero Aguayo over Cibernetico, Fuzzgarden, and The Killer by Disqualification. Forza working twice. And then Picudo lost the cage match, so he got his head shaved. That is not a show that sounds good. Yeah, but it drew a big house. Well. I mean, Triple A at this time is not putting on the greatest wrestling in the world, but they're drawing. That's one thing they always did. They always did good business. Yeah. Even though, yeah. you know, they weren't the darlings of the Western fans. Well, but they, the, uh, they were the gringo fans, I would say. Yeah, yeah, the gringos. They're already but the they <laughs> were always were successful in Mexico with business. Um, how long did Pena have the whole Lady Vipers thing going? Not long. Cause you mean Lady, not Lady Vipers, bitch. You mean Lady I mean Barring. Lady uh, Space Cadets. Lady Space Cadets, yes. Yes. Because, like, it's a thing you'd think he would have done at some point, but this is really the only time he does anything like this. Yes. But, uh... Yeah, then they, they take TV the next day at Arena Solidaridad. We have uh, Fuerza Guerrero Mascarado Merced uh, retaining the Mexican National Tag Titles over Mascaro Sagrado AAA and Mascaro Sagrado Jr. We have the key letter beating Simonetico in the Bull Terrier match. And we have P- Pentagon 2, Picudo, and Sangre Chicano over Peruguayo Jr., Octagon, and Peruguayo Sr. Now, also that day in Monterrey, in Arena Calcio Monterrey, we have Arandu, Damian CCCS, Pimpinho Escalada, and Perota Morgan over Pantro, Vaquera Romo, Silver Star, and Tarzan Boy. And then a main event, Antifaz da Norte, Ilda Santo, and Heta Garza over Negra Casas, Peroff, and Silver King. So there's your head to head Monterey shows for our, uh, our weekend there. Speaking of Vampiro, Vampiro kind of the NCAA officially signed his contract from a stack of the no show in the big triple show in Madero on the 13th. So there's that. Yes, and this leads to one of many uh, Conan and uh, Conan and Vampiro are friends now deals. Yes. Yeah. The first of many, like you said. They fight. They fight. They fight. They fight. They fight. Well, that's just the way it goes sometimes with friends. All right, let's go to the U.S. indie scene. We start with the American Wrestling Council. They had a show in Iceland, New Jersey, at the VFW Hall on December 13th. Supernova beat Devin Storm in your opening match. You have Billy Kidman over Ace Darling. Steve Crean over Adam Flash. And Reckless Youth over Don Montoya. This is a tournament. Oh, it's folks. the Great Eight show. This first round of the tournament. Yeah. Then Nova, Nova beat Karina by submission. Reckless Youth beat Billy Kim in the semis. And then Nova beat Reckless to win the ACW title tournament. And it's noted here to Supernova surrender his New Jack City wrestling title due to the uncertainty of the status of promotion inside his commitment to AWC and ECW. And this show... Prazak is involved, right? I don't think he's like the promoter, but he's heavily involved. 
I'm trying to remember who the main person was for AWC because they don't run. I wish I would have known that. I would have asked him to be on. <laughs> oh, you didn't know he? Well, I didn't really. I didn't look at the notes, so I didn't realize this was the Great Eight, especially. Oh well. I'm trying to remember. Does he do commentary? Or whatever. It is on YouTube. Um, but this show was a big deal and was a thing that a lot of tape traders, you know, spread around at the time. Well, I mean, you got a lot of your top indie talent of the Northeast in this one show, in this time period. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, there's that. Yes, and Nova. <laughs> and Nova, the winner, yes. Um, oh, I've, I'm looking at the video. Of course, it, 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 there's some kind of Donnie B involvement, I think. Well, he won, so, I mean, Nova won, so yeah, I would expect it would be. Yeah. All right, well, let's talk about another show in New Jersey. We got multiple New Jersey shows here. Pennsville, New Jersey, on the 13th, was NWA New Jersey in front of 600 fans, or 800 fans. We had Twiggy Ramirez over Doc Havoc, Tiger Khan over Gemini, The Misfits, Harley Lewis and Derek Domino over Crazy Ivan and Blitzkrieg. Patch went to a double DQ with I-Khan. Rick Ratchet over Wolf of the Lost Boys. Where was Yar at? In our main event, King Kong Bundy over the overweight lover. It's interesting seeing how barren this show is with so many of the core guys working the AWC show. And they still drew 800 fans. That's King Kong Bundy and Dennis for you, I guess. Yeah. And then you have United Championship Wrestling, which is in Glen Rock, New Jersey on the 13th. And they drew 1,000 fans. Jeez. I have no idea where Glen Rock is, by the way. Is it Gino Caruso? Oh, oh. Metal Maniac. Oh, and we Cousin, have some people doing double duty, too, on this one. Cousin Luke over H.B. Ryan. Okay. Demolition Axe over Kid USA. Which one? <laughs> it's got to be the, the one that we know. It's got to be It's got to be the one that's just... I'm guessing it's the one that's just Kid USA and not Kid USA Armand. Yes. Uh, Iron Man Tommy Cairo... Defeated the Raging Bull Manny Fernandez to retain the North America title in a nearly 30-minute wild brawl. This is from The Torch, by the way. Devin Storm and Ace Darling beat the Spanish Angel and Professor Larry. So that would be ECW Baldy's Angel and Larry Prisco? I guess. Yes. Jimmy Snook over Salvatore Sincere, that jobber Tom Brandy. Who also just stopped using that gimmick. Uh, well, he's on Raw as Salvatore Sincere in a way, but he's no, Tom Brandy. he's on Raw as, on time, as yeah, Tom Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. He's been exposed as that jobber Tom Brandy. Yeah, that was like the week before. Yeah. Doink, Ray Apollo as Doink over the Honky Tonk Man as your main event. Proceeds of this car was a local police department of two towns. Came for ticket sales and answered the program. Tickets were 20 and 15, and the two cameras shoot, take the show. Well, seems like they... Did a good job with what they were supposed to do. Yeah. All right. ECW. Let me go to the torch. Stevie Richards missed all three events this past weekend. He said he had a doctor's appointment last Tuesday and his re- reflexes weren't where they should have been. Apparently, the prognosis he described is similar to Steve Austin and that Richards is risking par- paralysis by taking bumps. Therefore, he may once again get fought to retirement. Richards wasn't exactly welcome back in the ECW locker room with open arms. There's suspicion within ECW that he bailed out, not because of injury, but because of how ostracized he had become. He has heat with Tommy Dreamer because of circumstances of his departure from ECW last time. He has heat with Sandman because Sandman and Raven are friends. 
and Richards and Raven had a fallen out in WCW. He has heat with Taz because Richards wrestled rough against Taz, trainee Danny Morrison. In fact, the belief is the Richards-Chris Chetty match at East Day Arena was so bad because Chetty wasn't cooperating with Richards on purpose to get back at him for the Morrison match the week before. Danny Morrison being Danny Doring. Taz chewed out Stevie on the phone, including being critical of him for doing the cross-hard stance, which is sort of Taz's signature. Stevie may end up in the WF or may end up leaving wrestling for a while. He lost credibility with some after fabricating a story by traveling to Europe to see his mother, when in fact he was lying low so he could make a surprise return on the pay-per-view. Oh, my goodness. And then Stevie ends up in WWF, so... Not immediately, though. It takes some time. In the meantime, he... uh, Well, I think he gets neck surgery, right? He does have surgery, yes. Yeah, so he gets neck surgery, he opens his uh, video game store at the mall, and he does that for a little while until he goes to WWF in... When is that? End of 98? Beginning of 99? Something like that. Something. Of that nature. Well, they drew 1700 in Buffalo, where $30,000 game on the 13th, where we had Al Snow over uh, Paul Diamond, Justin Grubb over Mikey Whipwreck, Chris Chatty over Pitbull 2, Chris Candido and Lance Storm over the FBI, and Balls and Axel. Dudley's over Jerry Lynn and Tommy Rogers. Taz fought Dreamer to a no contest. Rob Van Dam over Tommy Rogers. Blue Meanie over Jason. And Sabu over Sandman. They did an angle where, which ended with Mike Whipwreck out with a knee injury, cursed just incredible. Stop the show for 10 minutes, make the deal like a shoot to heat up their feud. And Chris Candido suffered some sort of elbow injury in Buffalo. So not good for him. Mm-hmm. He's always getting, always getting hurt. Him and fucking Douglas, man. They were always getting hurt. And I just checked. Stevie doesn't actually debut for WWF until uh, like August 99. Yeah, August. So he was he was just working occasional indies and stuff for a while. He was not uh he was so yeah, he was inactive and not really a regular any in any like kind of notable promotion for better part of two years. Man. Aaron O'Grady's gone from ECW. He had heat on him for in par for apparently refusing to help set up the ring at a recent show promoted by Bam Bam Bigelow. So <laughs> Meltzer would explain this later as being an East Coast mentality versus a West Coast mentality, that, uh, I guess, on West Coast indies, and maybe also, I don't know if it's different expectations, because it's ECW and it's not quite an indie anymore, um, it wouldn't necessarily expected for, like, a new undercard guy to help set up chairs and stuff, whereas it was in the Northeast at the time. And that was at least part of the heat he got here and why he never came back and then leads to uh apw trying to get as much publicity out of him having eaten ecw as humanly possible yeah with the uh aaron o'grady he shoots he scores video (laughs) yeah let's go to the pwf in north carolina they uh, ran the grady cole center in charlotte on the 14th in front of a thousand fans the, sli- the Breeze, Brutus McNasty beat Black Dragon. I'm going to say the Sleeze. The, the Breeze, Brutus McNasty. <laughs> and we got a Black Dragon here in PW in Charlotte. Black Angel, Black Angel and Ninja beat the Handsome Stranger and Scotty Hot, Hot Body in high performance in a three-way tag match. It's here, it's here it says Handsome Strange. <laughs> Scotty Hotty Body. Which... It, uh, 
I'm guessing it's a new Handsome Stranger. Isn't Handsome Strange what the Handsome Stranger was on the prowl for? <laughs> yes. Strange. Um, bodyguard beat Texas outlaw Ed Pardue. Hootie Hog. Have you ever heard a name that sounds more like something would make up for like Southpaw Regional Wrestling or Impact Pro Wrestling Federation than the Texas outlaw Ed Pardue? Well, how about Hootie Hog Crush with Antonio Ice Townsend beating Dr. Feelgood? How about Sweet Dream, Sweet Brown Sugar? He's so sweet, it's in there's name twice. And be equalizer with Baby Huey. Sure. Are we assuming that Sweet Dreams, Sweet Brown Sugar is Sweet Dreams? Gotta be. North Carolina. It has to be, which is uh, Reese Coleman's older brother, right? Yep. Overlord over Terry Austin. And then our main event, which is the reason why I put these results in in here. Ricky Morton and the Italian Stallion beat George South and Mustafa Saeed. Build his ECW original gangsta Mustafa. And gorgeous George South. And Mad Dog won a 20-man battle royal. Sure. The Rap Band Insane Clown Posse drew a thousand <laughs> fans for a cage match with them wrestling in the main event, <laughs> beating the Chicken Boys in Detroit on the Ray team, which included a three-way dance with Ian Rod, Knox Harley, and Madman Pondo, which included tables, thumbtacks, light bulbs, glass, barbed wire baseball bat, and barbed wire board. Results of the show for the Northern States Wrestling Alliance. Bill Scullion over Tommy Starr. Skull Gans over Don Montoya. Billy Bill over Cousin Cletus. Man Man Pondo over Angel. Rotten over Ox Harley and Pondo. And ICP over the Chicken Boys. So this is an incubatory Juggalo Championship wrestling. Yes, and this is the same Chicken Boys that ICP was talking about uh, wrestling against on the String of Mania videos. Do we have any idea which Angel this is? No idea. Don Montoya traveling here is kind of random, too, since it seems like it's mostly just Midwest guys. New York City Wrestling in Nashville on the 14th at the Fairgrounds Street, 300 fans. Thrill Billy over Jonathan Henry. Gary Valiant over Ken Arden by disqualification. Colorado Kid over Trailer Park Trash. Reno Riggins over Jonathan Henry. Chris Michaels over Buff Anderson, which is Andy Anderson. Terry Golden over Charlie Laird. Shane Eden over Derek King, Stephen Dunn over Andy Anderson, the Arden brothers, Kenny and John over Steve Neely and Ben Jordan, uh, Colorado Kid over Frenchie Riviera. Oh my goodness. And there may have been PG 13 over Flash Flanagan and Terry Golden. So this is a TV taping. Yes. Um, Andy Anderson going as Buff Anderson here, huh? Yeah. But that's not something I knew about. Wait, I forget. Isn't Frenchie one of the Ardens too? Isn't he, or at least related or something? Yeah. Or he's the, or he's the third brother, right? Yeah. Okay. He was Bubba Arden. When he wrestled as an Arden. Yes. Okay. Um, what was the other thing that jumped out at me? I, I don't think I knew that Ben Jordan was still wrestling at this point. Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. USWA. The investors in the now defunct XL Sports, the 
USWA Sulker Group, have filed an individual $1.4 million lawsuit against Jerry Lawler in Memphis, claiming he conspired to con the investment group out of money by misrepresenting the value of the company, claiming he misrepresented to them the price he paid to acquire the other 50% of the company from Jerry Jarrett. Lawler paid approximately $250,000 to Jerry for 50% USWA, of which Jarrett received about $175,000. And Larry Burton, Bergman, Burtman, whatever his name is going by this week, received the difference as a brokering fee for putting the deal together. Lawler and Burton then sold the Sucker Group 55% of the USWA for $1.1 million. There are also hints that the Suckers filing an individual suit against Burton and filing criminal fraud charges, although those threats were also out there a few months back and nothing materialized. The second similar lawsuit filed by the group. The first against Lawler and Burton was looking to obtain control of the promotion, but was dropped, and the promotion officially declared bankruptcy. The investment group then filed suit to get their money back. Good Lord. Where do I start? (laughs) (laughs) We talked about this before. Yes. Um, I don't remember the last time we would have. Um... The complaint that the complaint I have here is actually a separate complaint from a few months later. This is one that Tony Meyer sent me years ago. Um, the short version, I guess we can say, is the even beyond whatever the hell was going on with Larry Burton, there was a scheme to make the promotion appear to be and its syndication network appear to be worth much more than it actually was. The weirdest part. Being that, like, Vince McMahon got involved, and there were meetings with the Selkers, where Vince was like, oh yeah, the USWA is worth this much, and I'd probably buy it from you if you bought it, and, like, all this shit. And, like, Vince, Vince, for whatever reason, decided to, like, actively help Lawler with this. It's very strange. Yeah. That's the part, like, it's, as far as I can tell, that's true. That's the part I've always just found really weird about. It's just like, why did Vince get mucked up in this? Like, I can't think of an answer. Yeah. Like, it's very, very weird. Like, the the rest is just regular rest carny bullshit. But, like, I just don't see what the upshot is to Vince getting involved in this at this time. I guess to help Lawler out. But, I mean, they're not wrestling people. There is the risk of that that he will sue you. Well, maybe Lawler had Vince con. I don't know. I don't think that was happening. Um, but, And the thing that's really insane is this, in some form with appeals and stuff, this drags on for, like, at least a decade. In various forms. You know? Yeah. Um... Trying to remember if there's anything else really that jumps out here. But it's just these these guys got conned. You know, by Lawler and Burton, and you know, Lawler then was able to claim that he got conned by Burton and he didn't end up being held liable for anything. Of course not. <sighs> it's just such a weird story and such a weird way for this promotion to end that you know, Lawler Lawler offered to buy Jared out with, I guess it was technically Burton's money. No, but Burton was doing it in installments anyway, so I guess it wasn't Burton's money. But it was with the idea that Burton already had the Selkers lined up. That's what it was. 
So, and that's why, like, when Lawler told Jarrett, like, hey, I'd buy your, I'll buy your half for 250000 Jerry was like, Jerry Jarrett was like, sure. And that got the ball rolling on everything. But it's, it, what kind of, like, even in terms of getting, like, getting worked and all that, like, what kind of idiot do you have to be to think that, like, to do so little due diligence, even in a 1996-97 context? To think that all these proclamations about the worth of the syndication network, which outside of the, you know, home territory was just a bunch of, you know, like, America One affiliates. Like, how could you, like, how can anyone think that was worth anything? Like, how how can you believe this shit? Yeah. They did, though. Yeah. Oh, if you, if you, if you Google XL Sports USWA, there are a bunch of results on case text from, uh, you know, various legal proceedings, including, yeah, yeah, September 07 in XL Sports v. Lawler. January 06 in XL Sports v. 1 million... Am I reading this right? Yeah, 1 million... Uh, or am I reading... Wait. 1, 2, 3 zeros. Yeah, 1 million $60,000. One of those deals where it's... I always forget how that was. Is that like an asset forfeiture thing? Where if they're suing the dollar amount? I don't understand how that works. But just a mess, and just such a weird way for that for a once great uh, promotion to end. And then there's all the other drama where, like, you know, there's, you know, who knows exactly what was going on with, you know, Power Pro starting up right after, too. Um, I, don't the Selkers, didn't we cover at one point the Selkers threatening to sue when Power Pro started? I think so. Yeah, so this just. I gotta think the Selkers had plenty of money to keep the legal fight going for so long, right? Yeah. It's just they wanted to recoup it, so. A very, very weedy story that I'm guessing we've covered in more detail at another time, but. Alright, well, let's close the show with WCW, and there's a lot going on there this week. But not in a big section, but there's a lot going on. We only have sketchy details of the incident involving two wrestling fans and several WCW wrestlers at the Buffalo Airport, Airport Marriott, which is actually located in Amherst, New York, at the hotel bar on December the 9th that resulted in Rick Rude being arrested. Based on several reports, Scott Norton, Rick Rude, Marcus Bagwell, Lex Luger, and Arn Anderson were at the hotel bar drinking about 1 a.m. after a WCW Saturday night taping earlier that night in Erie, Pennsylvania. A fan accidentally bumped into Norton. Apparently, the fan didn't back down to the huge Norton when it got confrontational. And a friend of his, who some thought may have been his brother, grabbed Norton so the first guy could hit him with a beer bottle. Oh, boy. As you can imagine, all hell broke loose at that point, with the end result being that the fan was bounced around like a ping-pong ball by the wrestlers, resulting in, among other things, a broken nose, believed to come from Bagwell. Luger wound up with a black eye in the brawl. Hotel security and Amherst police arrived rather quickly. Rude was apparently rather vociferous with the police about arresting both fans for starting a fight. And apparently things got out of control with him to the point he was hit with a nightstick and maced by police to calm him down. And then was arrested and spent a night in jail. At least one, if not both, the fans were also arrested, although we're not clear of the exact charges. But Rude and the injured fan were arraigned the next day and were given a December 16th court date in Amherst, New York. And there was some local television news coverage of the incident. That fan should have been arrested for, being, for stupidity. Scott Norton? You gonna try Scott Norton? Uh, good God. With Rick Rude there? 
<laughs> well, yeah, I mean, I mean, Rude's Rude, but Scott Norton at this time is massive. Of the group of the group of guys there, he's the biggest one there. Yes, and you gonna try he him? Looks like, he looks like Scott Norton. Yes. I mean, try Bagwell. He, he, I mean, he looked like the 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 big, you know, the most uh, well, the least threatening of the bunch. I would say he so, looks. He or, looks or, or, or like that. Him he looks like that era of George Michael, just on the gear. I mean, he was a pretty boy, you know. I mean, yeah, he was muscular, but he's a per- the prettiest of the bunch. But good God, what an idiot! <laughs> yeah, and I mentioned Rube, Arn's there too, and I know Arn had, you know, is dealing with his stuff at the time, but still, he's Arn Anderson. So, uh, yeah, I mean, this is a story as old as time, but this is stuff that, you know, in this era, you didn't hear about as much of as you did in the territories where you had the wrestlers fighting in bars with the fans. So this is a, a, a definitely a, uh, a throwback story here in 1998, 97. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, and the thing is, most of the times this shit happens, it's the guy saying wrestling is not real. Oh, you guys are a bunch of fakers. This That's how that usually gets started. Bumping into each other and then not trying to cool the situation down. It's it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so wild stuff. Apparently, Flair hadn't recovered from his ankle injury because he only did a 17-second match with Kurt Henning on Nitro, which ended with the NWO attacking him and him getting carried out again. As said before, when Flair was injured in the War Games match, it was handled great, and he came back harder than ever. But since his comeback, he, we now see two more injuries of him not beating anyone in the interim. More than anything else, the consistent portrayal of injuries is going to make him like an old man who keeps getting hurt every time he tries to come back. Which is not anyone wants to see from Flair at this stage. Stage of the game. If he wasn't ready to return, he should have been doing interviews only and not build for Starcade. Diamond House Page will take Flair's spot in Starcade US title match against Henning. Which apparently was always the plan, as it was known all along Flair wasn't going to be ready by then. If so, why was he advertised in the first place? Dave didn't know if it'd be a cage match, but if it isn't, why'd they push as a cage match in the first place? Yeah, I mean, just that simple. I mean, it's a total bait and switch. Pretty much. I mean, you know Flair is not going to compete in the show, but you build it up. You build it up, and then you do the, the, the pull, but I guess this isn't as bad because, I mean, Starcade is still at this point two weeks away. So you can still do your angle and get Paige in the match and still have two weeks. You know, to do that, and put, try, you're trying to put more heat on Henning that way, but I get where Dave's coming from as well yep, in this whole much. thing. As best we can tell, the plans for Nitro remain on, as is on Mondays, as in why mess with a successful formula? And the new formula show will be NWO Thunder on Thursdays. Being that this is 90s wrestling, nothing is for sure until it happens, including Sting winning the title. Although Hogan not doing the job on this show... And he has a contractual right not to, which means he's going to hold the company for whatever he can get. After all this build, that would be a lot of the, let, let a lot of the air out of the steam balloon. Oh, don't worry, Dave. That's going to happen anyway. With how everything was handled. Hogan did his job, but he did it on his terms and fuck Sting. Yeah. But yeah, again, here's the, the plan that, you know, the Thursday show was going to be a separate show, but... 
we had always heard that Nitro was going to be the NWO show and Thunder's going to be the WCW show. Yes. This is a this is a different telling of that here. And also, as we've talked about before, like I, I don't think you ever could have had an NWO show and made it work, especially in a two or three hour time slot. But like you know, what ends up happening the following week with NWO Nitro. That bo- you know, which you were at, and we've covered that week. The reason it bombed in the ratings was that they did set construction, and there was nothing happening for forty-five minutes. It was not the end yeah. of the Nitro concept that bombed. No, no. And now, is it probably for the best that that happened? Because I again, how do you even do a two or three hour NWO TV show? Yeah, it probably was for the best, but. I just I feel like we have to mention it whenever it comes up because it's always been this misnomer that was like, oh, the concept of NWO Nitro bomb. No. They didn't really have time for it to bomb as a concept. No, what they would have done, Bix, is they would add more members of the NWO. And they're all healed? So you would add But are they wrestling each other? Are they squash well are they squ- are they just winning squashes? Are they wrestling WCW wrestlers? That's the, I mean, that is the thing. Yeah, that's the thing in this that, you know, the whole concept that, that I don't think anybody's ever really answered. What was going to be the, the, you know, wrestling part of that show was, I mean, how are you going to do that? Were they going to go to Hollywood versus Wolfpack a few months early and add more members? It probably, it probably would have happened that way. Yeah. It probably would have happened that way where. They do the split, and then Nash, like, they do Nash, like, recruiting or shit, you know? Yeah. Recruiting members of the WCW. And, like, each side is recruiting members of WCW's roster. Right. Or the new additions come into the NWO or whatever. You know, I mean, I don't know. Well, that also sold out as the first show billed as WCW slash NWO, right? Yes. Which they end up keeping in the branding even when there's no NWO TV show. For the rest of the year. And I think even going to 99. Yeah, 99, I think they were still using it. But only in interviews where you are seeing both brands. Yeah. Just very weird. Although, maybe not as weird as the Stark match we're about to talk about. Nitro and the 15 drill sell on 9,320. 8499 paying 146 425 to the Independence Arena in Charlotte. So yeah, they're not even in the, in the big building in Charlotte. Yeah, they're in their a, old the old building. Yeah, Independence Arena is the old Coliseum, right? Yes. The show opened a dart match as the American Patriots, Chip the Firebreaker, Curtis Thompson, and Todd Champion returned after a, uh, <laughs> a near six year absence. Being the returning Samoan SWAT team, built as Samu and Fatu, although it was the original Samu and Sam Fatu, better known as Samoan Savage, Tom Kid. All reports are this match wasn't good, so they probably should. They, that should probably well guarantee they 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 get signed. The Samoans are likely in due to Hogan, who apparently has some sort of indebtedness to, in the for the past to offer. That's ominous. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, some sort of indebtedness to the in the past to Alpha. Maybe Alpha was the one that uh, 
facilitated the Tampa pipeline at the beginning. You mean when he that that the pipe? <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know if we should go that far. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. But you know, uh, I mean, maybe, they're, they're in the I'm Gulf Coast. Thinking, I mean, I was gonna th- think out loud, or maybe something when he had his gun charge. I don't know. That's what I said. Facilitated. You know, that could go in different ways. Because you know they're they're you know based out of the Gulf Coast at that that point in time, so I don't know. But Dave, I mean Dave's saying something here. I mean, he is. It's like he's talking about. It's like he's talking about you know WWE and TV TV deals here or something. You know, he's being very vague. <laughs> so this is nothing new. But anyway, what a match. So. And December 97, we have the, re- the re- re- reuniting of the Patriots against Samu and Sam Fatu. In short. What? What? Curtis Thompson's the only one who maybe even be a local, and even then I don't know if he is. I mean, is he into Alice at this point? Or I mean, Curtis Thompson's in the Carolinas. Okay, that's what I thought. Entire champion. I mean, I don't know where he was, what he was doing, but I want to see this match because it's like it's it's a uh, a hybrid of nineteen ninety and ninety one WCW. Yeah, they should have brought. Uh, well, he couldn't have come in, but they should have Tra- uh, Tracy and Steve come in. That's the Southern Boys again. You know, if they're gonna do all this or something like that. You mean Young Pistol Tracy and Young Pistol Steve? Well, yeah, but there were Southern, I mean, Southern Boys, Jump Pistols, whatever. All right, the TV started with the NWO group interview, which included Masahiro Chono, who said a few words in Japanese and never came back out again. Well, they were bothering using him when they had nothing for him to do is not a question, but Dave's already run out his quota of questions regarding Nitro. Ray Trailer pinned Vincent in 150 with a Bubba Slam, now called the Trailer Park Trash. Disco Inferno retaining TV title pin Eugene Nagata in 431 with the chart buster. Nagata was clearly not used to standing there waiting for Disco to get there for his offensive moves, but they worked together better than one would think. Well, Nagata's that good. He, he can adapt to these situations. Well, he's running the very new uh, Windows 95 at the time, if we're to use uh, Minoru Suzuki's analogy from a few weeks ago. Although I did, oh wait, did that not get on your radar? Uh, no. Uh, in the tag league, no. they were teaming together, and Suzuki cut a promo after they went on a losing streak, saying that Nagata needs to update his software. He's stuck on Windows ninety five. He's really stuck. Oh, I forgot to mention this was a special three hour edition of Nitro too. By the yes, because they're so. not three hours until full time until January and. Uh, Oh, I'm I noticing as I skip through the show to queue stuff up, potentially. The week before was the infamous Sting cannot get himself unhooked uh, from the harness to fight off oh, the yes. WO uh, Nitro. Yes, we do. Yep. Yep. We talked about that on that previous show. Yeah. Which as much as I people, feel like, be- remember it, is it happening a bunch of times? It did. Yeah. Fifth Finley beat Dean Malenko in 602 with a tombstone when Eddie Guerrero distracted Malenko. Match wasn't nearly as good as you think. Eddie got another shot at doing color commentary and didn't do well again. 
The reason Eddie continually brings up Malenko's reaction about his wife being pregnant is because she's about to give birth. Um, I mean, Eddie... Basically, what Eddie was doing here was he was ripping on Dean for not having any facial expressions, no opinions, of being a boring road companion. Wade thought Eddie was funny. So, there's that. Ooh, it's fun. Um, I mean, you got a kick Disco Inferno, isn't it? Rey Mysterio Jr. and Humberto Guerrero beat La Parca and Sakosa in a match that blew away everything on either show when Humberto pinned Sakosa at their 450 splash. Rey and Humberto remind Dave a lot of Santo and Octagon as a small underdog babyface team when it comes to charisma. Obviously, they're a better working team, but Santo and Octagon was one of the best pure babyface tag teams in a decade. The other team they got potential to be like, although again, they're far better workers, is the Rock and Roll Express of the 80s. And actually, Park and Sakosa have... Uh, to tell them to be their Midnight Express counterparts, but they're lacking the great talking manager to get the whole deal over. Anyway, this is so well, that probably means we won't be seeing them as a team much in the future. Ray did a springboard into a flip of the Huracan on the floor on Park at the finish. And, uh, yeah, I mean, this is the era where they're letting the Lucha Luchadors get, have some really good TV matches, especially Parka. But... Um, this is probably this is probably his best run. It's in this late '97, early '98 era. Because this is when Chairman really picks up. But he's also being used a lot and getting wins and uh, you know yeah. getting a spotlight. But Dave is also right that they don't keep the teams together. Well, they just don't. Yeah, exactly. And I, Dave's hyperbole. I mean, it's. I should let me rephrase. Dave's response review here is not hyperbole. This is one of the best matches in the history of Monday Nitro. Yeah. And it's not mentioned here, but I remember I remember calling into Observer uh, live about him when Ray was on once, and he confirmed the story that was online at the time, which I guess was a newsletter. This was basically these four guys going out and like protesting their lack of pushes at the time. Yeah. And listen to the reaction, too, on the big double dive spot. Because I remember the crowd just completely blowing for this. And Rey Mysterio, Sin Lepaka, and Psychosis on the outside. One spin kick, one drop kick, and now... You know what I really think helps it, too, besides that they're having this quality of match, is that you have Ray, you have Hoovy, who's kind of newly a babyface, and the the crowd's starting to get into, and you have, you know, Sakosis, who is at least established, and Parka, who's a personality who's getting over, so you also just have the right blend of characters for this match to get particularly over as well. Yeah. That has anyone other than Ray ever done that Ali Uprana spot? Not as good as him, that's for sure. I think Dragon Kid might have at some point, but Yeah. But anyway, seriously, yeah, if, if anyone who's listening has never seen this match, it's well worth going out of your way to see. <laughs> All right, Arn Anderson came out to a huge ovation, and he broke down the reaction, saying the wrestling ring is the only place in his adult life he felt at home in. The Charlotte Observer had run a positive story that day on Arn, talking about his career-ending injury. Dave can't figure out why there isn't a place on camera for someone who could talk that well. Granted, it'd be hard at this stage for him to be a heel manager, and he can't take bumps. 
the guys who have his talents and friends in the mic in this business can be counted on about three or four fingers, and it's a shame not to find a spot for someone like that. Ric Flair came out, and they also presented a check for $15,000 for memorial for slain police officers in Charlotte. Um, yeah, what happened was um, it started to show that they did an on-screen graphic dedicating Nitro to all the police officers who lost their lives in the line of duty. As uh, there was a new memorial in Charlotte for police officers killed in the line of duty. And uh, they did all this stuff, and then Flair challenged Henning to a match. But, uh, yeah, I mean, do we need to play the Orin thing? Uh, I don't think so. Well, let's, just, let's at least play him coming out for their reaction and stuff. Okay, let me go, actually go back. I jumped just ahead of well, you can already see he's, You can already see he's already emotional. He's going to the ring. Oh, there's Doug Dillinger. Well, they're in Charlotte, and that's his his guys. Yeah. So. Thinking about ways he can deprive black children of autographs if the stuff we talked about on uh, the Patreon show is to be believed. His career, oh. he is one of your own, Charlotte. Please welcome Double A, the enforcer, Arn Anderson. Black slacks, black belt, black turtleneck, black jacket. Yeah. And there's tradition man, walking right out here, man. Ooh, that'll give you chills, won't it? What a reaction for Arn Anderson. One of the men that made professional wrestling what it is today, right there. You can tell you some most. When men were men and women their mouths shut. Has he been ah. on TV since Fall... Jesus. Has he been on TV since Fall Brawl? Uh, no. Really? I don't think he has. Also, not a great line for someone to use on TV, uh, period, but also uh, when their recent past, and relatively recent past, includes getting arrested on domestic violence charges and crowds chanting wife beater at him. Wow. Which is a story people forget about, isn't it? All right, I think this reception here tonight has got to be just a testament to the tremendous career you had. Unfortunately, injury has sidelined you, but I got to tell you, from my heart, from these people's hearts, we miss the enforcer. bought a new house down the road a little ways from here and that's where I live but this arena and more so inside these four posts this is my home it's the only place since I've been an adult that I actually felt comfortable so it's good to be here just for a little while but the fact of the matter is, about 90 days ago, the people of Charlotte, North Carolina, were supposed to see Ric Flair wrestle in this building. And they were robbed of that by Kurt Henning and the NWO. 
But Carrot Henny, your daddy should have taught you a long time ago. If you start a fight, you should have finished it. Because this one is a long way from over. Because my best friend, the Nature Boy, is right back there. Come on out, Nate. Guys, he's in the house. Did you hear that? These two men, like brothers, Art Anderson, introducing boy Ric Flair. This place is coming absolutely unglued tonight. understand i'm not saying this is a negative his plastic surgeon did an amazing job with that facelift yeah if you can especially when it's still fairly fresh and just a couple months old like it is at this point if you know to look for it you can tell but like it was what he needed because he was starting to look old in a way he hadn't before yes and it it was just subtle enough that it wasn't obvious, but it still greatly de-aged his presentation. At this time, yeah. At this time, the implication mm-hmm. being, as it settled in over the years, not so much. Old spam head, Ric Flair, Claire! yes. <laughs> Where'd that come from? Jesus Christ. You, ain't never, you, you haven't seen that meme? The picture of a, a thing, a, a, like a a, a whole uh, span when you take it out of the can. Somebody did it with Ric Flair's hair haircut. You have never seen that? No. Oh my God! Hold on. No, I don't. I don't want to see this. Uh, okay, it's for 2015. All right, hold on, hold on. You got to see this. All right, I'm gonna send this to you. It's in real time. I want your reaction to it. <laughs> That's a recording. (laughs) Jesus Christ. (laughs) Does it look like him now? Oh, you need some some eyeballs? A mouth? (laughs) Yo, spam head. I wouldn't even say that's the facelift, though. It's the skin tone (laughs) more than anything else. I know, but it's all part of the whole thing. Aging, yeah. Oh my, okay. And that's that 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 was like 2015 when that meme hit. Because yeah, dude, uh, it was on his birthday. It's a happy birthday, Ric Flair, you, you old spam head. February 25th, 2015. I, I would prefer put it amazing. Up, but... <laughs> spam head. <laughs> oh man. And of course, I I accidentally. Uh, Pause this on Rick licking his lips. <laughs> well, he's probably looking at some lady at ringside, maybe. <sighs> I, I'm thankful. Right. Oops, I, I pulled the wrong. I, when I thought I was fi- adding something back to the soundboard, I pulled the wrong thing. Okay, that's good to know. 
I thought I found the Xanding uh, Jesus, but it was not. Because it was labeled Jesus.mp3, so now I have no idea what that is. Anyway, back to this. You're here, they're here, and it's the holiday season. He's about to make me break down and cry again, you know. I would like to take this moment, and it's a very serious moment, and I feel very fortunate to have been chosen by WCW to represent our company because tonight we honor the greatest police force the United States of America. And I'm talking about Chief Snyder, Major Barnes Force. Doug, congratulations. On behalf of WCW, I had an opportunity today to drive by and look at the memorial myself firsthand. And it's a tremendous memorial, a tremendous monument for the slain officers of the illustrious Charlotte Police Force. So on behalf of WCW, I'd like to be the first to say congratulations. It's a great memorial. We're proud to be part of it, Chief. And there's a check for $15,000 from WCW. Chief, congratulations. Got to be a great moment for you and for police officers, not only here in Charlotte, but around the country. In the history of the Charlotte-Mecklenburg Police Department, we've had 22 officers who have lost their lives in the line of duty. In the past 15 years, we've had eight. On behalf of members of the Charlotte-Mecklenburg Police Department, the families of these officers who have lost their lives, we would like to thank the World Championship Wrestling for this generous donation to our memorial. Thank you. Thank you, Chief. Thank you, Major. Doug, thank you. Very kind, we know about this, but what about a little bit later on here tonight, Ric Flair? Let's talk a little holiday cheer for you. Well, me, Gene, I had to be conservative for a moment. <laughs> but on behalf of the Enforcer, on behalf of Charlotte, woo, North Carolina, I want this great company to send in a video of the greatest Monday Nitro party of all time. That means Kurt Henning, I'm calling you out tonight in Charlotte. Because we in Charlotte woo, can dance all night and dance a little longer. And Henning, you and the whole NWO can't beat me up in Charlotte, Jack. but we're going to be right back. Wow. All right. Well, this is followed up by J.J. Dillonier Bischoff. They had a confrontation where Bischoff demanded that punches and kicks count in the Zabisco match at Starkey. But Dillon Quote said unquote. submissions yeah. also had to count. Yes. Yes. But Dylan says submissions also had the count. Someone explain that logically. That made even less sense than the time a few weeks back on Raw when Jim Ross was putting over Ken Shamrock, but said he made Brett and Sean tap out, and Lawler said, 
What does Tap out to do with wrestling? <laughs> well, all right. So next we get Scott Hall over Chris Jericho with the Outsider Edge two thirty two. Should have been longer, more competitive. Well, you know how that goes. And Chris Jericho is inching towards uh, his new character change as uh, 97 comes to an end. Um, he doesn't do the tantrums and stuff until uh, Thunder, though. Yeah. Now, is this or this before Long or about- after the uh, banana peel job Paul does for Jericho? Uh, I think it was after. That sounds right. Mongo was supposed to wrestle Ming. Thankfully, that never happened. Bill Goldberg laid out Mongo before the match. J.J. Dillon then ordered Goldberg to take the match with Ming. Goldberg got a big reaction, even though he hadn't been on TV much due to his injury the past few weeks. In the highway, Mongo jumped him and had a pull apart. For some reason, no match ever took place. Yeah, you kind of forget that Goldberg's first real feud was with Mongo and Michael. Over the Super Bowl ring. Over the Super Bowl ring. And, uh, it's a, it, I mean, Goldberg shook that off and they started pushing the streak after that because they weren't pushing the streak at this time really at all I mean, he, it just started he's just this new guy who got this surprise win and is undefeated so far but it's not this big thing no Steiner's kept tag titles being Conan Scott Norton by DQ and 357 when Vincent interfered and did 3 on 2 until Ray Trailer made the say. Scott Steiner got a haircut, sharing off his trademark long locks. Oh, yes. He's getting ready for his uh, his big turn coming. Yeah, white thunder, Scott Steiner. Yeah. Yeah. Next, we get a match that I think maybe only happened one time. Randy Savage pinned Booker T in 647. Crowd's starting to burn out at this point. And the match wasn't as good as you think. Yeah, we're not. We're just now at going into the ninth quarter hour. So yeah, we're entering the third hour of the show, and the crowd's starting to get tired. Not a good sign for a three-hour television show, boys. Chris Benoit, who's losing steam in his prelim feud, beat Scotty Riggs with a crossface in four thirty-eight. A good match. Raven once again wasn't there. It did kind of seem like Benoit was spinning wheels at this point in time. But he's, I mean, he's in the Raven feud, and that would end up being, you know, good stuff. Yeah, he's a month away from the Raven pay-per-view match. It's Saturn and him get into it here. Saturn gives him the ring to Saturn after the match. It was the, th- the Raven stuff got dragged out a little too long before they had the match. <sighs> yeah. Dylan and Bischoff had another backstage confrontation, ended up with them arguing over a referee. Bischoff suggested Nash or Six, but Dylan said no. Dylan suggested Randy Anderson or Scott Dickinson. Bischoff said no, because he didn't want a fat man referee him because he's too fast. Dylan said he picked an NWO member to referee and said Bret Hart. Bret came out to a surprisingly big pop. Although the way the segment set him up, he was bound to get the pop. Surprising. Then he mentioned it was Ric Flair. Then he was mentioned it was, it was Ric Flair country, which kept the crowd on his side. He said he wasn't going to be biased because he knew he was going, was like to get screwed by a referee, which actually got the biggest pop of all. Bischoff offered him $7.5 million per year and weekends off with Ted's money. Explain why it would be Ted's money if this was an outsider renegade group trying to destroy Ted's company. That was everybody. To join. 
since Brett doesn't want to be called a sellout, naturally he'll be turning that one down. A lot of people thought Brett should have done a lot more in his first appearance. They couldn't do much about him not tipping his hand more and ruining the speculation angle for Starcade of what he's going to end up doing. Really, his first appearance probably should have been at Starcade as the referee, keeping the whole deal a mystery until he did whatever he's going to do at the climactic point in the match. But since WF had been drawing ratings with his name, WCW wanted to get him on the air. Well, here we go. So let's see Bret Hart's first live appearance in WCW. Yes. You pick yes. Did he say yes? What, what, what's JJ doing here? Well, now that we got that little thing out of the way, ironed out, w- would you like to meet who I've picked? That reminds me. They never explain why JJ knew that Brett wasn't really joining the NWO, right? No. Of course not. J- can, JJ obviously knows that Brett is not really joining the NWO, but. They never explained how they knew this, and I don't think Brett ever actually explains why he why the NWO thought he joined. Right? No. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's crazy. Right now! Right now? Right now! Me, Gene, why don't we bring the man out that's going to referee this match? Okay. God, that original WCW Brett music's terrible. Oh, it was horrible. The second song was better. Yes, it was. It it was not a great fit, but it was better. This is just... Yeah. I, I don't understand what Jimmy Hart was going for here. I mean, they, they did good knockoff songs. Why couldn't Jimmy Hart do a good knockoff of his WF song? You mean of the song that Jimmy Hart wrote? <laughs> yes! I wonder if he was afraid of getting uh, John Fogarty'd by WWE. I mean, there's a way you could do it where it wouldn't sound. I mean, there's a way you could do it where it wouldn't be exactly the same. I mean, it's interesting when you consider all the knockoff songs he did in WCW too. That's like, oh, they're not going to notice this, but WWF will definitely notice this one. Yeah. Well, that's the man, JJ Dillon's pick. It's okay with Bischoff. Yeah, it really is. Why would JJ do that? Let's wait and see. Eric loves it. Look, God, the song is even more low key than I remember, too. Yeah. It's really ill suited. I, I want to. I just want to pull up the other one for comparison, real quick. Okay, so Bret Hart second WCW theme. <clears throat> oh, it got muted for some reason. Okay, on YouTube.
it's much more the right idea, but it's still too slow. In a way, it's still uh, way too down tempo. It sounds like a alternate version of a, the Thunder theme in a way too. Yeah, but he kept it. I mean, he started even yeah. after Thunder, really. And then if we just compare the classic WWF one. Although this is the non-Jimmy Hart version. Yeah. But it's so, it's so much, like, it's just the tempo is such a key part of it. And also also the, the, the Jim Johnston arrangement is also a lot more there. And then the original Jimmy Hart version was... And that has a little bit closer to the kind of sparse arrangement the WCW ones do, but it's still again, it's still faster paced. It's so like his so- his entrance music is so established that they needed to at least like match that the tempo. Yeah. So anyway, as JJ Dillon does yeah. the NWO point at Brad. At this, ladies and gentlemen, no doubt about it, he is here. One of the biggest moments in Nitro. One of the biggest stars in our sport. This is getting to be more like let's make a deal, and apparently this is... uh, That's my choice. Kosher with all parties concerned. Bret Hart, welcome to Nitro. Welcome to Nitro. Took a long time to get here. And it's great to be here. It's great to be in Ric Flair country. This is it. That's the magic. So if you're looking for a referee, is that what you want? Referee. I would be honored to be the referee for this match. Yo, Brad, man, 7.5 mil a year, Ted's Turner's money. You, me. For life. Well, I don't know what's your association, just what we've seen in the past. Pretty happy. He is very happy. But wait, is he saying that's the deal that's all they already have? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I was confused when Dave said that because, like, obviously the storyline is they've already signed him, so. Do what you can. Win if you can. But don't look to me for any help. Oh. 7.5 million a year and you get this? Because nobody knows better than I do what it's like to get screwed over by a referee. <laughs> so you're on your own, Jack. You're on your own, Bischoff. I think you said Jack. Jack is good enough for me, too. Look at this guy's beside himself. Tony. He's going down. Oh. Wait a a minute. There there may be some more book made here. As I said, she's having an aneurysm. To look more like 
Let's make a deal every day. Brett. 7.5 mil a year, weekends off. Brett. Tony, we're going to leave that up in the air as I throw it back to you guys. Uh, enough is enough. Red Hart turns around on that one. Bischoff doesn't know what to do. You know, and it, it, he's trying to come up with a thought, a plan. And it goes, it goes back to our thought. Is he NWO or not? I still don't know. But he is here, and he will be the special referee for Eric Bischoff and Larry Zabisco at Starcade. Oh, and he's still wearing the Heart <coughs> Foundation leather jacket, too. That says Heart Foundation. Yes, he is. Yes. Brett? Brett? Bischoff is so great at being the Bischoff character here. Oh, yeah, of course. He's mean, I mean, he's always been great at being Bischoff's character. But J.J. Dillon, being so boisterous as he was, should have been assigned to Bischoff. Like, wait a minute, something's not right. Yes. Or is the the idea supposed to be that Dylan knows that he's yes. taking the... No, is it the idea supposed to be he's taking the calculated risk that after what just happened in Montreal, Brett wouldn't refuse to be a biased referee? No, it's J.J. Dillon knowing that Brett's not a member of the NWO. But how? Why, why, does, because it's, why does the NWO think he's a member of the NWO? Because they've already said he was. But why do they think he is? In the because, first place? remember when, remember the Nitro after Survivor no, Series? No, I know, when they I'm, were saying, doing the, I'm saying, what is supposed to be the reason for they, that? Because Bischoff signed into the contract. But it's with Ted's, it's, so it's technically a WCW, uh, Yeah, but Bischoff is the guy that's running WCW as a member of the NWO. I thought he got suspended. You know how that went. So, I get what Bischoff and everyone were trying to do here, though. I I I feel like in the moment, especially when you you're just kind of have to rush him in without necessarily a plan, like a real plan yet, based on how everything went down. I think the idea of taking what happened at Montreal using him, you know, introducing it as, you know, here he's going to be a guest referee on the show, and then using that so he can help save the day for Sting later. I don't think in the context of December 97 that that's a bad idea. Well, I mean, what I mean, Brett was just screwed by a referee. So there's your perfect story right there. Now you're now he's going to be the referee. Right, I feel like you know? I feel like people have always argued like Brett should have had a bigger, more dynamic debut, and I get that. But Starkey '97 already had Hogan and Sting. Right. I mean, you you didn't need another hook. Right. You're you need you know you already had Brett wrestling for sold out. Yes. Which drew a big no. That's Starkey. We can. And after and after Starcade, we can talk about how Brett was handled then. Absolutely, but this it's I don't a, have any problem with. It's a perfectly fine idea. Yeah. Now the execution and whatnot has issues for various reasons, some of which are Hogan's doing. But on paper, this is fine. 
Yeah. Buff Bagwell beat Lex Luger by DQ in 208. Nothing much again, although Bagwell's on the verge of taking a major step up the ladder with this program. Flair beat Henning on 17 seconds when the Atari NWO interfered. Before the match, Henning gave a promo that went nowhere fast. Flair gave everyone low blows, so there were too many, and he was destroyed until Luger, Page, and the Steiners came out for the save. Fans were hitting the ring at this point. All right, well, let's watch all this. So we can skip the Henning p- promo and just get to when Flair gets out there. And then we'll watch how everything happens here. All right, there's Flair. For Ric Flair in his hometown of Charlotte. I got a triple payback for you. There we go. Here we go. How about when Kurt Hennig double-crossed Aaron Anderson in the Horseman? Yes, you're right. Okay, don't think Flair forgot about that. So Flair is making it known what he's going to try to do tonight. Oh, my goodness. Scott Hall in the ring. They are wasting no time. No time at all. Yeah, the troops are here. The troops are here. This is... Another NWO setup. There was no review. Hennig would not talk the way he talked about Flair in this town had they not had a plan. And Hennig just used his favorite weapon, that U.S. title belt, right to the head of Flair. And don't forget what they're doing to Ric Flair right now. They're really going to enjoy doing because they're doing it to him in his backyard. Oh. Matter of fact, oh, they go down on that same leg. They're doing it to him in his front yard. They're doing it to him in his living room right now. They are trying. They're going to the leg again. The same leg that he injured at World War III. And now the figure four. Henning applies Flair's own figure four. Here comes DDP. Diamond Dallas Page coming out to help Ric Flair. And Diamond Dallas Page is knocking everybody down. Steiner Brothers are out as well. How about this? WCW is here. WCW has risen up. Has come back as a unit. To help the former 13-time world champ, DDP and the Steiners. And Page just rolled Hennig back into the ring. And Lex Luger's out too. Page wants a piece of Hennig. Page is doing this with purpose. And notice the way the NWO retreated. One minute there were 10, 20 of them in the ring. Now there's not a sign of them. Ladies and gentlemen, we don't know, obviously, how severe the injury is. But you can see the pain on the face of oh, Rick Flair. We do know that WCW has banded together to thwart off this NWO cowardly attack. Hennig was screaming for his US title belt. Oh no, he was in the figure four for 45 seconds. <clears throat> Alright, my video fee was really bad, so I couldn't tell. Had the fans started in the ring yet? Uh, no. Okay. I'm I'm rebooting the screen share to see if that'll help, but... No, I think it's going to be a VPN-related issue. Well, that that's the breaks when Peacock blocks screen recording. So well, when did they, they hit the ring? The During DDP's thing? Well, because Dave talks about the fans hitting the ring, and I was just wondering. I, I, I didn't see it. There we go. All right. It's starting this DDP thing with the uh, Randy Anderson. He's calling out Hennig, and we hear the music. Is Hennig going to answer the challenge? <laughs> did Randy Anderson knock that guy out? The NWO music. He sure did. 
Jesus Christ. Okay, I, we got to see that again. Call out Hennig and we hear the music. Is Hennig going to answer the challenge? My video is so choppy, I can't really tell what's going on, so. I mean, I don't know whose internet that is, but he... <sighs> How do I describe it? He's called out Hennig and... Okay, so they see the fan coming in. Randy Anderson runs over with his hand out and immediately grabs the guy by the chin and throat and, like, just shoves him down. Oh, a second fan came in that got dragged out by security, too. And it looked like Randy Anderson put that guy almost completely out. Just from that. All right, I'm, I'm going to watch it on my own computer so I can see it on YouTube. All right, so I'm watching it now. Okay. All right, so DDP's calling out, hinting. Trash is all in the ring. Yeah. Um, I mean, just, it's like, uh, paper, plastic containers, like dip containers. Jesus. All right, there, there's DDP. All right, here's the fan. Randy just, me, all right, two fans jumped at the same time. Pins are dragged one of them by the feet and pulled them out. Yes. There's cops. All right, Randy Anderson has now got a front chin lock on, uh, the one guy, now the security pulls him out of the ring. Uh, the camera shot goes wide as Doug Dillinger's crew is uh, removing these men from the arena, so to speak. We're taking them down the aisle way. So, uh, yeah, it seemed like they were they jumped out at the same time and tried to get in the ring, which was odd because at this point in time, all the heels are gone. Yep. So that's the weird part about it. All right. So after that happened, Sting was in the rafters. And after the lights going on, the WCW sign, the show ended with Sting charging the ring. The show was supposed to finish with the angle, which did take place in the building after the show ended, where Sting laid out every member in the NWO with the Scorpion Death Drop, except Hogan and Bischoff, who escaped unscathed. Sting actually got a larger pop in Charlotte and Flair. Because so many fans were hitting the ring, they ran out of time, and Sting didn't make it in the ring on time. When Bischoff in the ring realized the angle was blown, he he or someone else in the ring very audibly swore. And then Bischoff totally freaked out in the ring, not realizing there was a live mic picking it up. And it went over the air since there was no seven-second delay. He had his head in his hands and the camera came back on him after the swearing and acknowledging the angle was blown. Oh, God. So do it. Considering I'm, knowledge. I'm trying to figure you're out gonna where probably to have to, this up, yeah. Considering knowledge of the media stories coming out in his attempt to portray WWE something different from WWF, hence the directive to the wrestlers to clean the product, that probably explains his noticeable reaction. <sighs> All right, let me see if I can find this where I can watch it clean. Uh... Yeah, I don't know what's going on with the screen share acting up right now. I mean, I can try to. I mean, it's it's done it's done that a, a few times recently, but. Uh... It was like real oh, bad tonight. Well, it's it, not it was my worse. connection, so. Well, I'm able to watch it on mine, so with no problem as but far as like Sky, watching a YouTube clip. Well, I, I have no problem with streaming the network either. It's it's Skype bullshit. So like right now, is it choppy still on the Skype thing? Uh, it doesn't. What, what it is is when you have it on pause, it's it's clear as day. When you take it off pause, that's so when it starts. Some up. kind of motion. I mean, it's with the bandwidth or something. It's some Skype bullshit thing. I don't know. Well, let's play it. I can deal with it. Let's go. 
Well, we don't really need to see that much anyway. It's more the audio. So I'm going to start with where well, that's the all lights go out. I'm going to start with where the lights go out. Imagine. Uh, yeah. The lights go out again. You don't have to tell me that. I know, but does anyone see? You know, oh. the spotlight was high. Okay. Above. I'm going to go. You stay here, Eden. Turn the lights on. This ain't no fun no more. They're okay, scared. you coward. Where is he? No, look at this. Where is he at? Look on I know top. you're hiding him. Where is he? Look on top of the entryway. And look what he's standing over. WCW. That says Where it all. The coward now? That says it all right there. There's the leader of WCW. Come on, Steve. Get a lot of that, Hogan. What Come a on. picture. Get in here. A picture's worth a million I'm words. I'm not going to wait till the 28th. It's not fun anymore. Get in here. Get in here. Wasn't meant to be fun. Get in here, Steve. You coward. I think you're watching you're the last year of the NWO. Hogan, you're a lucky himself. man, Steve. Look, that's an eerie sight, guys. Not moving. Another day for you, my man. You can see Bischoff's reaction at this point. Yeah, he's freaking out. Dillinger's standing there on the floor. And there was a little bit of chatter you could tell was going on, but I couldn't hear anything distinct yet. So let's see, as we have about 30, 30 seconds of air left. We can see that you fear Hollywood. We can see. Oh, no, you don't want to come down here. Uh-uh. We're all here together. You don't want none of this. Fans, this come is on, the- Stinger. Here he comes. Riddle this- me this. He's going me that. to the ring. Hollywood. Okay, now wait a second. Is it possible this was supposed to be... Because when do they do the zip line to the ring? Is that the following week? Well, that was when I was at... Uh, uh, yeah, when I was at Macon. Nitro. Uh, yeah, yeah, that was making. Yeah. Is it possible that was supposed to happen here and someone screwed up and didn't set it up? I mean, I guess it's possible, but... Because having seen the following week's angle, like, and that Sting all of a sudden just kind of stops and has to climb down, and then the show ends with nothing happening, and knowing that there were other screw-ups makes me wonder if that's the issue here. Well, whatever it is, Bischoff's very visibly upset. Very animated. In the ring. Yeah, and and it's the network, too. They may have edited out some of the, uh, the banter and the swearing. Yeah, I'm going to the torch now to see what Wade said. All right, so, okay. The camp, uh, Bischoff and Hogan, the rest of the have been there the ring. Page retreating to the crowd, hitting in the ring, collapsed to the mat. How professional. Even Bischoff seemed embarrassed for him. Lights went out, spotlights shone on the sting of the rafters. When the lights came back on, another fan attempted to charge the ring. Security was holding him back. The lights went out again, which was dangerous considering the conduct of the crowd, especially since they were throwing three in the ring. 
Sting then appeared at the top of the WCW logo in the entranceway Hogan, uh, on the Nitro set. Hogan did his best to fill the final 30 seconds, but an awkward final minute made a strange final 30 minutes. So wait, based on what Dave said, is this also the Kurt Henning is drunk Nitro? It sounds that way. Yeah, I'm trying to... That also makes me think that it's the drunk promo earlier that we skipped over, and now I'm kind of curious to hear that. Okay, so watch. So, oh, well, I, wait, I don't have it on screen share. I don't know if it would work right right now. Anyway, so he's coming in the ring. He does not look himself, and he just, oh, he falls down. He doesn't trip over anything. He just falls down. Oh, my goodness. I mean, you remember this, mm. right? A yeah, little. yeah, yeah. Okay, I did the screen shares so just in case it works, but yeah, so watch. <clears throat> That's probably about 90 seconds. I mean, not the match, but oh, look at look at the Oh, that's not even the match. This is him. Oh, God. Yeah, he's sloshed. So he steps in the ring. He is in the ring. He has cleared the ropes. He's just standing there. He lifts the belt up and falls on his ass. <sighs> This is 1997 Monday Night War Wrestling. Yeah. Think for a moment about how intoxicated someone had to be on the air for it to be widely called out by fans at the time. Well, and this is his promo. Yeah. If I remember right, it is very obvious. God, take another... Rick Flair Country, Charlotte, North Carolina. Yeah, take another survey. Let me tell you and the whole world one thing right now. That I am truly too good to be true. That's beside the point. Because the gold I wear around my waist is something that belongs to me because I am what I am. And what I am is the best. He is fucked up. <laughs> yeah, he's uh, he's not in his right state of mind. Yeah, I'm guessing it wasn't just the flare thing that kept that match from not really being a match. Yeah. And there's nobody sitting in this crowd. I don't care if you're a weightlifter. I don't care if you're a football player. I don't care if you're any kind of athlete. I'll take on the challenge. Ric Flair, I'll bring it on then. Oh, I dare you. Well, the fans want to see it, don't they? And that goes without Rick saying Flair, it. Ric 13-time world champion. Getting some to Shawn Michaels first match. What in the... Wrong town, wrong venue. Flair, you don't want to wait till the 28th... You don't want to. ...December... When we're inside a cage, you called me out tonight, and tonight I feel like dancing all night and dance a little longer because I can, Flair. I'm bigger, I'm better, and I'm a whole lot cooler than Ric Flair. I guess the challenge has been accepted. Wouldn't you guys think so? I think it's set. U.S. title at stake. Flair against Hennig. Home field advantage for the Nature Boy. Do you see this belt around my waist? This belt represents 
that I am the United States heavyweight champion. And no matter what anybody says or thinks, there will never be another Kurt Hennig in this world of wrestling. And I don't care if you bring Ric Flair. I don't care if you bring Arn Anderson. I don't care if you bring 20 horsemen. This is the proof that I am by far the best. Ric Flair I don't see any argument. He's been called out. He's been oh. run down. It's going to be a big moment That's when we the, come uh... back live. That's like the award show playing the music. That's the they get him off the stage. Yeah. They, they let him go way too long. I mean, good, good God. And this, I, I think you would agree with me, despite the fact that I think, especially with hindsight, this was clearly happening with regularity in this era. This is by far the incident that got noticed the most by fans at the time. Yes. The, it was the combination of the God. promo and then the falling on his ass for no reason. Later. But it's like, Jesus. It's, it, it, I don't know. Well, I mean, let's like talk he, about... The, I mean, like, I just wanted yeah. to close the loop. Like like we've said the other times this has come up in recent memory, like... Thank God we don't have this anymore. Yeah. Exactly. All right, uh, Wade has his thoughts on how Nitro uh, went down here. The last 45 minutes of Nitro better be a huge wake-up call for WCW. The total lack of responsibility on the part of management themselves and allowing certain people on camera in the state they were obviously in was astounding. He's talking about Kurt, but he doesn't mention him by name. Uh, I can only imagine what Bret Hart's first impression was as he watched the activities or at least the result of certain behind-the-closed-doors activities make their way on the live television. The various activities probably enhanced certain performances and certainly hindered at least one performance. But in the end, the anyone paying attention, it was obvious things weren't going right. Not just in the minds of certain performers, but in the timing of the Sting Hogan angle at the end. With the lights went out the first time, you know, the show they shined a spotlight on Sting and the rafters, and the lights went out again and stayed out. Eventually, Hulk Hogan called for the lights to come back on, and Sting was then standing on top of the Nitro entryway. Bischoff could be heard swearing about, aloud about things not going as they were supposed to. His hands were in the air, and he could barely control himself. Sting stood around. Hogan stood around. The rest of the NWO stood around. Even Hogan, with a ton of live television experience, began running out of steam as he tried to stall to fill the final two minutes. Bischoff was signaling to Sting to come down to press the ring, just so something would happen. The average viewer may not know exactly what went wrong, but they know the adrenaline rush that usually coincides concludes Nitro just wasn't there. So, I mean, there's no allusion to any type of zipline thing here, but obviously Sting was supposed to come down and do something well before he did. Yes. And the, and the angle happened after the show went off the air. So obviously what would happen you know, in the ring was supposed to happen on the the show. Yeah. Um, also, I got to think that if Kurt was not local, Wade might be a little bit more clear about who. Well, that's was. a problem, though. That's a problem, though, Bix. I mean, again, we joked about Dave Meltzer and his vague tweeting 
and even vague reporting about them, but Wade's doing the same fucking thing and, and maybe even worse here. I mean, you have to you be know? careful with something like that, but also it was so obvious. Well, don't say, well, don't, don't go out there and say the, this vague shit. Then. Right, yeah. I mean, don't do that. If you, if you, if you know that you cannot talk about the person by name. But I feel, you got to I feel like in this era, the torch is blunt enough about certainly when Heenan is intoxicated on the air that it stands out that Hennig is not being mentioned by name. Yeah. So, anyway. And, I mean, just for perspective, Uh, too, this is someone who was capable of working drunk. Like, it's not a secret. The Bret Hart SummerSlam 91 match? Hennig was able to get through that match because he basically drank the pain away from the as far as the back injury. So yeah. for him to be this obviously intoxicated to the point he's falling down oh, from nothing and can can't you know talk without slurring his speech is notable, even you know even by his standards or however you want to put it. Yeah. All right, let's continue. As a, a classic WCW type move here. During the show, they pulled the Cruiserweight title match with Eddie defending his Ultima Dragon, and for whatever reason, with no explanation, the match never took place. WCW, everybody. A combination of Nitro going three hours with the debut of Bret Hart and one of the hottest football games in years, featuring the attempted miracle of the Jerry Rice return and the Joe Montana retirement ceremony. Put the raw ratings back to a sole level to 2.71 rating, 2.85 first hour, 2.58 second hour, and a 4.14 share. And Nitro, probably someone due to Brett, did far better than expect to go again against such strong football competition, doing a 4.11 rating, 4.38 first hour, 3.88 second hour, 4.08 third hour, and a 6.30 share. While Nitro Replay did a 1.55 rating and a 4.19 share. Nitro peaked at 4.9 in its usual 8.45, 9 p.m. slot with the Ray and Hoovy of Parkinsicosis match. The opening head head segment, which was the uh, flair stuff, uh, went up against Undertaker and Kane. Nitro did 4.1 to 2.8. Raw goes got to a 3.5 during the Hall Jericho uh, deal, which they had Lawler and Taka and Rocky and the Nation in Austin to a 3.0. Stay close to 3.6. For Mongo and Goldberg and Ming against Dude and Jesse Jamis. Actually, WF Rain's Peak of the Night was there. At, um, to 3.0. Um, Nitro picked up for 4.3 for Steiners against Norton and Conan. And began to savage Booker T while Raw fell to 2.6 for Henry and Brawler. McMahon and Owen picked Raw up to 2.9 while Nitro did a 4.0 for the ending of Booker and Savage in the Ben Watts Scotty Riggs match. The Dylan Bischoff Brett thing did a 4.3 while Raw fell 2.5 for Brandy and the Sultan and Austin and the Nation, the belt into the river. Dave believes that was the first time all season that seven where Austin was the focal point that actually saw ratings decline. So there's that. Raw went to a uh, Nitro went to 4.0, 2.4. Lugan Bagwell going against Vince interview about the content and Blackman Estrada. Nitro did a 4.0 for the end with Flair and Henning and the closing angle. While Raw did 2.5 for DX and LOD. So Nitro kicked the shit out of him on this, sh- this night. Definitely did. 
even against a football competition as well. Gainesville, Georgia on the 16th, uh, drew us uh, 1,800. We were selling on one day in advance. Gainesville said to be a hot show as they taped WCW Saturday night for December 27th, January 3rd. On 27th show, Dean Malenko beat LaParka in a great match. After, after about, Eddie hit both men with a chair. Goldberg beat Renegade in nine seconds. We'll pull apart with Mongo afterwards. Had a ton of heat. Ultima beat Sakosa in a really good match. Eddie beat Ray in a three in a four-star match. That'd be the best on the show. Hitting over Bobby Eaton in a U.S. title match. When Paige saw the belt during the match. That may explain something for later. Benoit beat Saturn by DQ when Nash when the Nest interfered. Nash. And it was a toned-down match, although Saturn did a plancha. Benoit destroying the Nest until cut up until it was cut off by one of the worst clothesline you'll ever see from Van Hammer and it put in the rings of Saturn. Booker pinned Eugene Nagata. Steiner's are public game to keep tag titles. And the TV main saw Hall go to a double to keep with Ray Trailer when the Steiners and NWO did a run in and brought in the show. For January third, Ming beat Bobby Eat. Ming also laid out Bobby Walker and Teddy Long. Jericho beat Evan Courageous. Conan over Norma Smiley, Mortis over Hoovy and what was said been a great match. Mongo beat Luis Spicoli. Fit Finley over Bobby Walker. Disco Kativi time to beat Brad Armstrong. Hugh Morris and the team of Barry Darso and John Nord won squashes. In the team main event was Paige and Henning. Paige came out U.S. belt, which may indicate Todd changed to Starcade, although you never know for sure. Typically NWO run-in but for DQ. Paige gave the cutter to several of them before escaping to the crowd. Match may not be arable because there was so much dry ice in the building by the time this whole place... By the time, this whole place for half the match was in go up in a fog-like state. I mean, you look at the you look at the lineups there, and those are two pretty damn solid Saturday night shows, I would say. Yeah. I, I don't remember that much about them specifically, but they sound very good. Yeah. I do remember that Eddie and Ray match being really, really good, which we expected. But, uh... Now, by the way, but yeah, when, when did Ravens Flock get its name in WCW? Since here they're still being referred to as the as Ravens Nest. I don't know in particular when. I don't. I can't tell you. So I don't know. But anyway, all right. Um, Torch. Eric Bischoff signed a four year extension with Time Warner to continue to run WCW. His title has changed from Executive Vice President to President of WCW although his duties won't significantly change. He said they received a nice race, so he now makes well above the average salary of WWE wrestlers, but well below what the top tier make. Dave knows even though Bischoff's a good performer in his role and has a major match coming to pay-per-view, the idea of him running running out four different times on Nitro is bad on a lot of levels. With some quality wrestlers not able to get any airtime, little interview time, it's a morale killer at best. The charges of an ego being out of control are going to naturally be everywhere. So here's Bischoff getting an extension here. Uh, and a promotion. As we're going to 98. Yeah, as we're going to 1998, and we're about to get another TV show. That's right. And Bischoff, and Bischoff as a TV character, I mean, he was on TV a lot, yes. But I don't know. I guess it all depends on how he was being used. Was if it was too much or not, you know? On, night, on the Monday Night Football game on the 15th, after Kevin Green returned to fumble for a touchdown, they showed a video clip of his match with Mongo from earlier this year, although WCW was never mentioned. Of course not. 
Amazing. I mean, they, at least they got on there. So I, I hope mean, WC, I'm sure fault, WC, But yeah. Well, maybe WCW logo was on their apron or on the on the ring mat. It had to so. have been. Yeah. So at least they could have got that exposure. <clears throat> Excuse me. Scott Hall and Kevin Nash have a mean schedule this week to try and iron out the last few details of their contract extensions, which includes raises. They have about 18 months left on each of their deals, but WC wants to get, get them renewed early. Yeah, I'm sure they do. At this point in time, I'm sure they do want to get them locked up. They ain't going to worry about it. Yeah, although... And it's an extension, because like they're... They signed some kind of new contract with an increase in pay on January 1st, 97. Nash definitely did. Let me double-check Hall. Well, it says they have 18 months left, so you look at it, that means June 99. So... But yet, both of their contracts are listed as having started on January 1st, 97. And going through the end of 01. Well, where the hell is Dave getting this from, then? Who knows exactly what was going on? I don't think this is necessarily false, but it could be an extension of an initial deal. I don't know. Maybe it is wrong. I mean, we, we... We've seen contract stuff proven wrong by the... We certainly have. Yeah. So, yes, we certainly have. Makes you wonder where all this report re, reporting's coming from. Where this information's coming from, you know? Well, this, yeah, that way it has here. I mean, granted, it is being referred to as an extension and not a renewal. Yeah, but he said 18 months left on the deals. Well, but if they already signed true. something in January, I highly doubt it would be through May, June 99. June 99, yeah. Exactly. Some may write. That doesn't make sense. No. Oh, speaking of Kurt Hennig. And the torch. Expect the no beer backstage rule will be enforced once again. After TBS Big Shots came down on Bischoff for beer drinking backstage this summer, they cut it out. Lately, some have been sneaking in cases of beer. Obviously, they have. Uh... How, could, how could you not see that? Raven spent nine days in the hospital and was released on Tuesday the 16th. He is suffering from pancreatitis. Attributed to, you guessed it, Heavy drinking. He has to cut back on drinking or else is at risk of getting diabetes. And by the way, yes, it does say pancreatitis <coughs> here, and not yeah, as opposed to pancreatitis. That's why Chris read it that way. I just wanted everyone That's to understand what... that. Yes. Although actually he spells it pancreatitis, but Didn't he work for Stampede? Pancreatitis? No, you're thinking yeah, of Oh, there we go. Well, he was his tag partner, maybe. Pancreatus, Concavitas, I don't know. Kind of makes you wonder why Bruce didn't create a wrestler named Jin Javitis. I love how I could tell, just even without you selling it, just how happy you were that I knew where you were going with that. Well, I was hoping you would, yes. Six has not, this is Stamina Torch, Six has been told by his doctors he cannot travel for two to four months since his neck cannot handle the stress of carrying around baggage. The prognosis, though, is that he will recover to 100% with full mobility in his neck. He just has to go through the physical therapy for the next few months. And then Bischoff gets pissed at Hall and Nash and fires Sean. Which would never come back and bite him in the ass. No. Alice Rice still in Germany. There was thought he may need brain surgery if it was been described as something similar to, but not exactly a brain aneurysm. Well, maybe they took the brain out of his head, too, like Shibata. 
And I don't remember if it ever gets explained exactly what happened, but he made a full recovery. I don't remember if he needed to. Well, obviously. But, yeah. He was wrestling in WCW again in 98, so obviously he did. The guy who drove the motorcycle to the ring and the wrong one on the first trip is Ellis, a stunt coordinator friend of Hogan. He was the one who drove the car when the Steiners flipped their car. He also coordinates the Sting stunts. Ellis Edwards. Ellis Edwards, yes. That's a weird way for him to be described when he is the WCW stunt coordinator full time. This makes it sound like he's just a guy who's doing stuff for them as favors. Well, maybe Wade didn't know that, Bix. I don't know. Anyway. All right, back to Dave now. Jeff Farmer, NWS Sting for New Japan, was at the Charlotte Nitro as the first thing shown from far away when the lights went out. Well, how about that? Ola Tataros agent called WCW and told him that WF was strongly after him. As best we can tell, there's no interest by WF and Tataros, so it was a negotiating ploy. Dave doesn't sense any real interest by WCW. Oh, the figures at some point in 98 that Don Fry and Brian Johnston will come in. Well, that didn't happen. God, two years of hearing about the knockout club. Yes. And it never happens. Yeah. Expect the mask versus mask feud with Mortis against Hoobie Guerrero, ending with Hoobie without his mask. Well, Mortis. we get Hoobie without his mask, but it ain't Mortis. Huh? Roddy Piper's been out filming the final episode of the network run of Walker, Texas Ranger. The part he plays as a pro wrestler near retirement. The part was actually written for Hulk Hogan to play. Well. All right, back to uh, Wade. The December 14th Charlotte Observer had a feature article on Arn Anderson, which we talked about. At the back surgery in April, Arn said he was in tremendous pain. I don't have words to tell you what the pain was like. I told my family more than once I wanted to die. But my son was one month old at the time. He added, for a guy with my education, limited as it is to be able to be this successful in anything for this period of time is an overachievement at the least. But I'm like everybody else, I wish it lasted longer. Just feels so bad for Arn. Especially when you watch him come out on that Nitro and see how emotional it was. Because wrestling was his life. Yep. He didn't do it. I mean, he never did anything else. And he is talking about Brock here. The... You know, based on the timeline, of, you know, age and everything. Yes. Yes. And now let's close out with the saga of Jacqueline Moore. Jacqueline is gone as her contract expired and they decided against renewing it. She was telling people she was going to tighten the feud with China, which may be the case. But in this environment, even if it isn't, it is what you tell your current employer when your contract's running out. Let's fast forward a week. Jacqueline was let go because on the December 15th Nitro, she was supposed to be attacked and left lame by Elizabeth as she refused to do the angle. She had a lot of heat on the way out for that one, since they put her over Disco Inferno and had her beating up on so many men despite her being so small, and then she refused to do an angle where she'd be jumping behind and wouldn't be like she'd be beaten up face-to-face by Elizabeth. It's one thing not to do a clean job like Disco got fired for not doing, but it's another refused to do an angle in a separate situation to give her a program she didn't have. Yeah, that that that's silly, because I mean Elizabeth would savage. It's fucking Elizabeth. I mean, if you're doing this as an angle, I mean that's that's a pretty big deal. Yeah. You know, pride or being a mark for yourself, one of the two. I don't know. I'm curious. But uh, have gone though. Maybe it led to a Booker Savage feud. They had the match here on Nitro, so I don't know. Yeah, that makes some sense. Because she was last, you know, associated with them. 
with with Carmine. Um, yeah. And I can see Sad right. Booker yeah. as a oh great. <laughs> see Booker as like a project, but anyway. Yes. That's or being a, or being a good opponent for him to work with, you know? Yeah, yeah exactly. All right, well, that's it for this week. Next week on Between the Sheets, we go back to 1985. Ooh. Yeah, it's been a while since we've done a 1985 show. World Wrestling Federation, we got Ted Arcidi making his debut on television. We'll be talking about that. Plus, uh, we have all the Christmas week house shows to talk about and some other stuff going on. <clears throat> In fact, it's Christmas week, so we got Christmas everywhere. So you got every territory has big shows going on. Uh, AWA, John Nord's back. As, uh, in the AWA, as Nord the Barbarian. Marty Jannetty debuts on the Christmas Night Show, so we'll talk about that. We got uh, WF and Central States going to battle in Kansas City again. We'll talk about that. Bruiser Brody signs a contract with Texas All-Star Wrestling on television, so we'll have that. Reunion Arena, Christmas Night at Reunion Arena. Featuring the Cosmic Cowboys. So we'll talk about that. We got um, Ted DiBiase and Dr. Death win the Mid-South Tag Titles. We got uh, a lot of stuff in Memphis. Featuring uh, a Jerry Lawler show Christmas with Lance and Dave. And uh, the build-up to Lawler and Dundee's hair match. Which, there is one of those that takes place during our week. Well, not a hair match. Loosely town match, excuse me. Not hair match. Yes. So, we'll have the story on that. And uh, also a character change for two young up-and-coming guys in Memphis. So, we'll have news on that. We got um, the year in review and Continental to talk about. Finish some interesting promos. We got uh, a little international, Mexico, Puerto Rico. Big show in Puerto Rico to talk about WC featuring Crockett Talent. We got Stampede Wrestling. We got uh, Jaguar Yakota announcing her retirement. And all Japan women. And we got a ton of clips from Jim Crock Promotions. We got two Saturdays of television. So we got a lot going on, including one of the best episodes of World Championship Wrestling from that era. Featuring uh, Madam T.A. defending the U.S. title against Ole Anderson and Ric Flair, Ronnie Garvin. Plus, lots of promos including some foreshadowing for the future of Tully Blanchard and Baby Doll. Plus, we'll have the Christmas Week house shows to talk about and um, news on uh, a big TBS show that will be coming up in the near future. And probably the biggest show in our week, Stan Hansen wins the AWA World Heavyweight title from Rip Martell on Pro Wrestling USA show in the Meadowlands. So we'll have news on that. And yes, folks, it is Christmas. So for the third straight year, we have a Christmas present for you as the King of Kingsport, Bo James, and Robert O'Connor join us next week on Between the Sheets. Merry Christmas to everyone. Yes. That means, so it should uh, be a fun show. We also need to come up with what uh, past Patreon show we're going to offer up for free, too. O'Connor, when I sent him the notes, uh, his exact words were, this one's going to be a doozy. Oh boy. So uh <laughs> So be ready for that one. All right. Thanks, Bix. As always, you're the rock of the show. And this is Chris and so long from the Peach State of Georgia.
Mírame los ojos cuando digas mi nombre No me confrontes si no eres un hombre Tanto yeah, represento mi Borinquen Wow, no te me pongas bravo, caerás al fin al cabo Soy más bravo, como el gallo, borinqueño haciendo batalla Gritando por la noche como el poqui que no se calla Corro por el mundo, mi corazón lleno de candela Entro mis batallas, cargando mi bandera Puertorriqueña, misteriosa como las aguas azules Fuerte como las montañas que cortan por las nubes Después, manos pa' arriba Manos pa' arriba Soy de Puerto Rico como ella no es más rica Duro como la roca porque si yo soy boricua Mírame los ojos cuando digas mi nombre No me confrontes si no eres su nombre Llamo por el mundo, represento tantas veces Somos los boricuas, nuestro army crece y crece Mírame los ojos cuando digas mi nombre Ojos traigo guerra, represento los soldados que murieron por mi tierra. No traigas la bulla si no quiere boca rota. Borricuas en la casa, garantizan tu derrota. Ven para ver una cosa, todo el mundo ven para aquí. Enemigos caerán, for the one, the two, the three. Si no aguanta el calor, pues no entre a mi fuego. Que te quito el machismo, sufrirá ya y te dejo. So, manos para arriba, manos para arriba. Soy de Puerto Rico como ella no es más rica, duro como la roca porque si yo soy boricua. Hello everyone, welcome to Cheese Patreon Special Edition number 86. I'm your host, Chris Zone. They're joined, as always, by my co-host, David Bixenspan. And, Bix, it's time to take a little left turn in our Patreon shows here. Uh, normally, you know, we discuss all kinds of stuff, you know, business-related or, you know, behind-the-scenes. I mean, there's going to be some business stuff in behind-the-scenes. I know, but I'm, yeah. I'm, but I'm just saying, but I'm talking about, like, you know, stuff that's not involving things that's actually going on in front of the cameras. Right. A lot of Whereas time. this, it's going to be everything. Because this month, <sighs> we are talking about Ultimate Warriors run in WCW. One Warrior Nation. That's right. And uh, this idea came to my head as we were doing um, the 98 main show. The last one we did... That had the clips. The mirror. Of, uh, it was the mirror episode. The mirror, yeah. the mirror episode, yeah. And we already done the one where the disciple was on his knees uh, pretending to flate the warrior. And uh, it's just, I was like, man, this this would be an interesting show just to do an all-encompassing look at this run of insanity, which only lasts three months, basically. So... I was like, this, it, somebody needs to do this show where we can just have everything under one big umbrella here. And uh, we were, this was a good month to do this on, I thought, as we're, as uh, the run basically came to an end in November of 98. So 25th anniversary of that. 
Yes, I had forgotten that he did last into November, that he was there for the show <laughs> after Halloween Havoc until I did this. Well, he, this, and the thing was, I don't know if you had this in the notes, but we'll have it on the main show that we do uh, before this comes out, the, the William Lanham Survivor Series show. He was actually brought into Nitro in Wichita in mid-November, but was never used. I think that's in here, yeah. Okay. No, it wasn't even used. Think about that. So... All right, let's get started. So, yeah, Warrior shows up, you know, in what, August? Yes. You might be surprised to know that this was a done deal long before he actually showed up on television. Yes, although I should give the caveat that there are all sorts of, maybe Jim Helwig's debuting soon. Maybe it would be good to debut him on this date stuff in the torch and more so the Observer for weeks and weeks that there was no reason to include. But even though so, yeah. we still have over four pages of pre-debut books. So, yeah. So, yeah. This was not something that was just thrown together and done. This was something that was building. So, let's go all the way back to March. March 16th, 1998. Arizona Republic, March 17th. Warrior Pins Wrestling Federation by Jane Larson for the Arizona Republic. The first man ever to beat Hulk Hogan has pinned an even more formidable opponent, the World Wrestling Federation itself. Valley businessman and one-time professional wrestler known as Warrior has won a Maricopa County Superior Court battle with his former employer over trademark rights to his distinctive name. Of course, uh, Warrior would be in the county with Sheriff Joe. <laughs> his distinctive name, face paint, trade dress, persona. Judge Stephen Sheldon ruled last month that Warrior created and owns this immensely popular wrestling character despite signing contracts that licensed it to the World Wrestling Federation, said Warrior's lawyer Sean Aiken of the Phoenix law firm Haber, Schink, and Johnson. An issue is ownership of the trademark rights are key to comic book, movie, and licensing deals. Warrior hopes income from these enterprises will give him a slice of the multi-million dollar pro wrestling industry and catapult his Scottsdale-based Ultimate Creations, Inc. into the big time. Good luck with that. Ultimate Creations, which Warrior concedes has yet to be profitable, is built around Warrior's good guy superhero wrestling character, one who encourages kids to believe in themselves and become their own style of Warrior. Warrior's World workout videos, t-shirts, and posters all sold on his website, UltimateWarrior.com, are just the beginning. Warrior has a concept for a TV show, and he believes his comic books, four so far, are ripe for an animated movie. Oh yeah, four, the last of which was released over a year and a half ago. Warrior, who believes so much in his character that he legally changed his name from James Helwig in 1993, also envisions what he calls Warrior University. He originally planned it as a gym to train pro wrestlers, but now sees it as a chain of learning and exercise centers that will instill responsibility and self-esteem in young people. I want to make a kid realize he can achieve whatever he wants, the 38-year-old said. Wait, so was he wanting to turn it from a wrestling school into the fucking Infinity Cult from that SVU episode? <laughs> like, what? Well, maybe. He wanted to mentor youngsters, Biggs. He wanted to groom them. And uh, the ways of the warrior. A lot of indoctrination about how queering don't make the world work, I'm guessing. <laughs> but anyway, he might even resume his first career, though, with the WS chief rival, Ted Turner's World Championship Wrestling Organization. The lawyer for Titan Sports, Inc., the business that created the World Wrestling Federation and made it tops of sports entertainment, said the wrestling group isn't on the ropes yet. Warrior civil lawsuit against Titan over breach of contract kind of mutated into a trademark dispute, and the judge's ruling is not the final step, said Jerry McDevitt, 
of Pittsburgh law firm Kirkpatrick and Lockhart. Yes, uh, we should say, uh, according to what Dave Meltzer said on uh, Observer Radio recently, 2024 Observer Hall of Fame uh, ballot selection, Jerry McDevitt. Hey, yeah, I mean, he's probably uh, he probably have a good chance of getting in. <laughs> I, I, I don't think it's a good idea to reward someone for how good they are at negotiating sexual assault uh, settlements. He's good at his job on his yeah. on that side, I should say. Yeah, but he's good at his job. Well, look, I mean, sexual offenders are in the Hall of Fame already, Bick. So, I mean. Huh. Why not have the guy that defending them in there, too? But anyway, the opinion deals with the court's perception of creation. That's a different issue from ownership, McDevitt said. He said the Federation's deal with Warrior was simple. Duffy uses fast television network to make up a star in exchange for owning the character and paying him royalties on merchandise sales. Warrior says his passion to help kids grew out of his youth in Crawfordsville, Indiana. His father left his family when he was 12. Warrior says and has left his mother to raise five children alone. It was an exercise that helped him overcome self-doubts and a high school label of least likely to succeed. Warrior recalled, when I realized I could change my phys- physicality, I realized I could change other things in life, he said. Okay. Well, first so you of can, all. So you kind of yeah. get, get with Warrior how he had some issues when he was younger. Yes. That, sh- that shaped him. To a degree, yes. And the the trademark thing is being very oversimplified here, though. As we've talked about before, what happened was when he signed the contract in 96, part of the deal was that they would transfer the Ultimate Warrior trademark ownership to him as part of signing the contract. And it ended up being the belief of the McMahons and WWF that he never intended to see the contract out and did it solely so he could get the trademarks. Yeah. So, I mean, this kind of gives it, it kind of gives you some context as, as well in Warrior and why he was so deep into his character because as a youngster had this going on he probably had some type of escapism maybe and he's still you know, a struggling bodybuilder until the ultimate warrior basically so yeah. he sees the warrior as what finished taking him out of that life or whatever Warrior says he was working on a chiropractic degree at Life University in Atlanta yeah. and facing hefty student loans when he was invited to wrestle in an outlaw league in 1985. That's an interesting way to phrase that. All I mean, of he was that. Rick, well, Rick Bassman. And we don't know what kind of wrestling Warrior may have done before him and you know, Sting went to Memphis. No, he, no, they didn't do any. They hadn't finished training yet. They got tired of it and decided to start sending out promotional photos, and Jerry Jarrett was the only one who bit. So they never wrestled one match as a power team members? No, just the promotional photos. Okay. While some wrestlers are assigned a basic character and left to develop their own style, Warrior says he developed his costumes and persona on his own. It was a poorer version of Warrior then, he says. But after 10,000 cans of tuna and lots of sleeping on floors, things started to click. How far someone goes into business is all the talent's responsibility, Warrior said. He soon caught the attention of WF, where his character proved so popular that he was on the road 325 days a year in different cities every night. He fell in love with the Valley the first time he stepped off the plane for a match and moved here in 1989, he said. He had pro wrestling's peak in 1990 when the Tokyo Sky Dome for 69,000 fans, where he became the first pro wrestler allowed by the WF script to beat the legendary Hulk Hogan. 
but he got increasingly upset with what he called the deceptive business practices. Their contract was so constraining. They said they owned everything about you. Whatever you did, whatever you said, however you moved in the ring, they owned, Warrior said. In 1991, he had his first fallout with WF and disappeared from the ring for eight months. He returned briefly in 1992, but their next agreement turned into a three-year hiatus. Well, I don't know what that is. Yeah, something in the OCR from newspapers.com got messed up here. McDevitt says that, among other things, Warrior refused to show up for matches, which had very damaging effects on ticket sales, federation, and other aspects of the business. He returned to WF in 1996 after working on a deal that he thought would give the Federation back a ticket-selling name and give his comic book venture access to WF's merchandising and marketing power. But Warrior says WF started using his comic books and always believe ideology for their own benefit, promoting it at toy licensing shows and telling him he didn't need to show up. He left again, prompting a flurry of court action over the alleged breaches of contract and trademark disputes. Aiken, Warrior's lawyer, said a case like Warrior and Ultimate Creation Inc. versus Titan Sports Inc. at all comes along every once in a, every five or ten years. One issue over who owns the rights to the name, Ultimate Warrior, remains to be decided at an as of yet unscheduled trial. Aiken says the issue matters little because the judge already said Warrior owes a character behind the name. McDevitt says so, that the match is far from over. And he does end up with the name? Not yet. Not until after the WCW stuff is over. But he does. Yeah. So this is where uh, the artist formerly known as Jim Helwig is at this point. And it's the first, like, official thing saying he might be going to WCW. Yeah. Any further thoughts, or do you feel like... Well, it's a, big, it's, a, it's a good win for him in the court of law. Right, to say that yeah. he can do everything else, just we're not sure if he can be Ultimate Warrior yet. It's a very good win for him. And it's the correct decision, because even if he refined it in WWF, the the whole look, including the general design of the paint, was there before WWF. Yep, dingo. To hear this entire show, support Between the Sheets on Patreon for just $5 per month. Go to patreon.com slash Between the Sheets.